it's not expected to make it. Another one is sick, and so to try to control the elements, they're not having people move to different floors. And right now, because of the flood, in the first floor, Patricia's on the second floor, and the telephone that we use for the radio show is on the third floor. So she doesn't have free mobility at the moment because they just are restricting people in the small quarters. And that way, it probably, if there is a food breakout, they're trying to minimize it to as many exposures as possible. So uh, Patricia sent an email Thursday night, and so we are going to be without Patricia tonight. And next next weekend, the same thing, because next weekend, we are going to find out if John and Larry have made a Spurvac board once again. That's right. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers <laughs> and my toes. <laughs> We're going to be at the Long Beach, uh, in Long Beach next Saturday afternoon. Uh, so there's going to be no live show Friday night. We're going to be eating. No, not at a steakhouse. We're going to an Italian restaurant. So, John... There will be a show, but it'll be... It's a, a show that Larry put together right. of past material. And so we'll be out to dinner as a group. We don't do that enough, you know, because we only have so spread out a group of us to get together to do these things. So we try to take as much opportunity to get together as possible. And so a group of us, John Lurie, Brian Henderson, Tim Canoffler, your truly Beverly Washburn, will be having dinner at Marciano in Costa Mesa. So if you'd like to join us, just bring enough money to pay for John... John beer and wine, and we'll let you do the party, you know. <laughs> but that's right, it won't be surprised when 500 people show up. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be. And then Saturday, doors will open at 1 30 in the afternoon, and the show will start at 2. And it should be a lot of fun. We'll see how fast can Brian do thiffy writing composers. Is he going to do it under 30 seconds? I don't know about that, but. At least he'll be he'll give Danny K a run for his money. So it's definitely the uh, famous bit that Danny had in the forties. We'll do a small little junior skit. Uh, the Multi Falcon. Tim is putting the finishing touches on that. We're working with him today on that. A small Dead Eye sketch, and we'll wrap it up with Beverly's wonderful performance. Of Radio City Playhouse Long Distance, and Ivan Curry wrote me a note. He said, "I don't know how we're going to top that performance of three years ago." He he just he wasn't in there, but I think he must have watched it like everybody else. And and I I told Beverly he was hopefully that we won't be let down. I said, Beverly, you know, if it's just as close to it, it doesn't have to be perfect. So we're just going to make sure we bring a box of Kleenex yarn. That's all we That's really need. Job, yeah. <laughs> And it will not be broadcast live, but we will record it and hope to play it at some point. Correct, because we are in um, on a federal property which has restrictions, internet restrictions, not open source. And so so we're not going to be able to figure out how to break through the internet to get it broadcast out. So we'll just record it and play it on a future Spurvac Presents. We cannot jailbreak the Long Beach Veterans Hospital, so <laughs> the way it goes. The address is 5901 East 7th Street, Long Beach, California, 
destroy at building 126, which is the largest building there. We're going to be on the second floor at the Pantasius Theater. So either park in the back or park close to that big building. Uh, this year they don't have enough volunteers to do sh- the shuttle service like they did last year. But uh, but it's going to be fun. They'll have the electric billboard sign going to announce Burvac. That was real, that was a night touch last year. They'll have signage throughout the hospital. Um, they're doing a, a PR blitz for us um, throughout the hospital. So uh, we had a wonderful turnout last year, and I think we're looking forward to being back the coming Saturday. The uh, We're also in the mix of planning for the Spurvac Convention, November 1, 2, and 3. I was working with the hotel today. Uh, so we'll have a code really soon for people to start booking their hotel room. There's a major discount um, if you use the code to stay at the uh, Crown Plaza Hotel on Costa Mesa. And that should be at 3131 South Bristol Street, 92626. So... Some paperwork are going through, so once we get the uh, paperwork, then we'll announce the code, and that way people start booking the hotel rooms. And we're looking forward to that. That'll be a, a lot of fun. We've gotten a lot of commitments already. And I imagine April when we step for the planning meeting, we'll decide who else to invite, and uh, start seeing what the, the shows and recreations and the panels will be. It, it will be a fun three days, and... Uh, we heard enough. We we listened to you last year with the Spur, uh, in Las Vegas. People p- miss not eating together at the social aspect. So this time you're gonna have an opportunity, not one, not two, not three, not four, five different opportunities to eat together. So, so uh, hopefully bring bring your appetite and you can eat with along with John Glory. So that's always a highlight at every event. So, John, watching us eat is not a hard. <laughs> so our phones are live at seven one four five four five two zero seven one. And John, how was your day so far? Good. Larry and I went out and visited uh, friends in LA mm-hmm. that we'd known for long periods of time, going back to, I guess, when we were seven or eight years old. Wow. So, had a chance, and it got rained on a little bit on the way over, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot of fun. We had a good time and got back here uh, a couple of hours ago and had some dinner, and or, and, or I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a, a very nice day. Going to do the same thing with other friends tomorrow. So nice weekend. And then uh, so next weekend at Spurvac, so the following weekend is your performance in your competition, right? And that's in Riverside. It uh, is in, actually, it's in Irvine, which Irvine, is about okay. 20, 25 minutes from here. So the quartet will be singing on Friday and the chorus on Saturday. And uh, and then the following week, we have the uh, Assistive Technology Convention in San Diego. And so March is going to be very busy. So, and then the following weekend is Easter weekend. And then before you know it, we'll have to figure out how we're going to plan for Spurvac for the rest of the year. So Yeah, um, yeah. We're, we're off to a good start. We have some people who offered to do some grant writing for us, and it already started this week, so I'm really pleased about that. And I've put in for some grants for for the convention. So if you are 
aware of some family foundations out there that could help Spur Back Artists? No, we would love to increase our capabilities at the convention. So just a few dollars, uh, everybody we talk to, we're not really looking for a lot. So just a few extra dollars would be able to allow us to do more things than what we are planning on doing now. So we'd love to do that. So just keep that in mind. Well, this weekend, we're going to be looking back upon uh, Jenny Ruth, Dr. Jenny Ruth, who uh, was one of the children on the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. And we have scheduled to run her interview tomorrow, which we are still planning because that's when uh, Jenny was asking when. So I told her that. So we're going to keep that tomorrow. But because Patricia is not able to join us, we're going to feature some of her work tonight. And so John and I are kicking around some ideas. So I think the first thing we'll do, we'll flip to the second computer. In 1946, Phil Harris had a record that reached number four in the country. And it's him and Janine doing a counting song or a... uh, mathematical song and it reached number four in the country and so I thought we would play that first and it will probably play a radio show my guess is uh, Larry found the Jack Benny show one of the early Jack Benny shows that she did she did a lot in 1945 so why don't I walk over to the computer thanks to Kim Bragg who found this for us and we'll play the first song in our index Daddy. Yes, baby. What's our arithmetic lesson today? We're going to learn counting a new kind of way. All right, Daddy. I'm ready to start. Well, then you count with me and we'll both be smart. One twosie, I'll kiss you, Z. Twosie, threesie, you kiss me, Z. Threesie, fourzie, kiss some more, Z. Let's start counting higher. Fourzie, fivesie, let's get livesie. Fivesie, sixie, hug me quick, Z. Sixie, sevensie, this is heavensie. My heart's on a flyer. Keep the numbers going till the song is done. Love will keep on growing and we'll have lots of fun. Sevensie, eightsie, you're my daisy. Eightsie, ninesie, eight this finesie. Ninesie, tensie, start again, see. Onesie, twosie, I love using. Gee, baby, that was wonderful. You know, you're getting better every day. Please, Daddy, let's do it again. Again? All right. One-zee, two-zee, you're my hoosie. Two-zee, three-zee, you please me-zee. Three-zee, four-zee, tell me more-zee. Let's start counting higher. Four-zee, five-zee, you're so 
Fivesy, sixy, you're a pixie. Sixy, sevensy, and four makes elevensy. Oh my, you high flyer. Keep the numbers going. Tell the lessons done. My love for you is growing. We're having so much fun. I'm glad you're mine, see. Nine, ten, say it again, see. One, two, I love you, see. You're my what not. You're my hot shot. <laughs> One, two, I love you, see. So you think that would reach number four in, in today's... This program wouldn't be complete <laughs> without my bread and butter, The Thing. The Thing. Anyway. So what do you think, John? <laughs> what a great follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that probably wouldn't make number four today. but And I think, I'm sure I remember, they did this on the air, but I don't remember which show, whether it was on a Benny show or or a Phil Harris-Ellis face show for Fitch. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I know they did it. I remember see, hearing it before. Anyway, she, uh, Janine only did one movie. In her career, as she mentioned, and it's a pretty well-known movie. It's a Wonderful Life. So she was the, she she was in that one movie. What uh, do you remember? What role she played? Uh, was she, it one of the kids? Yeah, she played. She played uh, one of the. Um, it's oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the gal's name. Who there was a it was a, when she was an adult. It was a person who was thinking about committing suicide, but it was a Janine played this person as a. As a child, um, and they were the friend of J- J- Jimmy Stewart as a child, but I've forgotten the. Uh, it's not one. Okay. Of, it's not one of the kids per se. Okay. But uh, but no, yeah, there's uh, so she did that one film, and then she did a whole heck of a lot of the Jack Benny radio shows mm-hmm. in the 1945 season, and so and one thing she did. Part of the I Can't Stand Jack Benny run. That, that's a pretty famous run of the Benny series. Wouldn't you agree, John? I mean, that's great a, contest. Yeah. Yes. In which, for those who've not heard it, in which they invited listeners to write in and tell them why they can't stand Jack Benny. And then they gave away a huge prize. I think it was $10,000 in victory bonds. And so they had a lot of fun with that and got a lot of notoriety out of it. And that was about the time when both when, when they introduced Phil Harris's alleged daughters mm-hmm. to the show. And Janine Roos was um, was on the show along with Ann Whitfield. Yep. And so Janine at the time played Baby Alice. Right. Now, they got me. I guess we. I, I guess they have to figure this out. It's out. I guess it's Baby Alice. Older than Mae Phyllis, I don't know. Because uh, Jenny's a little older than Anne, so logically, wouldn't you think she would play the oldest daughter, but I'm not too sure. <laughs> so, I guess it really wouldn't matter, because all they had to do was go with the voice that yeah, they wanted yeah. for that role. And then I got thinking today, okay, Larry, I guess Janine gave you guys some of her disc years ago to transcribe. Right back, yeah, yeah, she did. And... I was just thinking, listening to some of these are with Janine and Anne together, and I'm wondering who got, was it Anne that got a lot of those uh, funny lines of the two? Because Anne would have had more radio background 
than Janine. I'm not too sure which one would have had the more of the funny lines of, yeah, of the probably two. Probably Anne. That'd be my guess. I'd have to listen to them again to, to know for sure. Right. But just a thought, you know, considering Anne yeah. started in Radio 43 and, and Janine in 45, and we're talking to Phil Harris run started in 46. And they were there for the whole eight-year run, so. Mm-hmm. But anyway, John suggested we should probably go ahead and play a show first. Uh, and then I guess we'll go ahead and play this Burvac interview that you, you hosted with, with both of them uh, back okay. in 1985. Sure. So we'll go back to the Jack Benny show and the I Can't Stand Jack Benny contest. K-F-I, Los Angeles. Spellbound. David O. Selznick presents Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck in the screen's most masterful achievement in suspense. Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound. See Spellbound today. Grauman's Chinese, Lowe's State, Fox, Uptown. The Jack Benny Program, presented by... L-S-M-F-T... L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. That's right. You bet. And how? Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. At 49, American. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Here's what Mr. Joseph Cuthrell, independent tobacco auctioneer of Kinston, North Carolina, said. No cigarette is any better than the tobacco that's bought for it. And at market after market, I've seen Lucky Strike consistently buy fine tobacco. Tobacco that is sweet as a nut, better aroma, thoroughly ripe and thoroughly mellow. So when it comes to my own cigarette, I naturally choose Lucky's. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. The Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Larry Stevens, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you the star of our program, a man who has successfully run the gamut of show business from A to Z, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, that was the nicest introduction you've ever given me. And you're absolutely right. My career has covered show business from A to Z. From actor to zombie. (laughs) Mary, that wasn't a nice thing to... Mary, what's a zombie? A zombie is a man who came to a fork in the road. He went one way and his blood went the other. (laughs) What? That's right, Jack. A zombie is a man with hollow eyes, a vacant stare, and although he's really dead, he still walks around. So that's... Mary, how many times have I told you not to mention Fred Allen on this program? (laughs) I mean, especially so early. Let me get rolling first. Oh, Jack, you and Allen, I think it's about time you two stop picking on each other. Well, it isn't as simple as that. This grudge goes way back to our vaudeville days. 
Alan was always mad because the audience used to throw things at him and they never threw anything at me. What are you talking about? You learned how to play tennis by hitting the tomatoes back with your violin. <laughs> tennis, Mary, you know that isn't true. Then why did they book your act into Forest Hills? They, w- <laughs> they wanted a little music because Helen Wills was moody. <laughs> Live with me, will you, sister? (laughs) (laughs) All right, what are you laughing at? People don't throw things at you. They don't. Look what happened a few weeks ago when you played your violin at the Hollywood Bowl. Mary. The end of the concert, you had so much fruit in your hair, you looked like Carmen Miranda. (laughs) Oh, stop making up a lot of things. Come in. Mr. Benny. Yes? I'm from the San Fernando Valley Gazette. Oh, are you, uh... Are you a reporter? Well, what do you think I am with this pencil in my ear? A desk set? (laughs) I always have to run into him. Well, what is it you want, Mr., uh, Mr.... Schlagelmeyer. (laughs) Schlagelmeyer? When you say that, smile. (laughs) Oh. My paper sent me here to get a story about that contest you mentioned last week. Well, Mr. Schlagelmeyer, I don't know any more about that contest than you do. Right now, I'm waiting for my press agent to come over and give us all the details. Oh, well, then I'll hang around and take a few notes. Well, we're trying to do a program, so why don't you just sit down, Mr. Schlagelmeyer? Westbrook Schlagelmeyer. <laughs> all right, all right. You know, Mary, people have been phoning me all week about this contest. Well, Jack, what kind of a contest is it going to be? I wish I knew. The whole thing is Steve Bradley's idea. Imagine me giving away $10,000. I can't imagine it either. That would jar San Fernando right out of the valley. (laughs) Schmogelmeyer, please. Anyway, it isn't that I care about the money. uh... I believe that, Jack. I think the whole idea about you being cheap is just a gag. A gag, huh? Let me tell you something, Don. Jack doesn't trust anybody. What? When he goes to bed at night, he puts his money in his mouth and rubs alum on his lips. (laughs) I only did that once. Now, let's get on with it. Pardon me. How do you spell alum? A-L... Schlagelmeyer. Oh, Jack, what are you worried about? He's from such a small paper, the San Fernando Gazette. That has no circulation. I beg your pardon, madam. My column is syndicated throughout. Throughout what? Anaheim, Azusa, and Coop among them. <laughs> Listen, Schlaggy, I have a 93-year-old grandmother who has better circulation than you have. <laughs> now, please, let us get on with the program. Phil, uh, get your band ready, and we'll have a... Phil! Huh? You talking to me, Jackson? Yeah, it's time for your band number. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Jackson, but you know how it is with these mystery magazines. You start reading, and then you can't put it down. Oh, you're reading a mystery magazine. What's the name of it? Who's Gordon? Who's Gordon? Yeah, see, it says so right here on the cover. Phil, that's House and Garden. Gordon. <laughs> Look, Phil, 
just play a number, will you? Okay, Jackson, okay. But first, I'd like to know more about that contest. What's it all about? Bill, I don't know what it's about myself. It seems some silly idea my press agent has. He wants me to give away $10,000. Jack giving away $10,000 like trying to strain the overalls out of Mrs. Murphy's chowder. Oh, stop. I wouldn't say that, Livy. I was out with Jackson the other night, and he picked up the check. He did? Yeah, he looked at it, added it up. It was correct and handed it to me. (laughs) Now, listen. Don't get conceited, Phil. He does that with everybody. All right, kids, all right. Are you through? No, I've got one. You sit down. (laughs) You're just mad because my haircut is rounder than yours. (laughs) It is not. Now, will you please be quiet and let us get on with the... Oh, I'll get it, I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. Is my daddy there? Your daddy? Oh, this must be Phil Harris's little girl. How are you, darling? Fine. And how's your mother? She's fine, too. Right now, she's in the living room sewing. Sewing? Oh, is Mommy making you a cute little dress? No, she's mending the rip on Daddy's pool table. (laughs) Oh, oh, I see. Can I talk to my Daddy now? Yes, darling. Phil, it's for you. It's your little daughter. Oh, thanks, Jackson. Hand me the phone. Hello, honey. Hello, hotshot. <laughs> Look, how come you call me while I'm on the air, honey? Well, Mommy made me call. She said I have to tell you I was a bad girl today. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing around the phonograph and I pushed over a whole bunch of records. But, baby, I've told you dozens of times never to go near those recordings. Now, did you break any of them? Yes, I broke 26 records of that's what I like about the town. Oh, honey, that's awful. I broke the mind in the pot that goes ham hocks and turn up greens, you and me and New Orleans, and that's what I like about the South. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, that's my girl that said that. You know, darling, when you were a little tiny baby, I used to sing you to sleep with that song. Uh-huh, I could hardly wait to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you better hang up now, sweetheart. All right. Oh, Daddy, I've been listening to the program, and is Mr. Benny really going to give away $10,000? Yes, darling, I think so. This I gotta see. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll find out. Look, darling, you better hang up now, and remember... Your date, Big Daddy, loves your itty-bitty babykins. <laughs> oh, Daddy, you're so silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, goodbye, honey. Goodbye, hot shot. <laughs> Gee, she must be a cute kid. She certainly is, Jack. I saw the other day at the farmer's market with Alice. They were buying a head of cabbage. Oh, gee, Livy, I wish I hadn't heard that. Now I know what I'm going to get for Christmas. <laughs> A head of cabbage for Christmas? That's ridiculous. No, it ain't. I've got everything else. (laughs) You got a cabbage head, too. (laughs) You know, Phil, I wish I'd had a chance to talk to Alice because I know the perfect gift for Christmas. We know, Don. We know. A carton of Lucky Strike cigarettes. No, Jack. That's not it at all. What? Not a carton of Lucky Strike cigarettes? No, certainly not. 
But, Don, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Oh, I know that, but the way I look at think, it is... Think, man, think. L-S-M-F-T. I can't help it. My mind's made up. But, Don, what could be better for Christmas, for a Christmas gift, than a carbon carton of Lucky Strike cigarettes? Two cartons, one for each stocking. Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. For a minute, I thought I was going to... Yeah, stop looking at your social security. Security. <laughs> You know, it wouldn't hurt if we rehearsed this program. <laughs> Phil, go ahead and play a number, will you? Okay. okay, come on. Beyond the Rainbow from the newest Broadway hit, Are You With It? Played by Phil Harris and his 18 gentlemen. And now, folks... Thanks, Jackson. I'm glad you called my boys gentlemen. Well, I can't call them musicians. (laughs) (laughs) And now, folks... Say, Jack, talking about Are You With It, didn't two of your writers write that show? Yeah. Well, you ought to be proud. What are you mad about? Look, I give them the summer off. They go to New York, write a hit show, come back and make my life miserable. What do you mean, Jack? Every time they come in with a radio script and I happen to say that joke isn't funny, they tear out the page and jam it down my throat. (laughs) They can stop already. I'm getting so round, so firm, so fully (laughs) packed. When they say that's a belly laugh, they're not kidding. Well, Jack, if you feel that way about your writers, why don't you get rid of them? I can't. They've got me signed for two years yet. Oh, well. Uh, Pardon me. How do you spell throat? Schlag, will you please sit down? Now what? Hello? Hello? I'd like to get some information about the contest you talked about last week. Look, fella, I don't know anything about the contest yet. I've got to wait until my press agent gets here. Well, when you get all the dope, will you please call me at MGM? Oh, oh, Metro Goldwyn Mayor? No, Moe's Gypsy Motel. <laughs> Look, just listen in and you'll hear it. Goodbye. Wish people wouldn't bother me in the middle of a show. I'm going to tell the operator not to let any more calls come through. Oh, Mabel, what is it, Gaitrin? 
Look at your switchboard. Mr. Benny's line is flashing. Oh, yeah. I wonder what Lady Esther wants now. <laughs> I'll find out. Yes, Mr. Benny? All right. No more calls unless they're important. What? No, I'm busy tonight. <laughs> Say, Mabel, I wonder what kind of a contest he's going to have. Yeah, I can't imagine Mr. Benny giving away $10,000. Neither can I. I'll bet he marries the winner. <laughs> but supposing a man wins it? If I know Mr. Benny, he'll dress up like Charlie's aunt, have an early ceremony, and make a quick trip to Reno. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet he would. Say, Gertrude, I wonder what Mr. Benny puts on his lips. Why? I went out with them once, kissed them goodnight, and I couldn't open my mouth for three days. <laughs> Why, Mabel Flapsaddle, you just made that up. <laughs> no, Gertrude, it's the truth. Cross my switchboard and hope to dial Van Johnson. <laughs> Gee, Van Johnson, what a face. Two baby blue eyes gazing out through a cluster of beautiful freckles. <laughs> Stop talking about it, my nostrils are twitching. <laughs> You know, Gertrude, he's the answer to... <laughs> National Broadcasting Company. I'm sorry, but Mr. Benny cannot be disturbed. You're welcome. Oh, for heaven's sake. Hello? You had a call, Mr. Benny, but I didn't let them disturb you. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> hmm. That Mabel Flapsaddle is so silly. Hasn't got a brain in her snood. Say, Jack, I wish your press agent Steve Bradley would get here. I I'm kind of anxious to know about that contest. So am I. I can't understand what's keeping... Oh, my goodness. How many times do I have to tell, him, tell that operator to... Look, if you don't stop calling, I won't take you dancing anymore. Oh, boss, come now! <laughs> What? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Now he tells me. What do you want, Rochester? I called to tell you there's been a little excitement here at the house. Excitement? What happened? Well, the milkman turned his truck into our driveway and it got loose from him and ran all over the front yard. Did he hit anything? You know that big willow tree by the house? Yes. Well, it's really got something to weave about now. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Then he bounced off the tree and knocked over the bird bath. The bird bath? Yeah, and I just hung up clean guest house. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it. What else happened? Then he crashed into the front of the house and broke milk bottles all over the place. You mean my front lawn is covered with broken milk bottles? Milk bottles, policemen, and cats. <laughs> Holy smoke, I can imagine what my lawn looks like. Yeah, you ought to see those cats lapping up the milk and spitting out the grass. <laughs> Oh, for heaven's sake. Not only that, a cocker spaniel ran up on the lawn and jumped right into the middle of everything. Good. Did the cocker spaniel chase the cats off? Chase them off. They're using his ears for napkins. <laughs> Rochester, stop being funny. Do you really want me to? No, no. Go on. <laughs> Ma 
Anyway, I don't believe a word of this. It's true, boss. It happened about two hours ago. Well, what's on the lawn now? Broken bottles and fat cats. <laughs> roll them off, and I'll be home right after the broadcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, that is. I never saw anything like it. Every time I leave the house, something happens. What happened now? A delivery truck got loose on my front lawn and broke about a hundred quart bottles. No. No, Jackson. No, no. Phil, it was milk. Oh. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't worry you too much in there. Anyway, when I get home, I've got a lot of things. Oh, come in. Hi, buddy. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Bradley. Steve Bradley. Well, Steve, it's about time you got here. I've been up in the air all week about this contest idea of yours. Now, wait till you hear this. Sit down, everybody. Sit down. Let me do the talking. Now, about this contest, Benny, this is the greatest thing to hit radio since L.S. was introduced to Wayne F.T. <laughs> all right. All right. What is it? Uh, pardon me. How do you spell M.F.T.? Quiet, Sly. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. All right, listen, Benny, and listen carefully. Yes, yes. What's the contest? I'm coming to that. Now, for years, programs have been having contests. They ask the listeners to write letters on why I like this, why I like that, why I like so-and-so, why I like such-and-such. People are tired of that stuff. I got something brand new. Something that people will enjoy. All right, what is it? We're going to ask people all over this country to write in letters in 25 words or less. Yes? Telling us why they can't stand Jack Benny. <laughs> what? Steve. Steve, would you mind repeating that? Gladly. We're going to ask people to write in letters finishing this simple sentence. I can't stand Jack Benny because. Steve. Steve, look at me. Look at me. Have you lost your mind? Have you gone crazy asking people to do that? Why, people like me. They love me. Now, wait a minute, Benny, wait a minute. What? How many people listen to you every Sunday? Well, about... about 30 million. And how many people are there in the United States? Well, about a, a hundred and thirty million. There you are. That means that a hundred million people don't like you. <laughs> what? A hundred million people don't like me? And that's only in this country. <laughs> but, Steve. Steve, you mean to say that a, a hundred million people don't like me? A hundred million and one. <laughs> Huh? Don't let this smile fool you. Slob. How do you spell fool? Sit down. Yes, you Benny, this contest will sweep the nation. But, Steve, gee, I don't mind if people write in letters why they like Jack Benny, but you've got that awful phrase in there, I can't stand Jack Benny. I mean, can't stand is too hard. Hey, Jackson, how about despise? You stay out. <laughs> Mary, Mary, you talk to Steve, will you? Tell him how crazy this whole idea is. I, I can't do a contest like that. Well, wait a minute, Jack. Maybe it's not so bad. At least it's different. But, Mary, all those people saying they can't stand me. Well, look at Fred Allen. He's been saying that for years. <laughs> well, he knows me. I mean... <laughs> I mean, Allen, he should know better. But, Jackson, there are a lot of other people that feel like Fred Allen does. Certainly. Now, this will give them a chance to put down on paper what they've been thinking for 14 years. And for that, 
For that, I should give away $10,000? I've got an old bridge lamp I'm not using. I mean, wouldn't that be... No, no, Benny, it's got to be $10,000. And what's more, it's going to be in victory bonds. Oh. Well, I, I, I like the idea of victory bonds, but... Oh, Mary, I can't go through with a thing like this. Why not, Jack? I think it's a wonderful idea. Me too, Jack. I like it very much. I love it, but it's too easy. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's so horrible. I mean, Steve, give me the details again, will you? All right, listen. People write in letters. I can't stand Jack Benny because, in 25 words or less. Do you think they can get it all in in 25 words? <laughs> Yeah. All right, then I'll write 50 words. 50 words? Well, that lets me out. <laughs> I don't know. This, this sounds so ridiculous. $10,000 for writing a letter. I can't stand Jack Benny because... Jack, put down that pencil. You can't be in it. <laughs> Can't they write it in on dollar bills or something? <laughs> well, if I'm going to give away victory bonds, I've got as much right to try and win as anybody else. Anyway, I'm not going through it. Oh, yes, you are. Go ahead, Wilson. Read that announcement I gave you. But, Steve, see, let's talk it over a little it's more. too late for that. Go ahead, Wilson. Read it. Oh. Okay. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this contest is actually taking place and starts right now. But, Steve... Now, listen look... closely. Here are the details. To enter this contest, all you have to do is write a letter completing this sentence in 50 words or less. I can't stand Jack Benny because... But, Don... $10,000 in victory bonds will be awarded for the letters containing the best stated and most convincing reasons. Mary, do something, will you? Quiet, Jack. I'm taking this down. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. The first prize will be $2,500 in victory bonds. The second prize, $1,500 in victory bonds. The third prize, a $1,000 victory bond. Look. And there are 50 additional prizes of $100 victory <laughs> bonds each. These are all par value bonds. They're worth their face value when you receive them. Look, how can I go through with this? I all mean... letters become the property of Jack Benny, and no letters will be returned. The decision of the judges will be final, and the supreme judge will be the Honorable Fred Allen. <laughs> And his decision will be final. Oh, no. No, I mean, how, how can they do this to me? I'm really a nice guy. I grow flowers. I, I, I pat little kids on the head. I give milk to cats. How can they do this to me? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this contest is open to everybody except the employees of the American Tobacco Company, its agents, the National Broadcasting Company, and Jack Benny's relatives. <laughs> My father will kill me. This is awful. I mean, I... All you have to do is complete this sentence in 50 words or less. I can't stand Jack Benny because... Oh, my God. Then mail your letter to the Jack Benny Contest, Hollywood 28, California. Stop. Remember, the Jack Benny Contest, Hollywood 28, California. This contest is subject to all federal and state laws and regulations. The termination date of the contest will be announced on a subsequent program. Oh, wait a minute, Don. Suppose there's a tie. Yes, Steve, suppose there's a tie. That's impossible, Benny. People can't stand you for different reasons. 
I know. In case of a tie, duplicate prizes will be awarded. Duplicate prizes? <laughs> Mary, do- Phil, say something. Okay, play, boys. I ought to have my head examined. How do you spell examine? Oh, sit down. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thousands of thoughtful and grateful Americans are giving Christmas presents to hospitalized servicemen this year. There's one important thing to think of in selecting a gift. It should be appropriate. How can we determine what's appropriate and what isn't? By consulting the camp and hospital committee of your local Red Cross chapter. They'll tell you what types of gifts will best fit the needs of the men. And please remember, if you're mailing the present... Do it by December 10th or earlier, if possible. Jack Thank Benny you. will be back in just a minute, but first, here is my good friend, L.A. Speed Riggs. In a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. That's it. L-S-M-F-T. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. The finer, the lighter, the naturally milder Lucky Strike tobacco. You said it. L-S-M-F-T. This fine Lucky Strike tobacco means real deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. The famous tobacco auctioneers heard on tonight's program are Mr. F.E. Boone of Lexington, Kentucky. At 49, out of 49, American. And Mr. L.A. Speed Riggs of Goldsboro, North Carolina. And this is Basil Risedale for Lucky Strike. L.S.M.F.T. L.S.M.F.T. L-S-M-F-T. It takes fine tobacco to make a fine cigarette. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Phil. Phil, I'll let rub his wrist while you pour that cold water on his forehead. Okay. Oh. He's coming around, Phil. Do you feel better, Jack? Yes, I guess so. Say, look, Jackson, 3,000 letters came in yesterday telling why they couldn't stand you. That's my regular fan mail. That don't count. <laughs> Mary, I'm too weak. You say it. Okay. Good night, everybody. Thanks. Don't delay, folks. Write those letters tonight. Finish the sentence, I can't stand Jack Benny because, in 50 words or less. And mail it to the Jack Benny Contest, Hollywood 28, California. This is the National Broadcasting Company. December 10th, no, December 2nd, 1945. Uh, The Jack Benny Program, this is the second of, how many did we say, 11 or 13, John? Do you remember? I don't. Of the I Can't Stand Jack, which we played before here and on Same Time, Same Station. This is the second program. And it's the first program that we have, and I believe that actually features Janine Roos. Uh, at least it's the first one that I saw in Golden, but I think that's true. I think this is the very first one. Walden, are you there? I am, Larry. How about you? You are sort of there. I heard a he little... Got, he got a new cord, so it's hoping that doesn't... Uh, we'll see. I, I got a new cord, but I'm wondering if I got to go get a new mic itself. I don't so. know, uh, but I did hear a little bit of fuzziness. <laughs> 
You know what that sounds like? Mario Brothers with that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, what is that? Uh, that game. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Oh, I forgot what it's called now. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Nintendo. Nintendo. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And we used to love those. I used to. Well, I've still got those sound effects because we used to use those under our announcements for the week on same time, oh, same station. Oh, we should bring Remember? them back by popular demand. There's not, nobody pays attention. Who cares? Yeah. They don't care. So you know why? Why go to the effort? Well, Lakers won. They came back in the fourth quarter. Oh my gosh, a great game. Yeah. Beat San Antonio. Angels lost. And I'm trying to get – I got to get Alexa on my, on my iPhone. We haven't talked about that on the air yet. Okay, but I've got to get it as an iPhone app because that's the only way we can set it up. We're going to finally make take the plunge and buy Alexa. So you come here and sit and chat. We're going to buy the uh, Alexa um, – We're going to buy the Alexa Echo eventually, probably tomorrow or, or Monday. So the only way we can set it up without any visual help is to go get the app, and then we on can the set phone. it up on, and do it on the phone. And that's what my friend uh, across the street did. They just, it, when you got the instruction manual set up through the, through the app. So. Well, the instruction manual we can get as a PDF online too. Sure. Mm-hmm. I was telling well, you, it's built into the app too. I, I was telling John another cool feature is all the music you ever bought through Amazon – yeah, it it already knows, so it has a building library inside Amazon oh, for cool. you. Yeah, I, I've got music that I bought. I've got Bob and Ray stuff I bought, and I forgot what else. And you can set it up. You can show it how to go listen to uh, maybe uh, internet stations that it, it aren't uh, aren't necessarily a part of it from the very beginning. Oh, I don't. I I think yesterday USA is, is a part of is, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what it is, it takes it from iTunes. It takes it from TuneIn. Any station that any podcast, any radio station that's in tune in or in, and the iHeart platform. Somebody was saying iHeart might be uh, 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 headed toward bankruptcy. Yep. Yeah, most likely. I mean, they've been a billion dollars. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. You know. I'll be back. I gotta this. No, but because I don't have iHeart. I mean, I've got iHeart, but I'm not subscribed to anything through iHeart. Mm-hmm. I'm subscribed at a for a bat. Through MLB, right, and then through NBA, I've got the NBA Audio League pass, but I don't think I can make get those to play under yes, Alexa. Right? Yes, you can. How do you do that? Because you know? um, <laughs> Alexa asked me, "Do you have MLB?" So if it, if it already knows if you have it, um, it'll 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 have you set up through the app. You could also make phone calls if you wanted to. You can walk by and get, and call anybody you want through through Alexa. Oh, and, yeah, and I know you can tell Alexa to turn the lights on and off, which would Correct. be cool because then we don't have to think, like, did I turn it off or did I did I leave it on? Right. You know? yeah, Alexa will do that for you. And you could get her to do the st- – ooh, we could get her. I could turn off the apartment complex <laughs> sprinklers in there. <laughs> That's, That's true. That's <laughs> true. That's true. That may be fun. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty amazing. And they're building new things every week. And so yes. you get you get the updates via my email, what, what other things. You get the news. You know, give the, the weather. It's just like your smartphone. It's not as smart as your smartphone, but it's really coming coming strong. And uh, so it, it's, it's amazing what the features are. But the, yeah, and, and, you know, they're, they're in direct competition with Google. Uh, who has, you know, that's another smart one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new iPod, the uh, Apple Pod is 
pretty much Siri, and that's Siri's a distant third with regard to being uh, a smart personal personal assistant. Right, but they think this is going to be a new revelation for the radio industry. I mean, it, all the articles I'm reading in Radio World is geared to the, the smart speakers right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Radio stations. Oh, my chair just dropped. Radio stations are going to have a tough time competing. Well, actually, what it's almost done. It's allowed internet radio stations to be on the same platform as AM and FM station. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And Anytime you want them. To find Yesterday USA, you got to say Yesterday USA Radio Red or Yesterday USA Radio Blue. And they'll play it that way. And I'm assuming uh, uh, we just said Alexa will do it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Google probably will, too, if you have a Google. Yeah, if long as uh, Google goes to tune in. Um, yeah. And then uh, also our podcasts, uh, two of our podcasts are up there. That social plays. Any of your podcasts that you like to listen to, um, it'll play it for you. So I almost every day I like to listen to uh, Buster Olney's baseball podcast. So it's, it's always oh, yeah. it's always really nice to get it, get it that way. And you know the the Angels have one too through MLB. Ah, okay. So you'll be able to get access to that. I just found that one. Yeah, they come out every. They've been up there for over a year. But um, they come out every week to 10 days or so. Mm-hmm. It's called Los Angeles Angels, something like that. I forget. I'll have to get the exact title if you ever want to subscribe. But, it's, sure. you know, they run about 10, 12 minutes. And uh, now they're talking about spring training. And once the season begins, they'll do game wrap-ups and talk to various people and so forth. So they're not long, but uh, they keep you up to date with what the team is doing. Anyway, as I was telling uh, John before, and you don't have to keep. You don't have to know what you bought. Whether you bought any music or anything through Amazon, the files will all be in your library, so it'll just play it for you. It's pretty amazing how the, that's even built in. So, yeah, I, I know I purchased some Disney-related CDs, so I might be. I'll. I'll just have to. Maybe Alexa can tell me what, what's in the library. That's probably it. Will it will? Yeah, I don't remember. I, or I can go up there on the website and look at it. Sure. Too, I guess. Sure. Sure. So. Yeah, more fun, more things to play with <laughs> when I have a chance. Uh, that's true. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one is our number. Larry is away. John and I are here. Larry's around. He's just trying to get his his uh, Alexa app installed, <laughs> and uh, have, having trouble with the password for some reason. I'm not sure why. Huh. Well, anything else you got? You gonna buy them all? No, no, that's no, it. Tomorrow pretty much is laundry day until we go out to dinner. Okay, okay. So you're gonna order? You're gonna order the Amazon Echo through and have it shipped directly to the house? Is that the game plan? Oh yeah, through. Yeah, I've got Prime, so might as yeah. well. It's amazing. We were at Best Buy and we bought a brand new scanner slash printer slash combo today, and most everybody's doing. They didn't have it in stock, so almost everybody's doing it free mail. You know. They'll get shipped directly to the house at no charge. It's pretty mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Yes, it is. Well, maybe we should go to the interview that you did back in 1985. Can you imagine, John? This was only 33 years ago. It is really amazing. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it, it just seems like yesterday. <laughs> and this was the, actually the second Spurvac convention. And this particular one was a one-day convention on a Sunday. 
Right. And I guess we couldn't get the week. We couldn't get Saturday. I'm not too sure what the, what the story. Why we we only Saturday get, was more expensive. Yeah, Saturday was more expensive. Is that so the we deal? Just had the one day. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you had three people on your panel. You remember who they were, John? Well, I know we had Janine Roos. Mm-hmm. I think we had one of the writers. You did. Um. And I was Carlton there or not? No, on, it was strictly the Phil Harris panel. Phil Harris, Alex. Oh, I'm panel. sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, he, was at the he was at the convention, so it would have been was uh was it might have been Ann Whitfield too? Right, it was Ann and Janine and Janine and Ray Singer. Right, and you had some recordings. You had oh, we had Phil Harris. Right. So, and I guess you could, and I guess Phil uh. Alex was getting ready to go overseas, and I guess Phil was visiting a friend, so just he couldn't get Phil and Alex to make the trip over to. Uh, Phil, uh, Phil well, he had a friend who was very ill mm-hmm. in the hospital, and so he was uh, getting ready to go visit him. So, right. and it it conflicted with our weekend. So, and you know, we never did get a chance to sit down and talk to him, unfortunately. Which would have been really nice, better than you guys cap yeah. if you could have pulled. But that other off. people did, so yeah. you know that's okay. Yeah. So we're going to go back to only 33 years ago, 1985, and as John put this together. So we'll be back, and I think it runs about an hour, if I recall. So Sounds we'll be right. back. Nothing that I know of now. All right, it's time again to get things underway. By the way, score at halftime is 13-7 Rams for those who are interested or, or have bets on the game. I uh, want to remind you of a quick uh, correction in the program today. The escape recreation of Country of the Blind is from 3.30 to 4.30. Uh, the program says 3 o'clock, so you might make that change in your program. Or if you want to hang around between 3 and 3.30, you know, do whatever you want. My name is John Gassman, for the, uh, by the way, that's the minor part of uh, the announcement today. We have a, an interesting hour planned for you. One of the most popular shows on the air was the Phil Harris Alice Faye radio program. And uh, I think we've got a very representative group of people from that particular cast. And I think we'll introduce everybody first of all, and then we'll have a quick excerpt of the show. Uh, which is which is kind of a funny excerpt. On my right, sounds like I'm introing a boxing match, doesn't it? <laughs> In that corner, we have uh, a young lady who played the part of Phyllis, one of the Harris Faye daughters on the radio program. She was with us last night, and we're very fortunate to have her back again uh, today. Anne Whitfield. <laughs> and, of course, sitting next to her... Uh, Alice, a little Alice, as they called her, at least for a while, on the Phil Harris Alice Faye radio program, complete with the flu, Janine Roos. And the well, uh, by the way, uh, if either of you have guests in the audience today, I, I forgot to ask yeah. you that in a, uh, before that. Okay, Ray, do you have anybody? Yes. You do? Okay, good. I'll let you make that introduction. Uh, one of the fine writers on the Phil Harris Alice Faye radio program is here. He was with us, uh, I think, about five years ago. Some of you may have been 
at the, it must have been the old church when uh, the Spirit Rack meeting took place five years ago and we uh, uh, had a chance to learn an awful lot about the, the career of Ray Singer. Well, Ray is here again to talk about the Phil Harris Hallis facial. Ray Singer. <laughs> and you have a guest, Ray. So you want to go ahead and make that introduction? Oh, yes, I'd like to introduce my wife and my son, John, sitting over there. Would you stand up, please? All right. Uh, before we go any further, we have uh, a quickie excerpt, which I think we might want to play. This, is, uh, this features specifically Phil Harris and Alice Faye, but even more specifically, uh, and Whitfield and Janine Roos. It, it was about November 20th of 1949. I did that without even looking at the paper. Gee, I'm excited. Uh, that You're amazing. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Here, you can read. <laughs> um, oh, I don't do that. I'll, in case I need a date from now on here, I'll ask you to look it up there, Ann. Uh, okay. In this particular brief excerpt, uh, Phyllis gets a screen test, and uh, it features Ann and Janine and Phil and Alice. So let's listen to that brief excerpt from the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. Oh, ain't this wonderful? I don't know. Phyllis? Does he want little Alice, too? No, he just wants me. Oh, Phil, this isn't so good. It might have an effect on little Alice. Well, why? She ain't gonna begrudge your sister a picture career. She ain't no ham. We'll soon find out. There she is. Alice! Alice, come over here, dear. Are you calling homely little no-talent me? Don't talk like that. I'm sorry this happened. Oh, don't fret about me, Mother. I don't mind not being a movie star. I'll join the French Foreign Legion or something. <laughs> now, look, baby. You were very good in the play, too. Wasn't she, Phyllis? Yes, Mommy. In fact, I, I think she was just as good as you were. Don't you, Phyllis? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Now, wait a minute, Phyllis. You just wait a minute. I think she was just as good, too. And Alice? Now, look, baby Alice, I don't want no jealousy in this family. Now, shake your sister's hand and wish her luck. Very well. Good luck, Phyllis, dear. Thanks, Alice. I'm sorry it couldn't be you, but... Oh, Mommy, she's trying to break my hand! Uh, let go. Shame on you, trying to hurt your sister. She's just jealous because I'm prettier. You are not. I am, too. You are not. I am, too. Hey, your father used red curlers. <laughs> oh, that's telling her baby father. Wait a minute. I'm her father, and I do not. Do any... Do any... Take three. Do any of you remember that at all? Uh-uh. No? No? <laughs> Ray, do you remember writing that, Ray? I don't really remember that too no. well. Of course, no. it was 30 some odd years ago. <laughs> we should have picked that. one that you remember. Uh, I, I tell you, I should have brought the Christmas show yes, with me. Yes, we all remember that. I'm yeah. sorry yeah. I didn't bring that because that involved the two girls and it was a beautiful, wonderful show. Yeah. We did it six times, as a matter of fact. We repeated it. I'm sorry I didn't we bring it with me. We got it right by the sixth time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have uh, one more introduction that we'd like to make. Uh, Phil Harris had planned to be here, 
and uh, was very nice and did a quick little tape for us, and we'd like to play that right now. So here is Phil Harris on the phone. I just want to tell all you nice people that are in the audience and uh, also uh, some of my cast that were nice enough to show up that Alice and I are terribly sorry that we can't be there, but these things happen and it just happens that Alice right now has a thing that she does a certain amount of days a week with the uh, Pfizer pharmaceutical people and she has to be in New York and then in fact the matter is she's going, we're very proud of her, she's going over to England to do a command performance for the Queen this month. So. She was too busy, and I just got back from Laredo, Texas, and find out that a very close friend of mine is in bad shape in the hospital, and I'm leaving to go down there with him. But I do want to thank Janine Roos and Ann Whitfield and, and Ralph Singer and, uh, and any of them that do show up, and uh, it's a great honor for me, and, and I want to thank John and everybody that helped put it together, but it at this particular time, it just happens that it's impossible for me to show up, and I'm I'm terribly sorry, but, well, that's, what can I say? But I want to thank you nice people for showing up, and I hope you have a very pleasant evening, because repeating myself, and I'm sure that Alice feels the same way, it's an honor to have John and his cohorts uh, put this thing together, and we're very flattered and, and very thankful. And I hope you have a very pleasant evening. Thank you, Phil. I'd like to thank Sam Harris. Oh, what's his name? Well, we'll send him a tape. And <laughs> All right. Well, what we really want to do, and eventually we're going to open this thing up for questions for those of you who uh, have questions. And uh, we, we think that some of the dialogue we'll hear today we'll uh, bring about some of those questions. Uh, I'm specifically interested, uh, first of all, with the, the, invent, uh, the advent of the daughters into Phil Harris's life. I know in 1945, during the Benny Show, the daughters were first introduced, and I, I think it was October, November 45, something like that. And I'm wondering if either of you were in the roles of, of the daughters on the Benny Show. I was, yes. Ah, okay. That was the first, uh, first show I ever did. First radio show you ever did? Yes. Uh -huh. Now, did he just? Did they just use uh, your character, or did they bring Anne in as well? No, I think I was I was the only one that was on the Benny show and did that for two years, and then Phil uh, split <coughs> off his show, and that at that time they brought Anne in, as I recall. Now, the, the, that was for the Fitch uh, shampoo show, right? Yes, the Fitch bandwagon. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And of course, in real life, Phil Harris has had his own daughters, and they never did any. Uh, Theatrical or radio work at all, or do you know? Absolutely not. Hmm. They uh, very much kept their daughters out of the limelight. In fact, Anne and I just met their daughters for the first time a year ago, back in November uh, when there was a filming of This Is Your Life. So it was the first time to encounter these these two girls that we had played for so many years, and it, it was really weird. <laughs> I would imagine, obviously, that the, their characters were very much fictionalized for the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. Well, we really don't have any way of knowing, yeah. but Janine and I observed that 
Whereas on the radio show, it seemed that Phyllis took after Phil more in being kind of brash and loud and, and outspoken and funny, and Alice was quieter in, in our characters on the radio show. We observed, as, as adults at least, that Alice was the more extrovert and Phyllis was the more uh, quiet, shy kind of person. Okay. I could have just said we have some feedback into the mic. I figured I'd say it quietly. Anyway. <laughs> Wait a minute. And tell them they have some feedback. <laughs> uh, Ray, did you begin working with the, the show at, at, uh, during the Fitch days? Well, my partner, Dick Chevrolet, who unfortunately passed away last year, and I <clears throat> started on the show the second year. We were on it the first year and uh, they didn't have the Frank Remley character on the first year. And we took over and we made a change, which I think was a very important change at the time. Uh, what they did the first year, they used Phil as the same character that he was on the Jack Benny show, this drunken uh, mm. uh, wow. bum who would stumble home and uh, chase after women. Well, having a family, people wouldn't accept that from a married man. So what we did, we brought the character of Remley in and he took over mm. the, uh, the activities of Phil. He, he was the one who was drinking and uh, well, Phil also was, kept drinking. But we had Phil uh, almost like the little boy who was trying to, to uh, fool his mother, his Alice, mm. yes. trying to go along with, with, with Remley. And as a result of which we had the comedy between the two of them. So you toned but him down a little bit. We toned him down uh -huh. considerably mm -hmm. as a result, he was a family man, which people accepted. They wouldn't accept the other thing. And as a result of that, the ratings started going up and uh, everything seemed to go along well. And uh, we had a wonderful time. I must say, for me, it was six <coughs> of the happiest years of my life. It was just wonderful. The question that comes out of that, at least for me, is did you notice any discernible difference in the characterization when he went back to the Benny Show based on your writings? Not really. No, no they just no, they, so, kept, they kept him that way. So it was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. At 4 o'clock he was loud, and at 4, 4.30... <laughs> well, we didn't change him right, that much. That we much, kept right. him drinking, sure. you know, but, right. but we, we, we calmed him down a bit. Mm -hmm. Did uh, I'm, I'm interested how both of you and, well, I should, I, how Janine and, and how both of you started in, in radio and how you decided that it was something you wanted to do. You want to flip a coin to see you answer the Well, how can you decide that when you're seven years old? Right, right. Um, your mother decides that you're very talented and uh, makes extraordinary leaps of dreams, not even faith, but dreams, and the doors open, namely for me in the person of Carlton Morse. It was just an incredible piece of timing that a character, a little girl my age, happened to be being introduced to one man's family the very month that I arrived in Los Angeles. <clears throat> uh, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, that's how I began on radio, and I think the Phil Harris show was auditioning little girls to play Phyllis um, the second year that I was active and perhaps uh, my little southern accent that was remaining that you some of you might have picked up even in 1949 uh, was part of what 
attracted them to me because, of course, Phil was from the South and his theme song was That's What mm -hmm. I Like About the South. Anyway, that's, I, I, I got the part of Phyllis by auditioning. How about you, Janine? Well, I'd have to ditto what Anne said in terms of I never really made a decision uh, to do that, but uh, I had been uh, involved in the Meglin Kitties. I'm sure many of you remember that group that was in Los Angeles. We'd go around and perform. And the group that I was involved in contained a number of people who uh, eventually became uh, stars, Jill St. John and uh, the other names escape me at the moment. but. So there was a lot of uh, involvement among the mothers sharing auditions and tryouts and everything. So Jack Benny had uh, sent out a call for people to audition for Phil Harris's daughter. My mother heard about it, took me down there, and I read and uh, got the part. So it was just uh, a month before my eighth birthday that I hmm. started. So. <clears throat> But talking about the eighth birthdays, I have I haven't seen Anne since 1953, so you can imagine how I feel about seeing it. And uh, I ran into Janine a few years ago, and uh, in a market. Yes. But uh, I can't I can't really tell you how it, how how I feel seeing these girls after all these years. They were just children at the time, and now they're grown women with their own children, and. Uh, Makes me feel a little old, too. <laughs> it's wonderful seeing you girls. Thank you. Thank Same you. here. Did you have any, uh, when you wrote the characters, Ray, of, of Phyllis and uh, little Alice? Oh, I'll get it before we get out of here today. Yeah. Uh, did you have any particular ideas in mind as to how you wanted, or did Phil have anything to say with how they were written? How no, did that generally work no. out? Phil and Alice were wonderful. <laughs> Dick and I wrote the show. We wrote it the way we saw it. We rewrote it the way we saw it. He didn't bother us, didn't interfere, didn't tell us what to do. We didn't work for Phil, we worked with him. He was a wonderful guy to work for and a wonderful person. So uh, anything that, was, that you heard on the show was, was our ideas, actually. Uh, Phil, naturally, and the, and the performers performed it and they did just a tr tr tremendous job. They were wonderful performers. You have to have both elements in there, both the writing and the performance. One can't do without the other. But uh, Phil did not uh, hmm. interfere with anything. He was just a He learned that from Benny. Jack didn't bother his writers. Jack listened to his writers. He used to, in fact, he used to work with them, but Phil didn't. But uh, he learned to leave it, leave it up to his writers. And thank goodness for that. It made our job much easier, much more pleasant. By the way, any time you have something to say, you go ahead and break right in. It doesn't have to be question answer or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, no, I can't think of what the heck the question was I was going to ask. Huh? <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Did you do, uh, either one of you do any or take any ad-libbing license at all, or did you stick pretty much to the scripts when your characters came in? We didn't ad-lib, did we? No, the scripts no, were too no. good. Uh -huh. <laughs> There was no reason to ad-lib. <laughs> Good. Uh, uh, we have, I'm sure, some questions from the audience. We want to intersperse those as we go along. And if anyone has a question. That... Yes. True Boardman. Oh, good. yeah, I forgot to mention the True Boardman, prolific radio writer. It says that here right on my wrist. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it is here. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. Can you walk up to a mic, True? 
We have audience mics out there for those who have questions, so that everyone can hear the questions. I wouldn't like to be accused. Wouldn't like to be accused of making any mistake like Phil Harris did, because I one thing I was always too fond of his wife Alice Foy. <laughs> and uh, thanks, George. From uh, from the radio days, I I well remember Jane Whitfield and Ann Rose. <laughs> Matter of fact, getting serious, I'm a little unhappy to have Ann say that she got her first job with Carl Cadell. I always thought I'd given it to her. <laughs> this girl, now I didn't happen to work with Janine, but I did with Ann a number of times, and this was the most enchanting, charming, outgoing, and able child in seven or eight or whatever she was you possibly can imagine. My shows, I think, with her were not comedy shows, uh, but... She had the gift for comedy, but she also had the gift for soul stuff, which I'm sure she still has. Thank you. Uh, as far as the Phil Harris show is concerned, my personal relationship with it, I really only wrote one show for Alice and Phil, and I think the girls too. And it was under these circumstances. For two years in the summer, I was writing, producing, and directing a show for Pat O'Brien, <laughs> never forget, for Pat O'Brien, called the Dan Carson Story. And we had a pretty good first summer. The second summer, we were getting even better ratings. And we were holding our, our breath that the show would go on and keep on for the same sponsor for the winter, for Rexall. All of a sudden, we get news <laughs> that the Alice Faye <laughs> and Phil Harris show is going to go on for the winter. So, and you face the facts, that's the way it was. So the last show that I wrote for the series was a show that introduced Phil and Alice. So that was my one contact with the, wow. that show. And it was a combined show. It was the Nan Carson story with the Phil Harris show. It went on to be very successful, as it always was. I, uh, I bow to all of those who were involved, and I am delighted to again see Anne, and of course, the other gentleman up there whose name I remember so well, you know, Joe Ray Singer. <laughs> Harry. 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 Ray Harris. And I have, we continue to see each other through the years, and I hope we'll for many years more. I congratulate Spairdvac on the whole operation this weekend, and I am glad to be able to be a part of this particular gathering. Great. We have uh, additional questions here. There's a gentleman in the back. Commercial here while he gets to a microphone. <laughs> Do a Rexall commercial for us. Uh, what's your name? Was uh, Frankie Ramley a real person? Yes, oh, yes, 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 he was. He was the, gu the guitar player. Yes. And they were very old, old friends. And uh, he was a hell of a guy. He was wonderful. He used to sit there, he used to laugh his head off <laughs> during the show. In fact, he used to hear his laugh very often. He enjoyed it very much. He was well, very close to Jack Benny. They used to take many trips together. And, uh, they put the microphone right in front of him, remember, Ray, so that he would kind of almost lead the laugh. That's right, yeah, he did. He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot Lewis played the part, and he did such a wonderful job. His timing was just unbelievable. Did Remley play the part in the first show? <coughs> never. No. no, he never did. No, no, he, he wasn't an actor. Ah. He was, he was he a left-handed guitar, guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> he was a guitar player, yeah. 
and laugh. Now, was he then? Was he a, a member of that world famous band that had uh, was accused of having dirty a dirty laugh? Uh, I don't know where I read that somewhere. What is, is that? that? I don't the, know. Maybe I was during rehearsals. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know what you're talking about. Anyway, okay, good. And there's somebody yeah, in the back. There's somebody over there. Over there. This is to concur with a true statement of Anne's acting abilities and other roles, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I'm fortunate to have heard you, and if you have gumble travels with John Dana, and your roles were just excellent. Uh, getting off the Harris show for just a quick second, did uh, you have any thoughts or memories on that radio series and the parts that you played and the enjoyment of them? Um, I'm sorry, I, d I have <clears throat> trouble distinguishing between have gun and gun smoke. And, uh, but I did enjoy all those westerns very much and, and all the other shows too. It was, it was really a lot of fun because uh, you got to play in so many different situations, so many different characters and different dialects and different ages and sometimes I'd do a little boy and sometimes I'd do a little girl and sometimes a cat, sometimes a dog, sometimes an old woman. <laughs> I once saw... Uh, I won the part of a cat from Jerry Hausner, who was a professional <laughs> cat man. <clears throat> this was on my favorite husband, the Lucille Ball radio show, and there was a tag on the show where there was this very aggressive tomcat wailing in the moon in the alley downstairs, keeping them awake, and Jerry could only do pussy cats. <laughs> <laughs> And Lucy said, you know, she was in desperation because the show was about to go on. She said, can't anybody do a tomcat? And I said, and she said, that's great, you'll do it. So I did it. I have a question for Ralph. <laughs> Ralph? Yes, dear. Uh, <laughs> th this question is aimed at you. I, I had heard, and I wanted to clear up a rumor that either somebody made up or that I heard somewhere that uh, Elliot Lewis wasn't on the entire run of the Phil Harris Alice Faye. I guess for whatever reason he left. And someone said that that they changed the the character name and that somebody else took over the the Remley character. Is that true? And can you Not while I was on. No. No, he wasn't on oh. the first year. Was we, we, right. we didn't write it. Right. He may they might possibly made a change in the last year. The show you know was on eight was. years, and we were on for six years. No, it, you got it kind of backwards. Uh, That's Larry. why I said Rem somebody may have made that I, up. That's why no, the rumor that. was that they they didn't use the name Remley after a oh, while, and they right. called it after they called the character Elliot. Yeah, that was yeah, the rumor, right. but I don't know whether that's... Do you oh, I think I know what happened there. Okay. I, I think that Phil and, and, and the real Remley had a slight falling out at the time, and Remley didn't uh, want him to use his name, so they just used Elliot. What, did they have any kind of springboard uh, to, or transition which would enable people to understand what was going on in terms of all of a sudden the I same character? I, I don't know. I wasn't yeah. on the show at the time. Oh, I see. Uh, okay. That was the last year. Uh, we'll call Elliot and ask him then. Mm. Did, Unfortunately, he's not with us. I don't know if you mentioned that, John. Elliot Lewis is snowed under with work. He is the story editor for Remington Steel and uh, has tried to be with us and wanted to be with us uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately can't make it. And unfortunately, the same thing is true of Gail Gordon, uh, who wanted to be here. And of course, he was Mr. Scott on the show. Okay. Another great character. Yeah. Uh, may I say... I, Gail has been an old, old friend of mine. He's appeared on many shows which I've written, including the Here's Lucy show. He played the uh, co-star Lucy. 
and he's just a great, great performer. Absolutely, mm -hmm. he's unbelievable, and a wonderful man too. While we're talking about people who couldn't be with us, uh, Walter Scharf, the musical director for the show, uh, had planned on being with us as well, and had to be in New York this particular weekend. So. That's also unfortunate. We ran into some bad luck, but we got to get some good luck too in getting Janine Ann and, and Ray Singer to be with us Ralph. today. <laughs> I'll get it right someday. I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you was there ever an attempt to bring the Phil Harris Alice Faye show to television? Yes. Dick and I tried desperately, but Phil just didn't want to work that hard, and neither, <coughs> pardon, neither did Alice. There was a great difference between working on, for actors working on radio and working on television. <clears throat> Pardon me, radio just came in and read, read it right off the page. And you had one or two rehearsals, but in television you have to rehearse. You have to learn your part. You have to learn the role. You can't, you can't have, a, have a script in front of you. So he just didn't want to work that hard. We wanted so badly to get because they could have been another Lucy. Lucy and Desi would have been a big hit, but we couldn't get him to do it. Hmm. You, Oh, sorry, go right ahead. <clears throat> Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi. This is a thrill for me. I think Anne knows what I'm going to say. I had the privilege <laughs> of meeting Anne last night. It's been so many years, and the name has stuck in my mind and memory for too many years to even tell you all. <laughs> um... I did my first radio show when I was about 11 years old, and it was a Jack Benny show on an Easter Sunday. And um, out of that experience, I was asked to read for the part of Phyllis in the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. And um, what happened was, they did, when they gave me the call to tell me that I didn't get the part, they had said the only reason was I was a couple years older than the girl they had in mind. And of course, Anne was the right age, and she got the part and did an incredible job. And Janine, of course, you too. I don't remember whether we'd ever met. Um, it's possible. And Ray, I don't know if we ever met. What is your name again? Dear? Joan Delmar. I don't recall. I'll see you later, but what you call your face. <laughs> I never forget a pretty face. Thank you very much. Anyway, this is a really mom great, great moment to recall the wonderful job you both did. Thank you. Thank you. First off, Ralph. Uh, Thank you for some of the, the best comedy writing to come out of radio. It's a terrific show. Uh, writing is such a mysterious process to most of us. How did you and your partner go about creating a script? Did you work uh, a couple of weeks in advance, or was it you know Sunday night as soon as the show was over? Let's think of another one. Well, the show was over on Sunday. We used to take Monday off to spend with our families. We had to spend some time with them. Uh, Dick and I always kept office hours. We were one of the few teams, few writers that did that. We started about nine in the morning, finished at five, and we got home, spent time with our families. We, we didn't want to just lose them. Uh, the, the show was over on Sunday. We took Monday off, and then Tuesday we'd come in and we'd sit down, we'd kick around some ideas and premises. Sometimes we'd throw 
five, six, seven, ten, fifteen premises out. So we hit hit on one. Then we hit on it, and we started at the top of the page. It's the two of us, and we went down to the bottom of the page. He went to the next page. We kept going. That's how that's how we did it. And we did this week after week. I mean, it was just one of those things. And uh, it was our business. It was our job. So we just did it. Most of us have the image of uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. You know the the. Uh, writers sitting around the room tossing yeah, out mm -hmm. ideas. Did you uh, take parts, uh, bounce lines back and forth for you know each character? Did uh, mm -hmm. somebody play Phil and somebody Alice or uh, for a yeah, while? Yeah, we used to bounce it. We used to do that, bounce it back and forth. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Ray, we had a reading on what Friday night, uh, and then we did the show. Yeah, Friday. Yes, it's Friday, and we do we did a rewrite Friday night and. Uh -huh. And Saturday, and we come in Sunday, and with uh, new scripts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we do this, do the rehearsal, that one rehearsal, a dress rehearsal, and then we do the show. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So you had from Tuesday to Friday to get a whole new show That's every right. week, half mm -hmm. hour show. Yeah, it's we stayed about a week ahead, wow. and, we, and we'd have a reading of the, of the of the new script. Remember, we have a reading of the new script same on a Friday. Uh huh. Remember that? Right. Mm -hmm. You mean for the following week? For the following week. Follow? Oh. Yeah, we read that. Then, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, it, took us, it took us about four days, four and a half days to write a script. But we were lucky because we had no interference from Phil and Alice. Today, in television, most writers have a terrible job because everybody interferes. Everybody has something to say, and they rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and you can't possibly get a script out in one week. It's impossible. What about interference from uh, network people? We never had that. Phil, Phil was a buffer. We had, as a matter of fact, we had an advertising man come in one day and complained about something. Phil threw him out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Are such things as transcriptions available today? Does anybody have a? Oh uh, yes, I think Spurvak has some too, and uh, Pacific Pacific Pioneer broadcasters have some too. Would there be fifty-two of them? I don't know how many they have. I really don't know. We, we, well, we did, uh, Dick and I did about 250 over the years. They must be you said Pacific Pioneers do Pacific have them. Pioneers have them, yes. Mm -hmm. And Spurvac has them, too. You can probably get it from Spurvac. It talks well, I don't think we have that many discs of this particular show, at least not 52 of them. Mm -hmm. um, don't know what to tell you about that. That's asking the question is Charles Michelson, who has syndicated radio programs on, uh, well, you hear him on KNX and uh, a long time ago, KFI. Been doing it for years, and he came by to see what was happening today. So, um, I was going to ask uh, Janine Roos if you have any specific memories of, a, of, of the Phil Harris Alice Bay show in, in particular that you might want to talk about. Well, the, the one memory that stands out in my mind was when there was a rewrite right at the end right just before we went on the air. That didn't happen too often, but it was, they were doing the warm up and I was handed a change in a couple of lines. When I got up in front of the audience to read these lines, I just botched them up horribly. <laughs> Stood there and, and Phil looked at me and he said, what's the matter, baby Alice? Do you have mashed potatoes in your mouth? <laughs> I, <st> <laughs> I felt like saying, yes, you <laughs> know. But that's the, the one time that, uh, that was the most embarrassing moment that uh, I remember for me on the show. I, uh, you know, after, after doing it for so many years, the, the years sort of blend together. I just remember it was, it was a very 
compatible group of people, um, beings slightly younger than most of them. Um, I felt like a kid who was growing up with a whole bunch of uh, nice, warm adults in my life. And uh, <coughs> it was an experience that uh, I am very glad to have had. It's taken me a while to really incorporate it in my adult life, but uh, I'm very happy to have had the experience. That brings up an interesting question because both of you did a lot of work as child actors and I wonder how that affected your, your regular daily life in terms of going to school and other things that kids do. How did you divide up your time? How did you work out the time to do all of those things? Well, I always went to uh, regular school, regular, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, and then <clears throat> had singing lessons, dancing lessons, ballet lessons, piano, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have too much free time to get into mischief. Um, and then when I went to college, I totally dropped out of the business. So how did you? Yeah. Well, I went to public school except for one year when I went to Hollywood Professional School and I didn't like it at all, so I returned to public school. But I was always being pulled out uh, for shows and rehearsals and stuff and I, I felt that my, my childhood was, uh, my activities were quite curtailed by my profession, you know, I, it was just impossible to do both. Even though I went to public school, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be on drill team, I couldn't be in uh, student politics or any of those things that I would have liked to have been. But of course, I had other advantages that were unique. So I was, and then when I did the One Man's Family television show when it was a soap opera for 58 weeks, when I was a junior and senior in high school, of course, I couldn't attend at all, and I had a tutor. But. Uh, I guess I participated more, I certainly participated more in, an, in my normal uh, growing up activities than the movie kids did. Hmm. And we were lucky mm. in that because radio didn't take that much time. Did either of you get a chance to do movies? I did uh, maybe three or four growing up. Uh, the biggest movie I ever did was when I was 15. It was White Christmas with Bing Crosby and... Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney. Hmm. And then a rather famous, almost cult Western that I did was called uh, The Gunfighter with Gregory Peck when I was about 10, but I had a little eeny beeny part. Then I had also a very tiny part in something called Kiss the Blood Off My Hands when I was about, <laughs> <laughs> about eight. Uh, that was Burt Lancaster and Joan Fontaine. And the biggest part I ever did was in a little teeny weeny horrible B or Z movie called Juvenile Jungle when I was about 18. So that's about, oh yeah, I had a little thing in um, Pete and Tilly. And outside of television, I did some other television stuff, but uh, I, I guess you could say the bulk of my career was in radio, and that's where I was most successful, and Thank that was when I was a kid. Radio your favorite medium, do you think? I think so, yeah, because it just, oh, you could just pull out all the stops and be whatever you could imagine, you know, and didn't depend on what you looked like at all. <laughs> Can I Mr. Singer a question or two? Sure, go right ahead. Sure. Um, First off, I wondered uh, if you drew much on 
real-life incidents with Phil and Alice to, uh, to come up with script ideas, uh, and, uh, or whether it was all fanciful stuff. I listened to a show recently that I had borrowed from the Spurdmack Library about 20th Century Fox wanting to get Alice back into movies. I wondered if something like that came out of a real incident or if it was just stuff that you made up the week after week. Well, we did both. We did things out of real life, as a matter of fact, things based on our own families. For example, when uh, my wife and I bought a house, our first house, we did a show on Phil and Alice buying a house. And I remember my, my daughter was a little girl. She had a little boyfriend. They were just they were kids, about five, six years old. And I remember the boy's name was Calvin. Oh, I and, remember uh, that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Phil, as a drinking man, we had a, he confused the name with Calvert. <laughs> he kept, kept calling to kill Calvert. <laughs> but this was based on something that he happened. He always not... did really confuse names, just like he called <laughs> you Ralph, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but we got a bigger laugh out of Calvert. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, other things that happened in our lives, we did, uh, and then again, of course, didn't have that many things happening in our lives. We had to create things. But uh, we took things that happened to people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I always claim. As a matter of fact, I, I've been teaching at, uh, comedy writing at UCLA for a number of years. I've been telling my students, people like people are interested in people. Gimmicks don't last that long. But people are always interested in people and what they did. They relate to it. And we did that on the show. Things that Phil and Alice did could have happened to anybody, despite the fact they were celebrities. We never played them as celebrities, actually. We played them as people. Mm -hmm. And I think people were interested in that. And I think to this day they're interested in that. Take the, the top show on the air now, the, the, the Cosby show. It's about people. Mm -hmm. And that show will go on and on because it's about people. People are interested in that sort of thing. And that's what we did. Did, you, did that answer your question? Yes, indeed. My, the other question I wanted to ask was about, uh, uh, do you think that in any way you were an offshoot of the Jack Benny show, only in the sense that you also played on the idea of Phil and Alice being who they were, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, and having a radio show and having a sponsor and all that. Do you think that started with Benny? Well, it started with Benny to the extent that Phil was on the Benny show for so many years and we used that character. He was still working for Benny, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And Alice was the movie star who retired to raise a family, mm -hmm. uh, which was all true, which was very true. Alice, Alice gave up a great career to raise a family. She was one of the biggest stars in movies for many mm -hmm. years. And uh, it did, it did uh, bounce off the Benny show, of course. I mean, the character started there. But as I say, we changed it from what he did on the Benny show, the character he played, mm -hmm. we calmed, calmed him down a bit, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was still Phil Harris. You can't, you can't change Phil Harris. There's nobody else in the world like <laughs> Phil Harris. Believe me, I know because Dick and I created a show, a television show, for him. And he didn't want to do it. As I said, he didn't want to work that hard. And we tried to cast it for quite a while. We just could not cast it. We couldn't find anybody like Phil Harris. <laughs> He was just out of this world. Do you remember who you uh, considered? We considered a lot of people. Uh, we tried, we tested Jack Carter and Jan Murray and a number of others I can't remember offhand. Mm -hmm. It's a long time ago. We couldn't find anybody like Phil. We just, mm -hmm. there just really isn't anybody like him. Yeah. Regarding I, the, excuse me. 
Regarding the question about Alice Faye, uh, she was constantly being pressured by Fox to return and do movies, oh, yes. wasn't oh, she? Oh, yes. And that's why she made State Fair, because she still had one or two movies um, in, in her contract yes, to satisfy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I don't think she ever did completely satisfy the contract, did she? I, mean, I don't think so, no. She I still had so. another one to go or something. I think she did, yeah. But she no. just... Uh, she gave up a lot of money to do this. Yeah. You know, really, yeah. she's... I've heard it said that she was uneasy about doing radio. Is that accurate in the beginning? Yes, to of the a show? certain extent. As a matter of fact, I mean, telling tales out of school, every week I would spend an hour in her dressing room with her, going over the script, going over all the lines, just to assure her that everything was fine. And she, and she came out, she did a great job, of course. Mm -hmm. But she needed that, uh, that pumping up. I think she's kind of a private person. And uh, maybe she didn't enjoy the limelight as much as, as other people might have in her situation. And I think she was grateful to retire to radio, but I think she needed that uh, pumping up, as you say. Well, I don't know. Am I right? I, it's, possible. it's possible. Just speculating. I didn't know them that well. I was not that, um, you know. Um, well, I was pretty close to the both yeah. of them, and uh, we spent a lot of time together. Of course, Phil, Phil was a kind of a person. He overwhelmed other people because he, he just came on so strong. And I think that's what happened with Alice, too. I mean, the, she, she, under his, 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 his light. Uh, and she was happy doing that. And she, to this day, she still is, I guess. Now, their children are grown. Their daughters have, they have grandchildren. In fact, they have a couple of grandsons going to Dartmouth now, to whom they're very proud of. And uh, that's it. Can I ask a question about a character that we all know that Walter Tetley played, Julius Abruzio? Do any of you have uh, memories that you'd like to share with us about that character? Yes. Unfortunately, Walter passed away a few years ago. <laughs> we would have been here today. Walter, there again, every, all the actors on the show were great. They really were. And they, we gave them lines to do, and they did them. Nobody else could do it as well as they did, which makes a big difference. And Walter, uh, this character he played was this grocery boy, this uh, wise guy, this wise kid who kept picking on Phil and, and, and Remley. He, he knocked them down. And, uh, well, he had a crush on Miss Faye, He had a crush, right? on, he had a crush on Faye, <laughs> on Alice, too. And uh, he... Uh, uh, I don't know how to say this. Uh, he, he, he wasn't a kid, he was a grown man. And Tetley had been on many shows for many years. He fed Allen in New York, and he did a lot of, did a lot of work. But he always sounded like a kid. But he had that voice, but he wasn't. And uh, he delivered a line. He really mm -hmm. punched it in and just killed him. People used to wait for his spot, I remember that. And we had a lot of other people on the show. We had Sheldon Leonard played, played the, the, the gangster. And, uh, Robert, Robert North. North. Robert, yeah. Bob, Bob North, who played mm -hmm. Alice's brother, William, who was also a real character. She had a brother, William, who was her manager. But we played him a little, sort of a little, uh, not exactly gay, but sort of prissy. His brother was, <laughs> but we played this for comedic purposes. And I don't know, I, we couldn't, I guess you couldn't reach Bob. No, we, uh, we'd heard that he was at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel as a, a head maitre d'. And we called over there, and they said, oh, he is no longer with us. 
and pretty much that type of voice. Mm -hmm. And I, I told him, told the lady what we were going to do and asked if it might be possible to get an address or at least have them forward a letter. And they said, oh, no, we can't do that. So <laughs> unless we can find someone who is still in contact with him, well, that's, that's why we couldn't have him here today. We didn't know how to contact him. So mm -hmm. that's too bad. It would have been nice to have him with us as well. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we have 15 minutes to go, and I want to get as many questions in as possible. So, if somebody else has a has a question, yes, the uh, the country seems to have gone blooper crazy in the past couple of years. Too much, so I think. But uh, it seemed to me that Phil always had a lot of trouble with the scripts on the Benny Show, and the, they used to play around with it. Um, <coughs> were there any memorable uh, flubs in the Phil Harris Show? Fortunately, Phil was always able to cover, yeah. and so was, so was Elliot. And we got some big laughs out of Phil's covering with ad-libs, you know, because they, they, they were so natural, and the people understood, they felt that. So uh, it helped us, it helped us a great deal. He didn't make too many flaws, but when he did, he knew how to cover it. In rehearsal today, you couldn't say that. Yeah. That's right. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's very right. good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Phil was very fast, very fast. He thought fast. And you could tell, uh, some, well, sometimes you could tell if you were listening where a line would be blown and just instantaneously it would be covered. And, and the audience loved, oh, the, you can tell the audience loved whenever somebody would make a mistake mm -hmm. uh, just based on the reaction. Well, they knew it was extemporaneous. They felt mm -hmm. it. Could, mm -hmm. They were there. They could see it. I don't know how many of you ever came to the show, but uh, if you only heard it over the airwaves, you would miss a lot that was going on because there was a lot of hamming up that was going on on the stage that wouldn't come across the, uh, the airwaves. But Alice was particularly a uh, master mimic of Phil. Yeah. She would just oh, really? stand up there and, and <laughs> ape him and uh, she'd get the audience broken up just from what she was doing in, in regards to Phil. That was part of the fun of the whole show. I'm sorry we couldn't play mo some more of these shows for you another time, but uh, I have quite a few of the tapes and I play them over again once, once in a while and they're still funny. Really, it's, oh, it's amazing yeah. after all these years yes. that they're still funny. Perhaps it might be interesting to describe, for those who haven't been or never had a chance to go to a radio show, what a warm-up was like. Well, the reason for a warm-up was to, because they brought an audience in from the outside, and we had to get them into the mood of laughing and knowing the characters and all. So in our case, Phil would do the warm-up, and uh, he'd introduce all the other people, all the other characters, and, and joke with them. and. Uh, his, his personality would come over and get the people ready for the show. All, all radio shows, all comedy shows had warm-ups. They all did. How long would they generally last? I don't know, 15, 20 15, minutes. 20 minutes? Yeah, 15, 20 minutes mm -hmm. before the show started, yeah. They still, they still do it in television now. When they do the uh, mm -hmm. shows in which they have an audience in, in the bleachers, they still come out and do warm-ups to get the audience in the mood. Ray? Our announcer, uh, Bill Foreman, yeah. was he the whistler? The what? The I whistler? heard a rumor yeah, that he was know. the whistler. Yes. I think I heard that some point. Yeah, he yeah I heard that too. Yeah, was he? That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
I think so. See, we sure. didn't even know. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a secret. Who well, that show was on during the day, and he walked by night. So right. <laughs> had to get that in. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry I did. I, <laughs> I always confuse the whistler with the shadow. I found out recently that uh, Orson Welles was a shadow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, we have, I want to get all the questions in we can, so do we have other interesting questions? Well, in that case, I'm going to come up with other well, questions. Good. Was rehearsal for the Alice Faye uh, Harris show any different uh, in terms of uh, the actual show? Did anything? Well, what, what I want to say is, did they were they different in terms of what actually went out of the air versus what was scripted? Did many changes at all from rehearsal to show? Uh, we had changes. We didn't have too many actually. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, there were changes naturally for after, you, after the reading, because oh. very often what you write doesn't sound right until you hear it, hear it said. So we would make any necessary changes. But we didn't have too many actually. We, as I say, we were very lucky. We were very lucky writers. The big hmm. change for me between rehearsal and show was the live audience. Oh, it, yeah. it was incredibly exciting to do a comedy show in front of a live audience, a one-time only live <coughs> network to the whole country, <laughs> one take only show. And uh, Janine and I would always, we had these special dresses that were always either custom made or from Lance or something. Um, we dressed alike in real cute little things. And we always wore little white bobby socks and little black patent leather shoes. Mary Jane's. Yes. And uh, we got all dolled up. And, and it was a very visual kind of performance. Um, there, there was a lot of stuff going on for the studio audience. And it was just, it was really exciting. And I think perhaps this was the biggest show for a while that NBC had on, wasn't it, Ray? It was the top Sunday show, yes. Yeah, yes. in terms of glamour and celebrity of the stars and, and the fans that would gather at the artist entrance just to watch mm. Alice come in the, the building, you know, whether they could even bother her to get her autograph or not, the lines that would queue up on Sunset Boulevard in front of the studio there. And the, the excitement of going on the air with this show that was going to make people laugh, and a, a whole live orchestra there playing right there, you know, and oh, it was just really a thrill. Well, well, we didn't have very many guests, but I do remember one guest in particular. I must explain this to you. Uh, Jack Benny was going back east with his show, and he wanted Phil to go along with him. Now, we had to find somebody to fill in for Phil while he was gone for, for a couple of weeks. So Jack said, you get any star in the world, any star you want, he'll pay for it. And he'll try to get somebody for us. Well, Dick and I came up with an idea where we would get a star with a peculiar name, a real name, and tell Phil that's who the guy was. And he would allow him to be on the show to be around Alice. Well. The original name he came up with was Archie Ball Leach, which was Cary Grant's real name. Well, we couldn't get Cary Grant, and we came up with Robert Taylor, whose real name was Spangler Arlington Brew. That's a hell of a name, isn't it? And we did this. We did three shows. One was the first show where Philip, where Remley gets a hold of Robert Taylor to come in on the show, 
and Phil allowed it because he didn't, he didn't know who it was. If it was a handsome guy, it was Robert Kelly, he wouldn't let him be around Alice. But he told him it was Spangler, I like the bruises with him. A name like that, what can the guy look like, you know? <laughs> so we did a show bringing him on, then we did a show with Taylor, where he was married to Barbara Stanwyck at the time. And Barbara Stanwyck was jealous of Alice. So we had her call on the phone, kept calling, <laughs> trying to find out what was going on. You know? <laughs> and then we had a third show where Phil came back. And he found out who it was. He raised hell. <laughs> so we had one of three shows based on that. That was one of the few times we had a guest, but I remember that so, so well. And uh, Bob Taylor was great, so he was very good. He was, so, he was such a good-looking guy, I hated him. <laughs> he was, I told him I hated him, too. <laughs> yeah. Bob Taylor did a lot of comedy shows. Uh, he did a Benny show when... when uh, from time to time when Benny couldn't be there. Was, yeah, he was a good friend of Jack's. Yeah. That's how we happened to get him. The Phil Harris Alice Faye show kitted around with the sponsor from time to time, uh, especially Remley, and I'm wondering if they ever took exception or did they enjoy the... No, we were very careful of one thing. We kitted the sponsor, we never kitted the product. Right, That's okay. That's a difference. Yeah, right. The sponsor was a person, and they and they it made, him, it made the, the, the company look uh, pleasant and happy and normal. The people knew that, that, but we never killed the product. Mm. That that's sacred. That's sacred. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. That's dangerous. <laughs> that's right. yeah. Is that how the name of Mr. Scott was associated with the show, or was it? Uh... Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. We just picked the name, Mr. Scott. Just Scott. Yeah. yeah. And, uh... Tell the story about how he got. Oh, I must tell you the other story. I must tell you the story, story about yeah. talking about Scott. Uh, we had Rexall as our sponsor for quite a number of years, and then we lost, we lost it for some reason or other. Now, the show was a top show, a top Sunday show for NBC, so they couldn't drop it, so we went on sustaining. Now, we felt it was, it was a shame that we can't, how do you face the public going on sustaining a big show like this? Now, RCA owns NBC, so what we did, we had, we said that RCA was, was, they weren't, RCA was sponsoring it, but Scott was ashamed to admit that Phil was working for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. He said RCA was sponsored. They really weren't. But we shamed him into it. After one year, they sponsored the show. <laughs> they took the show on. <laughs> and they were the sponsors. We have just about, uh, well, about another minute to go here before we have to make a couple of closing announcements. And I want to uh, ask if anyone has another question that you would like to ask in the, at the very last part of this uh, seminar, your last chance. Just one quickie. Okay. Talking about uh, sponsors and products, there was uh, uh, seemed to be a fairly common practice, wasn't it, to mention a product in a script and then all of a sudden get a, you know, a big uh, package of the product from the sponsor. Um, it, it, I, I seem to recall stories of uh, just mean, mentioning the, uh, a product uh, at random, and then the sponsor, uh, who didn't sponsor the show, but the... Uh, oh, yes, that was quite prevalent. As a matter of fact, there were people who were in that business. That was their business to get plugs, and they did very well, as a matter then? of fact. Oh, sure. Well, I know was, they it do it bigger, now, but I'm surprised. It was much bigger then, but then the government stepped in. It's against the law to do that now. Yeah. No, but a lot of Christmas but we used to get well, we, well, we used to get we used to get cases of booze, watches. Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> I mean, uh, 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 mix masters. What? Did you ever mention anything on purpose? 
Sure. <laughs> that was the whole idea. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I remember uh, the Gruen watch was supposed to give us six watches to mention them. Bulliver found out about it. Now, he offered us ten watches that we didn't mention them. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. Well, I had some friends of mine, writers, who had, one fellow had a whole garage full of stuff. The cases of booze and mixed masters and, and, and uh, Bendix washes. And yeah, used to sell them. There's, <laughs> a, there's a story about, uh, I think, it was, was it the Jimmy Durante show where they did a scene with regard to a, maybe it was Charlie McCarthy, where they did a scene regarding a, a racetrack. And instead of horses' names, they used sponsors' names in, in the form of a race, like mixed master leading by a length. And they got all these presents from the sponsors, and they did it intentionally every Christmas. <laughs> For years, I never bought, I never bought any booze, <laughs> really. And then we used to get Coca-Cola, used to give us cases of Coca-Cola. And then I, I, I was doing, the, before the Phil Harris show, I was doing a seal test show with Joan Davis and Jack Haley years ago. And it was a milk product, it was seal test milk. And uh, Coca-Cola was sending us cases of, 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 of cola. And we couldn't mention Coca-Cola because it was a rival drink. And they finally found out, they cut it out after one. <laughs> 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 I wish we could go on for another three hours, but uh, we are literally out of time. And this, by the way, this room has to be used just as soon as we finish here. So we'll have to ask everyone if you want to uh, ask for autographs or uh, talk to Janine, Ann, and, and uh, yeah, Ray. Got it. Uh, <laughs> to uh, to move out of this room and do so uh, just outside. Okay. We want to thank very much all three of our, our guests today, Ann Whitfield, Janine Roos, and Ray Singer for talking about one of the neatest shows ever to hit the air, the Phil Harris, Alice Faye show. Thank you all for showing up today. I would like to say on behalf of the girls and myself and the rest of the people on our show, thank you for remembering us after all these years. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ralph, the last time we met was at the Santa Monica Library. That's where we gave you your honorary That's membership. right. Yes. Oh, okay. little yes. room That's upstairs. Right. It was mm -hmm. kind of warm that day, I as I recall. Yes. Uh, we gave you an honorary membership at that time, and you've proven that you're a friend of Spurdback, so I'm going to give you an award of merit here from Spurdback. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Jimmy Roos. You are now officially an honorary member of Spirit Bank. Well, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. And Whitfield, welcome to the club. Thank you very much. <laughs> we want to remind you that the, uh, the next official exciting workshop will begin at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. And it will be devoted to one man's family. And on the panel will be announcer Frank Barton. Barbara Fuller, who played Claudia. Jean Bates, who was uh, the... In fact, Barbara Fuller was the second Claudia. Uh, Jean Bates, who was uh, the second Teddy. Uh, Conrad Binion, who played Hank, will be with us. And, of course, the writer, creator, producer, director, Carlton E. Morse, will also be with us on that panel. All starts at 2, so we hope you'll come back and uh, have another good time with us between 2 and 3 this afternoon. Lunch is on you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Ray. I don't remember the date on that. 1985, uh, November. Uh, do you, John? You remember? Not off the top of I, I mean, we could look, I guess. Ooh, we could describe yeah. your 
clothes. You got underwear and socks sitting here that you just did laundry on. I did, and then if nobody calls, we're gonna we're gonna I'm do the play by play. Them away. Them now just shut up and sit down. We're gonna, we're gonna, sit. No. Stay. We're gonna let you let you do play by play as you fold them and put them away. It's not if, that exciting. You know your chair dropped. It's because you sat on it. Well, you helped. You you sat on it too. Yeah, thank so. you very much. Walden, yeah. are you there to get this conversation better than it I has am. been the last time? I guess well, never get any I just sort of think that's what I guys can't have lunch with Carl anymore. So thank you for that two hour break. That worked out just fine for me back in those days. Oh, that's that right. Day. You had lunch with him that yeah. day. Yeah. So that was yep. a. That was so, a. Mm hmm. What was it? You were in a bar? No, it was. Oh, no, you weren't in a bar. No, I, I, I was. Mom and I was in the Phil Harris Alice Bay panel. And when we walked over, we were going to have lunch with Dad, and Dad was, because we're Sunday NFL football, Dad was uh, watching football, and he noticed uh, Carlton Morris and Camille uh, Shadwick talking, and my uh, Camille, I guess, was going to the restroom, and she said that Carlton Morris, and she introduced them, and Carlton wanted to take us out all after lunch, so he paid for lunch for our whole entire family that day. That is that's that's typically that's typical yes. Carlton. Yeah, now, was. you know, but look at it this way, Walden. If one man's family and I live a mystery had been a bust, you'd have never had. Lunch <laughs> with that's true. That is so true. But uh, no, that's yeah. That what a just, generous guy. Oh, very nice person. We've been so blessed, and I keep saying this: uh, the position we're in to have met so many wonderful, nice people because of this mm -hmm. hobby. You're right. If, and you didn't even meet them all. No. Nor did we. We met a lot, maybe more than you did because we were older. Yeah. And we were with some of them. Yeah. You know, before but, they But passed, there were a lot but, of them who were gone before we got started. Oh, so yeah. many. But uh, even, you know, and let's face it, we had different angles. Because I came, you know, through Kitty Cow and all her connections, which you guys yeah. never had. And you guys had all the old radio people. It was just, uh, uh, it's been a wonderful it's been a wonderful hobby just to meet and greet and know people. Yeah. Just it really has yeah, been. Are you still in touch with the people of the Kitty Callen estate? Uh, not not closely. You know, yeah. uh, some of the people have started to pass away on me now. Um, I mean, is there is there more? Is there anything else that you're not aware of that she had in terms of radio? That yeah, has, has a, not been preserved. Yeah, uh, well, there's some things I'm hoping that they eventually will pop up. Yeah. yeah, some stuff that she did at age 13 at local radio stations. Wow. And so, you know, that had been 1934, WCAU. Yeah. That stuff hasn't popped up yet. And wow. Did she have it? She did. And I, oh. And, I saw, and also, she was, you know, it's too bad that... You uh, contact your people. I have. And they oh, kept, have. They, oh, have okay. they kept working, they just can't find the darn thing. And even... Uh, that's, okay. the, that's the scary thing. And, you know, even my own family, my great-grandmother was on the breakfast club, and somehow when I said find that disc, they couldn't find it when the estate was being cleaned out. So things do get missed. Place, yeah, you know. they do. They do. Now, did you ever do any long-term interviews with Kitty Callen before you did the radio one in, in great length? Uh, well, not on the air, but I mean, just sitting down with a tape recorder. Oh, just just talking, and I recall, and, but you know, I did almost what, two and a half hours here on Yesterday USA with her in two thousand, which a lot of it is all the stories I knew, so I just fed it back to her. Um, and there's stuff that she told me that you know I wouldn't talk about on the air because right. it's because right. it's it's doing uh, people she likes and people she didn't like, and just. 
Just you know, it's funny. There are stories that we just because because we grew up the way we grew up, mm -hmm. we would never repeat. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't do that. And we we heard stories about people and things that they well because they trust you. They trust mm -hmm. us, so we would never repeat it. But in the in the years that have come since then, and we never let the stories out, other people did. Yeah. And it's amazing, like, holy mackerel, how did that get out? Because mm -hmm. we were told not to repeat it, mm -hmm. and we didn't. But other people, I guess, did. And so those stories are out now. Yeah. Well, I, I think the heartbreak to me that, um, and I don't mind that, that, that Kevin they both talked about it, but it was, it, uh, in 1942, Dinah Shore, Kitty Carroll, and Shirley Mitchell were all roommates together. Right. And there was a bit of a falling out between Dinosaur and Kitty Callan. And uh -huh. and the sad thing, when one was ready to make it up, the other one wasn't, and vice uh -huh. versa. So they never quite ever, and it was a total shock to the Hollywood community that, that Dinah died because he kept it really private that he had, you know, I think it was cancer. It was cancer. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and yeah. people did not know. It was a total shock. And I think Kitty was grieving that he didn't get get an opportunity, you know, yeah, one more yeah. last time to make it up. But uh, yeah. I, I was sitting in front of when we were over at Janet Walton's house. I did not know this, that the furniture in Janet's house were all married by Dinosaur's husband, Robert Montgomery. Oh, wow. That's, right. That's right. Yeah. You know, get little fun stuff like that happens over the years. Anyway, I was just telling somebody this week, oh, so this jockey, that Nancy Sinatra Sr. everybody will be celebrating her 101st birthday in a couple of weeks. She'll be 101 on March the 20th. So uh, I still never, I still won't forget because when Larry and I was over in Las Vegas two years ago, it was the day that we found out Frank Sinatra Jr. died, and that was right around Nancy's 99th birthday. And we were having sort of a lunch dinner type snack with some of the people who were involved in helping us maybe promote it. Yeah. And I saw it on my phone and I said, Walden, did you hear this? No, and he said, no, no. We, were, we were shocked. Yeah. Cause junior yeah. Frank junior was only 72. And, right. uh, right. yeah. You think of losing, you always sort of think you're not going to lose your kids before you go, you know? Yeah. Although, you know, when you're as old as you are, anything, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you didn't really lose them. You just outlived them. Right. Yeah. But, you know, like, I got th thinking about Art Linkwater here about a week or two ago. Um, all the things he went through his life, and the biggest thing, he and his wife were married for 70 years and to outlive three of their five kids, you know. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I... I don't know how they do it because I've never been in that situation. Yeah. I know, I I think it's probably if they were anything like, like the only thing I can compare it to is, is Melinda's mom yeah. lost Melinda, and she, and I said how do you deal with that on a daily basis that you've lost your daughter, and she was younger than you and she passed away, and she's gone and she said, it's like anything else you live life, and yeah. you know that you have to live. It's not always easy. But life goes on, and as long as you're in the world, you live it. Yeah. And it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 Life goes on. And some of us deal with it because we have to, and others find a way not to deal with it. Yeah. And they're the poorer for it. They really are. 
It's sad. Yeah. Shall anyway, we on that lovely, exciting <laughs> note. All right, now, the next show we're going to play, I, I tell you, I think I recognize somebody in the early part of the show who doesn't get credit. This is what, I guess we're going to play, Larry. Oh, it's the one? It's the audition? Or is it really the first show of Phil Harris' Alice Faye? No, it's it's the audition, apparently. Because it's longer than 30-some-odd minutes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, Who it, do you recognize? Conrad Bingen. Uh, that could be him because I don't think he... Well, I don't remember when he told us he left for the Air Force. I think around 50. And this and this is 46. Yeah. And I the voices just sound so like Conrad around that time frame. You know, and this this is when the series was not written by Dick Chevrolet and, and, and uh, Ralph Rais- Rais- Racinger. <laughs> the other thing, did you notice? I have no remember until I was listening to this. That several well-known people were asking questions in the audience that day. Oh my gosh! I mean, Leonard Malton. Yes. Uh, True Boardman. Yes. Dick Mullins. Oh, I missed that one. Okay. Dick Mullins was a radio. Dick collector. Mullins was a radio engineer. I mean, was a TV. Uh, he was master. a treasurer. Uh, an he, accountant. No, but he was an accountant for for ABC. ABC. But he, yeah, he was well known to us. Yeah. Uh, um, there was a couple of others, and I don't remember their names. Jo- yeah, Joan Delmar Joan Del- Del- with the acting questions. Yes, that was her second year. Wow. She came to the 184 because she called us and said, I'd love to come. Can I come? And we said, of course. She never acted. Uh, we might see her in November, by the way. Yeah. She never acted, but she always came, and she was on a couple. Was she on a panel? Yeah. thought so. I think she was on a panel with us in Las Vegas, wasn't she? Uh, no, we did it in Las Vegas. Beverly Garden. Beverly yeah. Garden. Or, or the, uh, Beverly Garden. I think Beverly Garden. Yeah. Yeah. But she never acted for us, but she was on a couple panels, and she loves the chance to meet and see friends. Yeah. yeah. She really hey, does. Katie. She's still working today. She's still working. She does. Um, it's so It's interesting. So many... Connection still with the Jack Betty show. A lot of the kids that we sort of have, still have are able to still enjoy. A lot of them had did a bit parts on Benny. I mean, if you look, go back and look how many kids had little parts on the Benny show over the twenty year run. It's pretty incredible. Mhm. True. Anyway, this is. This thing runs about, I think, 37 minutes, 38 yeah. minutes, or something like that. Yeah, and then remember, the, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hang on, sorry. Uh, this is the first year, and I forgot who wrote the series but then, but we'll hear it. This is before they tamed Phil down. Right. This is when Phil was like he was on the Benny Show. He was a carousing person, at least his character was, of course. Yeah. Uh, and you can hear it in a lot of these early shows from Fitch, from 46. Uh, I don't think Elliot was around because didn't they de- didn't they develop his character? So it's, it's according to Ray Senior, if you listen to, they didn't really introduce the Frankie Emily bit until the second season. Right, I I don't remember because I've only heard a few of these shows in '46 recently. I, I, well, I heard them earlier, but gosh, that's twenty. Yeah, ago. the other thing I would like to do, folks, we listen to Frankie Emily. The real Frankie Emily tried did some part, but made it only in rehearsals or audition. I don't know if they ever got him on the mic. Did I ju- I've never heard one. Yeah. Do, don't we, where do we have, frankly, Remley, John? Don't we have him talking? Somewhere, yes. Yeah. Um, 
and I don't know who it was with. I don't remember. I'd have to go back and find it. Mm. But we've got him talking to somebody. Hmm. Okay, that's for another time. Because I don't know where who, where it would be now. Yeah, I, I think he died in the early 60s, I thought. But it would yes. be interesting to look up uh, Frankie, if there's even a Frankie Remley bio uh, online. Oh, I think there is on Golden or Wikipedia, I think. You know, I still, I still keep Googling looking for Robert North. I still would love to see if we could ever find him again. You know, oh, I think he's long gone. Yeah, probably, but I don't see any old bitch for him, so he probably... I know. One of those guys... But it wasn't just, a household name. No, but it's amazing how often a little strand of information pops up somewhere on the internet that would give you a clue. But Yeah, I mean, I didn't know he was Alice's manager. No, that, that, was, that was really interesting. I, I don't... I know that the last we heard... Now, what... He was working for that hotel, but didn't he later go to Mexico, or did he go to Mexico first, John? We I heard am, that he was am, in Mexico. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Did he, act, did he act on any other show besides the Phil Harris Alice Faye show? He didn't. I don't think that was him. Was it, John? Was that Rob? Maybe it was him. Robert North? Yeah, as the actor. Was, or was that somebody uh, Somebody uh, in, in, pretending to be no, him, or was I that really was, Robert North? It might have been him. Because they gave him credit. Might yeah, have been him. yeah. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, that that might have been him. <laughs> well, is anybody listening to this show tonight? We have not received a single call. Oh, you, you know, you know, they're, they're they're all waiting for the replay of the blue when when they're. You pre- know, I should check in with O Tunes or tune in just see if we're on the air. Oh, stop! People are listening. I doubt it. Nobody's called. <laughs> they stopped listening before I got here. They didn't listen while you were here. Well, no, they they, they wouldn't. No. Because I told them not to. Oh, okay. I called them all. <laughs> all two of them. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So we're going to go ahead and play the Phil Harris Alfa audition. I don't remember what year, forty, what month in 46. 46. It's July. I want to say July 10. Okay. I believe that's... But why don't you... How have you? How have you got this cued? I just got it silent. I don't have jaws. I I don't have a jaws up or anything. Okay. So we'll play it, and John can look it up on. John, John can go to Phil Harris Alice Faye. Right. Uh, and look up the date on the edition show. And then we. Oh di- John. Oh John. Hmm? Oh John. John. What? <laughs> We're talking about what? Yeah, we want you to go later on. Go to the Phil Harris Alice Faye audition show. For Fitch and look up the date. I think it's July 10 or 46. All right, I'll do it before we finish. I'm up. pretty sure. Okay. Okay. All right, we'll be back. All right. Walden. The Fitch Bandwagon. F.W. Fitch Company, makers of those fine Fitch products, present the Fitch Bandwagon starring Phil Harris and Alice Faye. (laughs) 
Do you want an effective way of solving your dandruff problem, a way that's simple and easy too? Well, what way could be easier than shampooing your dandruff away with Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo? As for effectiveness, we point to the fact that Fitch is the only shampoo made whose guarantee to remove dandruff is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. All you have to do is apply Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo directly to your hair and scalp before wetting the hair. It is important to remember to apply Fitch's before adding water to the hair because this gives its solvent action full opportunity to dissolve dandruff. After massaging your scalp for a few moments, add water. Handfuls of fluffy lather will form to cleanse the hair and scalp and carry away the dissolved dandruff flakes. Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo has been granted the Good Housekeeping Seal and the Parents Magazine Commendation Seal. Use it regularly for immaculately clean, dandruff-free hair. Remember to ask for Fitch, F-I-T-C-H, Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. And now the bandwagon brings you Alice Fay and Phil Harris. Hey, hey, when here he comes. Where? Right there, coming out of the Jack Benny show. Ah, oh, that ain't him. Yeah, it must be. He's wearing two polo coats. Nah, it ain't him. Let's ask them, hey. Yeah, I don't want to ask them. You asked him. Nah, you asked them. I already asked that Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, okay. Hiya, Jackson. Are you Phil Harris? Well, who do I look like with these golden curls, Guy Lombardo? Hey, Red. He made a funny. Yeah, never mind that old one. Go ahead, ask him. What a delightful character. Up till now, I never knew theme song had a brother. Can we have your autograph? Can you have my autograph? Well, now, kid, you're living. You're getting smart. You'll be out of here in a few days. <laughs> you're talking like a guy in a one-piece suit now. <laughs> Yeah, you can have my autograph. Now, let me see, um, Phil Harris. There you are. You see, Red, it's like I told you. He can't too write. Yeah. <laughs> sure, but he'd have never made it if you hadn't guided his hand. Oh. Hello, Mr. Harris. Hiya, Dick. You got my car ready? Yes, sir. Right over here with the motor running. Thanks, kid. Here. Buy yourself a great big box of Snickers. Gee, thanks. Oh, uh, say, Mr. Harris, I've noticed you're always in such a hurry every Sunday. How come you're so anxious to get home? How old are you, kid? Fourteen, why? I think it's time you had a nice long talk with your father. Huh? Never mind, see you next Sunday. So long, Richard. So long, Irwin. Gee, he's a swell guy, ain't he, Red? Uh, I think he's a muzzler. What do you mean? He's all right. And boy, does he drive a snappy-looking car. Uh, so would you if you had Alice Faye's money. 
Hey, uh, you going out towards the valley, Pops? Yes, I sure am, son. Well, then I'll give you a lift. Hop oh, in. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and a hot for hitchhiking, ain't it, Pops? You ain't saying nothing wrong, son. But I sure loves California. You local boy, son? No, I'm I'm from out of state. Mm. Come here looking for work, huh? Well, you might say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice car you got here for a berry picker. <laughs> no, Pops, uh, I'm more of a, a olive picker. Oh, from Fresno. No, from Martinis. <laughs> 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 Say, you, you snuck up on my blind side with that one, son. <laughs> Martinis. <laughs> uh, Say, uh, how far out you going, Pops? Oh, uh, Bakersfield. Oh. Got a job up there? Nope. Going up to see your family? Nope. Then why are you going to Bakersfield? Got a gal up there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, Pops, I didn't know there was that much Wheaties in the world. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, I, uh, I go up to see her every month. Used to go up every week. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, sir. Sort of got out of the habit during gas rationing. Well, uh, yeah. Let me ask you something, Pop. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this girl of yours, uh, how'd she feel about marriage? Oh, she's all for it. Well, that's fine. Yep. So's your husband. You sure get around, Dad. Uh, they don't call me Speedy for nothing. Oh, <laughs> well, sure. Say, uh, what'd you say you do for a living, son? Oh, I do a little radio singing now and then, you know, sing on the radio. Oh, you do? Huh? Yeah. Do you ever listen to the radio? Well, once in a while. Well, then let's turn it on. Let's have a little music then, It's huh? a good idea, son. You ain't uh, one of them sons of the pioneers, be you? <laughs> no, no, Pops. Uh, I couldn't quite make that group. You see, I lean more toward the, uh, well, you know, toward, uh, well, more like stuff that they're playing right now. Folks are dumb where I come from. They ain't had any learning. Still, they're happy as can be, doing what comes naturally. Doing what comes naturally Folks like us could never fuss With schools and books and learning Still we've gone from A to Z Doing what comes naturally Doing what comes naturally You don't have to know how to read or write When you're out with a girl in the pale moonlight You don't have to come from a great big town Just to go picking berries in an evening gown that comes naturally, ooh, so naturally. My uncle out in Texas can't even write his name. He signs his check with X's, but they cash them just the same. Uncle Ben got angry when they caught him stealing chicken. I'm within my rights, said he, doing what comes naturally. You don't have to go to a private school Not to pick up a penny near a stubborn mule You don't have to have a professor's dome Not to go for the honey when the bee's at home That comes naturally uh, Hey, son, oh, son, so just a minute, Jenny boy, oh, hey Okay, Pop, just a second uh, Excuse me, son, you can let me off here 
I turn right at this next corner. Well, it'll be a pleasure, Pops. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for the lift, son. Well, you're perfectly welcome, but... But wait a minute. You, uh, you didn't tell me how you liked my song. You uh, say you make your living singing like that? That's right. Well, then, I, I got a piece of advice for you. Advice? What is it? Son, save your money. So long. So long, Speedy. <laughs> How do you like that Civil War wise card? Just for that, I hope that the next ride he gets is on a motorcycle. Oh, well, I like it. Grandpa Dick was always sick, but never saw a doctor. He just died at 93, doing what comes naturally. Anybody home? Hey, Alice. Hey, glamour girl. Hello, hello there. Is that you, lover? Heck, no, it's your husband. <laughs> Come on over here, Amber, you beautiful thing, and give me a great big kiss. Mm. Oh, honey. Oh, what's the matter? You ain't giving. I should have gone on to Bakersfield. <laughs> what? Let it go. You're too beautiful to quibble with, you luscious creature, you. Mmm. Hey, I can smell that dinner cooking, and honey, I'm really hungry. Well, we'll be eating in a minute. Come on in the living room. Living room? Mm-hmm. I want you to hear something on the radio. All right, honey, but let's eat. I'm starved. Hey, that's that number from Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, yes, that's the one we like so much. I wanted you to hear it. Well, all right, then lay it on me. Well, I will. They say that falling in love is wonderful. It's wonderful. So they say. And with a moon up above, it's wonderful. It's so they tell me I can't recall who said it I know I never read it I only know they tell me that love is grand And the thing that's known as romance is wonderful, wonderful in every way, so they say. You know something, honey? That Berlin's got a great future. I love that boy. But let's get into the food, huh? Well, how do you like that? 
When you met me, I was singing a Berlin tune. You didn't think about food then. Yeah, but you ain't worked in so long. I'm starving. <laughs> well, I am. I can't help it. Well, I worked hard this afternoon. Well, I know it, but... The thing that's known as romance is wonderful, wonderful. And they fall down for Sinatra. In every way, so they say. Oh, honey. Gee whiz, you're my girl. <laughs> you know, I could listen to you sing all night. I don't care enough, I never eat. Yeah, Phil, before I see about dinner, let's get serious for a moment. You know, something awful happened today. What? You know that favorite doll of baby Alice's? Hildegard? Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's the one. Well, when I backed the car out of the garage this morning, it was lying in the driveway, and I, I ran over it. Oh, honey, that's murder. That's murder. Well, she's nuts about that doll. I know. I feel awful about it, and I, I haven't the heart to tell her. Gee, if it wasn't Sunday, I'd run out and get her another one just like it, but now we're kind of in a spot. I know. And she'll never go to bed without it. Well, I guess one of us is going to have to tell her. Well, gee, I, I hate to do it. Well, don't worry too much about it, honey. I'll break it to her easy, you know. Use a little childish psychology. Hello, baby Alice. Hello, Daddy. How's my big girl today? Fine. What are you doing out here? Making mud pies. Uh-huh. Well, look, honey. Daddy's got something that he really ought to tell you. Yes, Daddy. Well, it's, um... It's, uh... Yes? Well, look, don't ever eat none of them mud pies. It might poison you. <laughs> Is that all you wanted to tell me, Daddy? No, honey, it's something else. Look, baby, everybody in the world, grown-ups and, and little girls, too, has something that he loves very much. And then when someone comes along and takes it away from us, well, we feel pretty bad. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, yes. Like when Mr. Benny cuts out all your lines. Look, honey, that's just some of your mama's propaganda. You've been listening to your mother again. That's what you've been doing. That's not it at all. I'm talking about you. Me? Yes. Uh, well, you and Hildegard. What about Hildegard? Honey, Hildegard's sick. Sick? What's wrong with her, Daddy? Well, she's a little run down. <laughs> Does she have the measles? No, not the measles. It's more of a case of curvature of the driveway. Where's Hildegard now? They had to take her to the hospital. Oh, when Hildegard comes home, will she bring another little dolly with her? No. <laughs> no, honey, I, I, I don't think so. But when Mommy goes to the hospital, she always... That's not the same thing. <laughs> Daddy, why 
Why don't we call up the hospital and see how she is? Well, I'd like to call up the hospital, honey, but I don't want to disturb her because, well, she is so sick, they say they might have to perform an appendectomy. Appendectomy? You know, take out her tonsils. <laughs> Did you talk to baby Alice? Yes, honey, I had a talk with her. How did she take the bad news? Well, I started to tell her that Hildegard had been run over, but... Oh, honey, I just couldn't do it. Well, what did you tell her? I don't know. One thing led to another, and now she thinks her dolly's sick in a hospital. Oh, Phil, you shouldn't have made up a story like that. I know. Every time I get in a thing like this, I always open my big, fat mouth and then louse it up. Well, then why do you keep doing it? Who knows? It must be the Molotov in me. <laughs> well, how do we stand now? We don't stand so good. Now she wants to phone the hospital and find out how her dolly is. Oh, fine. And uh, just uh, how do you plan to do that? Well, I got a little plan. I don't know, but I, I thought that... Well, I thought that maybe if you went upstairs on the other extension yeah. and pretended that you were a nurse, well, we might get away with it. All right, let's try it, but honestly, I don't think much of the idea. Now, don't slough it off, honey. This is the biggest part you've had since Fallen Angel. Daddy, can we call the hospital now? Yes, my little lady, right this minute. I'm going to get them on the phone. Hello, operator. Would you get me the general hospital... Hello, General Hospital. Do you have a patient there named Hildegard? Oh, you do, nurse? Well, I want you to talk to a little girl here and give her a full report on the patient. You will? Oh, fine. Here, baby Alice, now you talk to the nurse. Hello. Hello, General Hospital. Nurse Brandon speaking. Oh, hello, Mommy. What are you doing on the other extension? Oh, Harris, you liver-lip bungler, you. How about your coffee? Shall we have it here or in the living room? No coffee for me, honey. I'm too full. That was a big dinner. Did you really enjoy it? Enjoy it? Man, that meal tasted better than the second course of That's What I Like About the South. <laughs> Turn of greens and all. Hey, where are the kids? Well, it's about their bedtime. Sissy's upstairs getting them undressed. You know something? I've been so busy with baby Alice, I hardly got a chance to talk to Phyllis. What's that little rascal been up to today? Oh, she was helping Luigi in the garden. She just discovered how to turn on the sprinklers. Hey, that's pretty cute. <laughs> Luigi didn't think so. He was cutting the grass at the time. Well, a little water wouldn't hurt that guy anyway. Oh, uh, honey, by the way, I meant to speak to you about Phyllis. I don't think she should watch you shave in the morning. Why not? Because today I found her copying you. She didn't get my razor, did she? No, no, but I caught her looking at herself in the bathroom mirror and saying, Handsome brute. Oh, handsome brute. <laughs> so what? She's a cute kid, too. Well, honey, look at the time. We'd better get upstairs and say goodnight to the babies. All right, we'll go up and say goodnight to them, but here's where the trouble starts again. 
You know that baby Alice never goes to sleep without that doll. Well, best thing is to try and get her mind off it. Get her to think about something else, huh? Think about something yeah. else. Okay, I'll try, but that ain't going to be easy. That's like asking Tommy Manville to concentrate on one dame, you know. <laughs> How are my little girls? All ready for bed, babies? Yes, Mommy. It is ready, too. Ah, uh, you know, you <laughs> kids are getting to look more like your mommy every day. We are, Daddy. Yeah, but cheer up, honey. You may outgrow it. You, oh, you oh, get thank, you. thank you very much. Sing us a song, Mommy. Sing us a song. Please, Mommy. Now, calm down. In a minute, huh? Daddy, you know about my dolly, Hildegard? Well, she's a... she... Yes, yes, I know, honey, I know. But don't worry about that tonight, because Daddy's going to tell you a wonderful story. The one I'm going to tell you is about Jack and the Beanstalk. Gee, that's a good one, Daddy. <laughs> you like the way Daddy tells his stories, don't you, Phyllis? No. I like the funny faces he makes. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Let's don't have any cracks, baby. Just listen. Hurry up, Daddy. Tell the story. All right. Well, let me see. Oh, yes. A long, long time ago, there was a little boy named Jack. And he lived with his mother in the middle of a beautiful forest. But although they lived in this beautiful woods and their cottage was all neat and clean, they were very, very poor. Were they awfully poor, Daddy? Honey, they were so poor they had nothing to eat but old pieces of bread. And poor little Jack had to hold his pants up with Hoover buttons. <laughs> Finally, things got so bad, well, there was just one thing to do. Jack's mother decided to sell the old family cow so they'd have money to buy food. But, Daddy, if they were that hungry, why didn't they eat the cow? Well, uh, well, uh, well, honey, they couldn't eat meat. They was veterinarians. Oh. Well, well, anyway, Jack put an old piece of rope around the cow's neck and took it off to the market. Now, he was gone for three whole days, and his poor old mother was half out of her mind. But at last, Jack came home, and his mother asked for the money, but Jack said... Well, I sold a cow, Mama, but instead of money, a nice old man gave me these three wonderful magic beans. So Jack's mother looked at him and said, Why, Jack, you dear sweet boy. And with that, she drove him six feet into the ground with a tuba for him. Phil, she did no such thing. Maybe not, maybe not, but that's what my old lady would have done. some more, Daddy. Well, Mommy, you stay out of this. Well, Jack's mother was very, very angry, and she threw the beans out the window, and once again, they had to go to bed that night without any supper at all. But if they were so hungry, why didn't they eat the beans? Because that would have loused up the rest of my story. <laughs> now, listen. Anyway, early the next morning, Jack woke up, looked out in the backyard, and there was a beautiful beanstalk 90 stories high. So Jack started climbing up the beanstalk. He climbed and climbed and climbed some more. Honey, he went up that beanstalk faster than Gene Kelly with a hot foot. And when he got to the top, what do you suppose he saw? 
a great big giant in a great big castle. That's right. And the big giant had a magic chicken that laid golden eggs. So Jack hid in the corner until the giant went fast asleep. Then he tiptoed out and with hardly a sound, quick as a wink, grabbed the chicken and lit out for home. Jack went down the beanstalk fast as he could with that mean giant crowding him all the way. But Jack got down first, grabbed up a big old axe and disconnected that vine with two quick blows. And the giant fell down and was killed. And Jack and his mother lived happily ever after. No, 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 no. No, not exactly, you see. The kid was indicted on three counts of manslaughter. <laughs> and uh, Jack and his mama had to hire a pretty smart lawyer to beat that rap. Phil. But, Daddy, what happened to the chicken that laid the golden egg? What are you asking? Look, the lawyer laid a bill on Jack for 28 grand, and the chicken wore itself out trying to meet the payments. Oh, Phil. <laughs> Phil. What's the matter? Now, you know that's nothing like the real story. Well, that's the way you used to tell it in reform school. <laughs> Daddy, tell another story. Please tell another story. Some other time, babies. Now, you both, get a, you both better get some sleep, huh? Daddy, about Hildegard, I... Uh... Look, baby, look. I'm sorry, I got a confession to make. Your dolly's not really in the hospital. Daddy was only fibbing. You see, I... Yes, yes, honey, it was an accident. I backed over Hildegard with the car. I know, Mommy. You know? You know? Well, then why didn't you say something before? Well, I didn't mention you because I didn't want Mommy to feel bad. Oh. <laughs> That's Daddy's little girl who said that. <laughs> I love you, honey. What do you think about that, Mommy? Oh, that's awfully sweet of you, baby. But I thought Hildegard was your very, very favorite doll. Yes, but I will miss her much. She's gotten to be an awful problem child lately. That's right, sweetheart. <laughs> Not only that, Daddy's going to get you another dolly in the morning. So why don't you two little girls be real sweet now and let's turn out the lights, huh? But Mommy, but Mommy was going to sing for us. All right, when Daddy turns out the light, I'll sing. There you are. Good night, my love. The tired old moon is descending. Good night, my love. My moment with you now is ending. It was so heavenly. It will be heavenly to hold you again in my dream. The stars above have promised to meet us tomorrow. Till then, my love, how dreary the new day will seem So for the present, dear, we'll have 
Good night, you rascals. Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. Styles of dress change with the seasons. Right now, it's light prints and cottons for most women. However, the season for bright, attractive hair never changes. And the need for Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo never changes. For Fitch has been the favorite hair beauty treatment with millions of smart women for years. Fitch shampoo is a top-ranking favorite because it does so much for the hair. It leaves it with a gleaming, silky texture, lovely to touch and lovely to look at. Fitch makes swirls of rich, creamy lather that reconditions as it cleanses, puts new life and luster into tired hair strands, and leaves the scalp with a fresh, invigorating feeling. Then, since Fitch is entirely soluble in water, the lather rinses out completely, leaving the hair sparkling with natural highlights. See for yourself the shining new loveliness Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo can give your hair. Ask for an economical bottle of Fitch at your drug or toilet goods counter or have a professional application at your beauty shop. Well, now that the children are in bed, what would you like to do this evening? Well, I'd just soon sit here with you and kind of take it easy. Okay. Come on over here, beautiful. <laughs> Let's get cozy, huh? <laughs> All right. You mean like this? Sure. That's more like it. Now turn around here a minute. Oh. Well, why that great big sigh, Phil? Oh, nothing. I was just wondering how Speedy's making out in Bakersfield. <laughs> Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch bandwagon with Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Until then... Good night. Good night, everybody. See you next Sunday. Original music for this broadcast was composed and conducted by Walter Scharf. Alice Faye appeared through courtesy of 20th Century Fox. I'm a 
while let a song be your style use pitch shampoo don't despair use your head says your hair use pitch After and between Pitch Shampoos, you can keep your hair shining and manageable by using a few drops of Pitch's Ideal Hair Tonic every day. Pitch's Ideal Hair Tonic is not sticky or greasy, yet it gives your hair that well-groomed look. This is Charles Lyon. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. I guess that's it. No Chimes, July 10, 1946, the audition program for the Phil Harris Hallis Fate program. Here on the Saturday Night Show, without Patricia, but Walden and Larry and John are here. So, yeah, I think the first... And are you, Walden, actually here? I hope so. I didn't think so. <laughs> anyway, the third voice, the one... That... Uh, oh. Bang on your mic. That's better. Hello, hello. I guess That's I'll... much better. I guess I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to get a new mic. I got a new card today. I'm just gonna go get a new mic for the court. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I don't know why. If it was, I don't know if it's a new mic. Maybe there's a problem inside that mic. I don't know. That's what I mean. I'll just get a new mic. Cause it's time to spend money anyway, huh? Anyway, and if it's not the problem with the mic, then you got two mics. That's true. So yeah, the third voice called Richard. I think that's kind of a banging. The one that bring that got Philly's car. So that's okay. Just, yeah, I think you're right. That's just my guess. I think you're right. You know. But uh, the thing I noticed, if the whole house scene was between Phil, it's a lot of it underscored with music. Right. And you don't necessarily always heard that during the old radio day, except for maybe a Lux Radio Theater or something like that. But Yeah, I know they had a lot of music. There was show. a lot of music in that show. 714-545-2071. So how is, how is your state tonight? Really good. Uh, I aside Stubrick's is still the best, mm-hmm. and the, the the steakhouse in Bakersfield was really good. Mm-hmm. But I like Black Angus a lot. Um, they did a nice job, and it was a ribeye uh, eight ounce, and I had green beans with bacon, which bacon. was quite good. Wow! And 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 the steak had sautéed onions and mushrooms on it, mm-hmm. which many people don't like. The, the mushrooms, but I happen to love them. <laughs> and um, it was quite good. I enjoyed it a lot. So what are you going to order tomorrow night? Are you going to go still go for a steak or something else? Sorry, I did not do a ribeye tonight. Did I tell you I did a ribeye? No, huh? you, didn't say, you didn't say what I kind of meat. Tri-tip. I did tri-tip. Okay, yeah, you didn't mention what, ty- what kind of meat did you wind yeah. up getting. Tomorrow night, ribeye, and I'll probably take some home. So you're going to order? Fill you up. So you're going to order more than eight ounces tomorrow? I think they only have a 16 ounce, and there's no way I'm taking that home. <laughs> you can share John, with John. On the other hand, will eat it all. <laughs> you can share it with John, and that way you won't take anything home. I share with my wife when she was alive. <laughs> I don't share with John. Actually, to put that, no, John doesn't share it with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he'll eat it all. I'll, I'll take some home. <laughs> Life is fair. What can I say? Yeah, and we're looking forward to it. We've got two friends, uh, one of whom was out of state, and so he's coming in and. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take them both to Stubrick's. My brother and sister-in-law keep threatening to join us. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. Okay. Sometimes they say that just to just you know just for the fun of it, and they never show. Well, you and know, they never intended to show. You know, they show you show that way they pick up the tab, right? You know, I mean, that, you know. Ain't gonna, that might happen, but I don't I don't plan <laughs> on it. 
I actually don't want them to do that. So we'll see if they jump. And then, and then when I get back, mm-hmm. uh, I will finish another load or two of laundry. I got one done tonight mm. and took a shower. So, um, and then Monday we have uh, work and I got a lot of testing to do quite a bit of it. And then, um, we get some mail done and bills done, and then we have a quartet rehearsal, and I'll probably get another load done. Uh, maybe. We'll see. I got to go to uh, Albertsons and pick up some produce items, which would not have been frozen, could not have been frozen, mm-hmm. and wouldn't spend that much time in the refrigerator without going bad. So I'll pick those up Monday and put all that stuff in the crock pot and make it Tuesday, and we'll have dinner Tuesday night. You guys are getting quite a few rehearsals in before the big event, huh? This is number one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's number one with our quartet, yes. That's me. The that's other all... rehearsal we got in, I got in Wednesday was with another quartet for the show, which is in June. Is it two, two different quartets at the same time? Uh-huh. Uh, the, the one that I'm in that's qualified, that is... Uh, registered etc is uh, for a contest the other one is just helping out for the show it'll just be for the show it's an octet there are eight of us so, so you gonna... and, and it gives us a chance to have other people in it who um, aren't necessarily quartet people they, they sing in the chorus but not always in quartets and there are a few of us who are strong quartet singers in there and we're in we're there to basically help and balance and you know, and make it successful for the guys who aren't quartet people but would like to sing on a stage. And so, you know, we put the quartet together with that in mind. Octet, I'm sorry. So can I make a, can I make a suggestion for the octet? You can make the suggestion, yes. I think you guys should go ahead and do Meredith Wilson people, you know, the, uh, the girl people. Oh, the talking people? Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> it would be a nice challenge. It would be, I'll tell you, that would never work with a quartet or an octet off the fly. No, that's what you I mean. You have to be highly trained, and you have to be able to, I mean, you have to be really highly trained in order for that to make it work. Yeah. Because it's got to sound like one voice. It has to. It, Otherwise, it doesn't work. And the timing it had to be Just spot right. on. Yeah. Yep. And like singing, you know, you gotta you gotta pronounce the vowels the same way. Uh, you've got to elongate the phrases so they all match. The vowels have to be the same length. I mean, there's so many things. It's just like singing. All the stuff that we learn when we sing, we have to do the same thing when you speak, in order for that to work. The talking people. And those people were professional singers, and you could tell, they were really good. Of the quartet during the old time radio days that did radio, which one did you respect the best or, or the most? Uh, maybe the sportsman. Sportsman's were excellent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The sportsman quartet. Uh, also, the Kingsmen. Kingsmen were excellent. Let's see. The Mellow Men were good. Um, I, there weren't too many that I would consider bad because when you're on radio, you better be good. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, there were some awfully good quartets, really good quartets. 
And the talking people, if you listen to the uh, Meredith Wilson shows, they were also the quartet and or wasn't always a male's quartet either. It was sometimes male and female. Right. And they were those people. And they also were the talking people. But they also sang on the show as a foursome or and or eightsome, whatever it happened to be. And they were great. What a great idea. What a phenomenal idea. Yeah. Well, if you think about seeing commercial pretty big, I mean, the six hit and the miss... On the mm-hmm. Pepsi commercial, those were very good. Yes, I mean, they were. Very good. Well, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. I'm not remembering no. everybody, certainly. But, you know, a Ford something and a Dame? Four Jackson and Jill, whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were all great. Hilo Jack and the Dame. What names for quartets? <laughs> but they were good. Really good. I can't think of anybody on that show that I would say, what are they doing on that show? Well, there's no, there's really no point to hide. No, not at all. You can't even hide. In a quartet, you can't hide. In an octet, you can't hide. Even in, in what, even like a 12 sim or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can't hide. There's only two of you, maybe three at the most, singing the same part. And in, an oct- in a quartet, you're all there by yourself. You make a mistake, we're all going to hear it. You can hide in a chorus sometimes. It makes you wonder how much rehearsal time that Fred Waring put in his shows. Well, I'm sure he did some rehearsal. But remember, those are professional musicians. Mm-hmm. They could mostly pick up a piece of music and go. I mean, they didn't. No. They rehearsed, but, but they were good enough so that they could. Because some of that was complex arrangements, though. Sure they were. And Some really good arrangements. Yeah. and just Not consonant. No. Many of them were not consonant at all. And those are tougher. When they're not consonant, when they're, you know. My my guess is there was a, probably a basic library that they could yeah. almost use every day. Considering Fred was on in the morning show, especially in the late 40s, mm-hmm. every day for Johnson's Whack. And then they had right. a, a nighttime show. So I'm assuming what they did, they had a basic library that they occasionally might have went through that they could probably call on any show anytime they want. But anything really complex, like some of those arrangements, were maybe they would spend extra time. Yeah, but not a lot. Not a lot, but they didn't, they didn't need to. But but I was just thinking, they would, they might not necessarily, you know, do that rehearse for one time that morning, and do that afternoon. They probably will yeah, wait a couple that's, days. That's, that's possible. You know, that's possible. Uh, somebody, maybe it was Patsy. Um, Garrett Garrett, pardon me who told us they sometimes rehearsed maybe 40-45 minutes and if you couldn't do it in that time then you know maybe you weren't called on again to do it I mean they didn't have time to go through repertoire they they went through a song maybe once or twice and Fred made comments and you instantly fixed it or you didn't work again yeah he was a taskmaster. Well, but you when you're but, play, but you were playing level, at that level, you've got to be like that. Oh sure. You don't have time. Okay, so. Alexa's on the way. <laughs> oh, did you buy them both? Yeah, got a discount. Got a discount with my gift card, so it's like it's. Um, oh, you got a discount with the gift card plus. Yeah. Both. Yeah, so it's like seventy nine each with counting 
free shipping and, and the gift card. Wow. Where, Plus he ordered two. Yeah. So he got a discount. Nice. So they'll be here Monday. Okay. I could have had him here tomorrow, but no, I it's not nah, necessary. Fine. <laughs> well, it's, and a, it's, a, like to do the show it's a it's a really neat device, you know. I don't no, know. Yeah, ours, yeah. ours is Alexa second generation, and it's a standalone product that you set up through your phone app. So we can set it up through our phone app. And that's, what, I, I, that's what they tell us. And that's what I did. They get my. You don't have a phone app. No, but no, I had I had a friend do it. He's not a phone app. I had a friend with a smartphone who came up, downloaded the the, the app. They the app. Okay, so you had a friend do it. Yes, and then we had a phone. Yes. Yeah. Because it, when I got the when I got the book, it looked like there was really no other way to set it up, and so I just figured, okay. So, we actually have a, 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 a we have actually have a, a tutorial mm-hmm. that somebody did, you know, audibly. And we have the. Um, I think we have the the book the uh, manual itself. Yeah. So we'll see how long it it takes us. I mean, it might take some time. No, what I don't know in the tutorial they had Alexa talking to everybody, saying thank you for ordering the tutorial. I'm not sure he'd do that yet, but I'd love to have her do our show some night. (laughs) Do you now? You guys know your your Wi-Fi codes and all that. That way, because you're gonna need to plug that in into the. Yep. Okay. No, we got to set it up through the Wi-Fi. That's not a problem. Okay. So, it could be you, me, Larry, and Alexa. Friday night. <laughs> no, it could be you, me, Walden, and Alexa, and Alexa. Yeah, that's true. Because there'll be it, two. Or Alexa's. Alexa's, yes. Yeah. And we could have Alexa doing radio shtick, you know. Um, yeah, no, I don't know which one. We'll probably have her, the one in this office do it, probably. But I can't, unless I put her on a shelf up here somewhere, which I might. Uh, there is also a way to hook her through the Borg. What would be fun, though, is when I get my mixer fixed up, yeah. to have my mic up as well, so that you can have the Alexas talking to each other from one room to the other. Yeah, they're working on that. Well, at, the next, yeah, well, they're working that. on that. Well, you, actually, know, you can do that with intercom. Actually, yeah. actually, actually, you can, because you can set up uh, through your app the phone feature, and then that way you, you, you and John can have cell phone conversation through your Alexa. Yeah. Yeah, but I I'm, I may hook her up. I'll put her up on a shelf up here, and I can hook her up so she's patched through the board. The nice thing about it is also have it remote control your lights and everything else you want to done in the house. That way, yeah, you're I'm talking that. about that we can turn somebody's water sprinklers on from down the street. You know, no, I don't think that'll work. You can't be nasty to other people who live with you or near you. You can't do that. How about we, maybe we can turn the lights on at the apartment next door? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You do it to the manager's office. Yeah, right. I know I left They're connected, on. you know, so we could probably do that. We use our electricity. We could. We're close enough within Wi-Fi. We probably could do I it. I know I left those lights on. <laughs> Why are they on? <laughs> Uh, I knew we should order just one. <laughs> well, they gave us thirty bucks off if we ordered two. Plus, John had a. Did you get to use your coupon? I had one of my gift cards from work that I won. Okay, so yeah, I used it. I still have two left. You should have used all of them. I, you, there's no way to put all three in there. Oh. Okay. That's fine. I mean, that's not. Oh be yeah, greedy. there'll be other stuff we'll want to order. Let's not be greedy. 
I've got a friend who we went to see today. He and his wife have mm-hmm. Alexas all over their 30, what is it? They got 3,000 3, square feet in the house. All over the place. They've I, got them in bedrooms. They've got them in offices. Yeah. I've been reading the radio world. It's very common for people to have five of them. Oh, yeah. And it's great, too. When it's cold here, especially cold for us, not cold for you people back east. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes they'll, before they even take their feet and move them outside of the covers, they'll say, Alexa, what's the weather like today? <laughs> oh, she didn't say anything. I thought I was going to get Alexa your... not in your office. Yes, she is. But you yeah, know, I'm wearing I'm wearing he- I'm wearing headset, so she can't hear you guys. I guess. Oh, oh you idiot! Well, then take the headset off. <laughs> Turn your speakers up. Now, I wonder if we can have her trim a heater on. No, are you hooked up so she can turn your lights and stuff on and off? No, I haven't gotten that far. Uh, I, I can do this. Alexa, play for my library, Dean Martin. Shuffling songs by Dean Martin from your library. It's a marshmallow world in the winter. Oh yeah. It's time Alexa, play Yesterday USA Radio Red. Uh oh. There's gonna be a big echo. There's gonna be a, about thirty seconds There's more of a and then more of an Alexa echo. Coming. It's time. We're going to sing that song hopefully next Christmas. You know, we could have Alexa play the radio shows if they're in your library. That's right. Alexa, stop. But yeah, it's true because anything you order on Amazon. I love it. It sounds like you're talking to a little kid. I know. I'd, I'd love to hear Alexa say, "No, I don't want to." <laughs> or sometimes you say, "What?" And and, yeah, all, right. and also, I would tell John, "Yeah, it it will play MLB it, if you have that on your app. It'll it will connect uh, for that." So the only way for her to actually react to anything we say to her would be for you to say, "Alexa, play Yesterday USA." No, I think yeah. No, I think I think it would work. We could say something, and then and then you'd hear the echo mm-hmm. from yesterday USA come back, and then she'd react to what we Maybe say to so. her. Maybe yeah. that's what happened. Yeah, you yeah. know, since you don't have since you don't have us there live, you've got us through your headset. True. So you could have her call Jim or or Ron or whoever. Well, the scary thing about this, I've I've listened to eight thirty a.m. and Alexis is ahead of the a.m. channel. <laughs> yes. So that means they must be on a on a seven second delay. Oh, it, they are. It must least. be. It must be. Now and I, she's picking it up from the internet too. Yeah, so she they're, is. Yeah. They're not able to listen to. Him. And, and also, what I noticed too, especially if I listen to ESPN radio, um, it's not always equalized. You'll get you'll get different guys, or the the commercials are louder than the announcers or whatever. It's not oh, always. So she's getting KLAA from the internet. Does that mean then? That when the angels are playing, the angels on the internet, no, the, the yeah. angels on on an MLB 
are using like a class B line. It's like an 8K hertz line. It sucks. Uh, it's like a phone line. So is that what she would play to you? No, I don't think you. I don't think you would play. I don't think I can get the angel through them because I think I would get. I get. I'm getting the ESPN programming. But no drink spring training. Spring training. I think it's free. Yeah, it is. Uh yeah, but no, because we're gone so far. I don't think I always have heard um, the angel doing a studio like this on to a.m. Mm. Okay. But you don't have an MLB no subscription, right? No, but okay. but I do hear the Ducks over Electrics. Yeah, that's yes, because they carry it on the correct. On the they they, don't, they yeah. don't have an agreement with the NHL. Correct. Anybody can run those games. Any of the anybody on the network. Yeah. Yeah, you can listen to any hockey game you want on their station, on the internet, because there's no agreement. Yeah. So I think the only ones. NBA and MLB, you can't listen on and, the internet. And NFL probably too. I, I don't no, know. NFL, no, NFL, you can. You can. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised too. Yeah. You know, and and I think some of the colleges are that way too. They got the. Oh yeah, yes, they are. Yeah, they are. Yep, and there are other. Actually, internet. There are other internet you know, sites where you can hear stuff I, like I, that. I'm going to take that back about the NFL. NFL now is going pretty much through TuneIn. That's they true. are. They are. So and, you can't go to the station anymore, but you can go to TuneIn, right? And, and generally subscribe, and then hear. Yeah, right. You used to be able to do NFL, but I think that's changed now. Well, I think TuneIn has a paid feature that you can get sports through TuneIn. Right. Yeah, that's what Bill Bragg mistakenly did accidentally. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Uh, he yeah. did, yeah. I think it's like ten bucks a year. It's not bad, no. really. I mean, no, no. It's a good he thought he was getting it for free. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Or no, maybe it's not ten. Maybe it's like thirty. Is that what it is? I, I, I forget I what the amount is. I don't remember. I'd have to go to the TuneIn app and find out. Okay. Are we to the point now where mm-hmm. we can get to some of the Janine Roos interviews? Yep, we are. Now, some of, I don't remember what order I put these in. I tried to put them in, in, in order of when they appeared. Uh, you're going to hear Janine Roos generally as a, let me think, when was she born? I don't know, but she doesn't have the Alexa 38. Echo. I think 38. Okay, so you're going to hear her when she's 9 and, or 10, mm-hmm. except for the last cut, which is a later cut. When Janine Roos and, and, and Ann Whitfield sing the song, and I think they're with RCA at the time because they sound like they're teenagers. Mm. Yeah, they okay. might be 16 or 17. Okay, I think, the, I think, I forget what the first one, second one, Russ, somebody. The third one's her interview with, uh, back in New York or somewhere, and in the song. So yeah. uh, I've got what well, you call the Rochester, first one. yeah. Yeah. But uh, you've already, you don't have Jaws on, so we can't hear the. No. So, the date. Okay. We'll have to have John look it up for us as yep. we This is want 47, to. I believe. I think the first two are 47, then 48. And it's near the end of the season. And in all cases, uh, Phil and Alice have gone back east to the New York area and done shows in New York. And the girl, and Janine has been asked to do several interviews. Uh, now, Rochester is a quite a distance away from New York City. But um, not on this first interview, but later on you'll hear it's about nine or ten minutes. The first few part of it is an interview. And then they talk about the fact that she's going to be on the House Party program, which is a local program 
later that night, and we have both, and so you'll hear her segment on the House Party program as well. That's a little later on. But the first is an interview, and I don't remember who it's from, but it's, it's 1947, and it's Janine when she's pretty young, pretty young. So are you ready? Mary Hartline in the band with Johnson's Rag. Very nice, Mary, very nice. Well, thanks, Larry. Say, what happened to Dick? Well, he's putting his grease paint on, Mary, because we've got two really extra special guests in our Glamour Grammar players today. Two of Hollywood's most outstanding young radio actresses. Their voices are familiar to just about anybody who listens to the radio. And right now, they're the kids who play Phyllis and Baby Alice on the Phil Harris Radio Show. Here they are, eight-year-old Ann Whitfield and nine-year-old Janine Roos. And now, a, a glimpse of these two heartbreakers in action. Our skit, entitled, It Should Happen to a Dog. The scene is a living room where two little girls, two innocent little girls, idly stand before the front windows. Let's play house, Shiva. Oh, Wendy, for the love of Mike. House, house, house. Let's not be dull. I crave excitement. Okay, then let's play Tilly. What's Tilly? Don't you know about Tilly? She's the invisible dog that isn't there. A fox terrier. How can a dog that isn't there be a fox terrier? Tilly said that's what she is. You have to imagine Tilly. Tilly talks? Uh-huh. Barks, too. But talks better than she barks. Hey, duck down from the window, Wendy. Here comes Roger up the walk. I'm ducked. Roger looks awfully sad. Maybe his girlfriend died. Poor Roger. So Roger can't go to the prom tonight. I hope she did. What? Die. Why? He thinks he's so smart. I hate him. Quick, give me my bean-breaking bean-blower. Here it is. Oh, Dick, where is thy stick? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> You hit me with that bean blower. Cry, baby, cry, baby. Don't you dare touch me or I'll scream. Give me that bean you blower. You get that back. Here. Ow. See how many beans you can blow through that. You broke my bean blower. You quit picking on me or I'll break your skull wide open. Why are you so crabby, Roger? Oh, what do you know about life? What do you want to know? Your girlfriend did die. It's worse than that. She's afflicted with kind of living death. What do you mean, Roger? She's got the measles. Aw, and you wanted to go to the prom so badly. What am I going to do? The, the, the president of the junior prom and not a date available. Even the girls nobody dates are dated. I'd give anything, anything. How much is anything? A quarter. <laughs> now, Sheila, don't tell me you know somebody because I know there isn't. And I refuse to take mother. I know somebody who'd go with you, Roger. If I asked her little sister. Who? Deposit 25 cents, please. Oh. Here you are, you little grafter. Now tell me. She's new on the block. Just moved in last week. Her name's Tilly. Tilly? Well, that's silly. Uh-huh. It's Tilly. Oh. You think she'd go with me? I think I could fix it up. We know her sister, don't we, Wendy? Uh-huh. She's got pink fleas. What? Now, Tilly, her sister. 
Tilly's got red ones. Uh, uh, Sheila, if you're making this up, I'll... Okay, don't believe me. Come on, Wendy, let's take the head off your new doll. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Sheila. Wait a minute. I'm so desperate. Is she pretty? She's got red hair and... Uh, oh, what color eyes? Green? Brown. Blue. Holy smoke, what color are they? One eye is blue, and the other one's brown. Well, in my predicament, I wouldn't care if she had an extra purple eye hidden under her bang. Can she dance? You should see her foxtrot. Gee, that'd be... Holy cow, my tux. I gotta get my tux at the cleaners and flowers. I'll tell you what I'll do, Roger. I'll go fix things up with Tilly, and you go get the flowers and stuff. Oh, I'll do it. Uh, Sheila, this is a matter of life and death. Tell, tell Tilly I'll explain everything when I see her. Tell her I'll be her slave forever. Tell her... Well, you know what to do. Yes, Roger. I know what to do. Well, Wendy, how does my tux look on? Just like McGinty, the undertaker. Unfunny child. Now, look, babykins, are you sure you got that telephone message straight? Uh-huh. She said Tilly said yes, she'll go with you, and she'll come back here with Sheila. I can't understand it. This is the first time a date ever called for me. Well, um, Tilly's father don't like her to go out with people. I'm not people. I mean, I... So Tilly's gonna sneak over here with Sheila. Gee, I hope she likes the violets I got her. Violets go good with red hair. I can't imagine where she's gonna wear them. Why, in her evening gown, of course. Evening gown? Well, of course. What'd you expect her to wear to the dance? Tilly's not very fussy about clothes. Mostly she wears sweaters. A sweater to the junior prom? <laughs> hey, Wendy, you're really a card. <laughs> a sweater. <laughs> oh, gee. I can hardly wait till I hold her in my arms. Dancing cheek to cheek. You're gonna dance with her? Well, of course. She has an awfully cold nose. <laughs> you know, Wendy, you're really a card. You make Tilly sound like a dog. <laughs> uh, Sheila. Sheila, where's Tilly? Where's Tilly? You promised to bring her back. You, you promised. She can come, Roger. Something awful happened at the last minute. Well, don't tell me Tilly's got the measles, too. Oh, no. Tilly'd never get anything that ordinary. Then what happened? What happened? I'm warning you, Sheila, it better be good. Oh, it is good. Tilly's just had six green puppies. Oh, that was a fine job of acting, young ladies, and we really enjoyed it. But now let's get a little bit personal and find out something about you. Uh, first of all, do you like living in Hollywood? I choose to answer that because while Janine's lived there all her life, I haven't lived in Hollywood quite two years yet. Mm -hmm. But the answer is yes, we love Hollywood. How do you like Chicago? <laughs> well, it's a little bit cold. Hmm. <laughs> well, have you ever done any movie work, kids? I'll take that one. Last summer I had fun playing Gloria Graham as the child in It's a Wonderful Life. Well, I notice that you're both dressed alike. Is there any particular reason, Anne? We always dress alike for the Fitch Bandwagon programs because we're sisters, you know. And we like being radio sisters so much that we enjoy dressing alike whenever we're together. Well, how do you kids manage to go to school, anyway? Well, luckily, none of our rehearsals yet have conflicted with school hours. 
and the teachers had a great little idea for this trip. They gave us a month's homework to do. So that sounds like a great little idea. <laughs> oh, how do you like working in radio, Anne? Oh, it's wonderful fun. Once after a show when I played Walter Pigeon's little girl, he kissed my hand. Even if I'm not a teenager, that was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this hand will be on display at the Museum of Science and Industry all this week. Uh, where do you kids go from here? We leave Monday for New York where we do the next two bandwagon shows. And then we'll rush back to Los Angeles to hand in that homework. Well, you kids have been traveling all across the country now, but tell me truthfully, do you like to travel? Oh, yes, we loved it. I like climbing up the little ladder to get into the upper berth. A real artist gave us some pointers when we were sketching mountains in the observation car. We liked eating in the diner, too. It, it was, was fun. <laughs> well, I can't tell you kids how much we enjoyed having you here today, Anna and Janine. So thanks a lot, good luck, and drop in at Junior Junction next time in you're in town. Let them have it, gang. <laughs> So that was Junior Junction from Chicago from 1947. And the voices you heard were Janine Roos, Ann Wheelfield, and Dick York. Dick York, yeah. Dick York. Could you tell? Uh, at the end. When, cause yeah. It, it reminds me of Billy. Yeah. Reminds me of Billy. Yeah. Yep. Who was, of course, on Bewitched later on mm -hmm. as Darren Stevens. Wonderful. So that was 1947. Wonderful. I don't think mm -hmm. there's another one. I think the rest of them are all from New York. So and, do you want to play those now? Sure, we'll play that. Uh, so I was just thinking of uh, Dick Joyce at the Spurvac Presents, one of the, one of the good kid panels that we had years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll so play now, it. Now this one is Russ. Um, so I don't know who is Russ, but something from New York, I guess. It's from New York, yeah. Well, that was the Great White Way Orchestra, and that vocal was by Billy Murray, incidentally, telling us all about Barney Google. And now, kiddies, put down your gin rummy cards and listen to tonight's story. Tonight, we are going to hear the story. Hi, Uncle Rob. Oh, my goodness, will you look at who is here? Janine Ruth, the little girl from Hollywood, who is going to be on the house party broadcast tonight. Well, what are you doing up here now, Janine? Oh, I just came up to pay you a visit, Uncle Rob. I heard about your program. Why, Janine, you don't mean to tell me that you people out in Hollywood listen to my program. Oh, no, Uncle Ross. Well, then, how did you happen to know that I, I have this program? You told me. Oh. oh, oh yes, that's right, so I did. Well, now that you're here, uh, would you like to hear a story? Okay. Well, how about uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears? No, I heard that one. Oh, well, uh, how about the Three Little Pigs? No, I heard that one. Oh, well, how about Cinderella? No, I heard that one, too. Oh, well, how about Jack and the Beanstalk? No, no I, I heard, heard that, that one, one too. too. Oh, well, as long as you're here, Janine, I'll tell you what, let's talk about you. How old are you? Nine and a half. Nine and a half. Uh, what date is your birthday? It's October 24th. October 24th, this year? Yes. Oh, I see. Uh, were you born out in Hollywood? Oh, yes. You were? Do you like mm -hmm. it out in Hollywood? Oh, it's very nice, too. It's mm -hmm. very nice. Yeah. What part of Hollywood do you live in? We live out in the uh, Limber Park District. Out in the Limber Park District, eh? Yeah. By golly, that sounds like fun. It certainly does. Well, I'll tell you what, now. I happen to know, maybe not all of our people do, so I better tell them that you're on the Phil Harris program uh, every Sunday night, and you play the part of Baby Alice on that. But uh, now to get back to a few more things that people don't know, how did you happen to get started doing radio work? 
Well, I've been on two years, and two years ago we had an audition with Jack Benny, and then uh, when I got on the show with him, then Phil Harris wanted me on his show, so I went on his show. Oh, golly, and that was two years ago? Yes. Well, how long were you on Jack Benny's program? For about ten weeks. About ten weeks, and then you switched over to Phil Harris' show on the Fitch bandwagon, huh? Yes, I did. Oh, by golly. Do you have a very big script when you work with Phil Harris? Oh, yes. You mm-hmm. do? Well, how is Uncle Phil Harris to work with? Oh, he's very nice, and, well, he's cute and funny, and... Is he? Does yes. he make you laugh? Yes, oh. very much. Did Jack Benny make you laugh? Uh-huh. Did he play his violin for you? Yes. He did? Mm-hmm. Was it good? Oh, practically. Practically good? Yes. Uh, did he play Love and Bloom? Uh-huh. He did. That's oh. all he can play, don't forget. Oh, is that all he can play? Oh, yeah. golly, we'll, we'll let the people in on the secret tonight, won't we? Huh? Uh-huh. Well, uh, tell me, uh, tell me where you're going now. Well, we're going back to Los Angeles and spend our vacation there. Oh, gee. And then, if I'm not mistaken now, next uh, October 5th, the Phil Harris Fitch Bandwagon Show goes on the air again, and you're going back with that, aren't you? Yes, I am. Oh, golly. And what are you going to do between now and October vacation? Yes. Well, well, said, well okay. so what are you going to do between... Oh, golly. And what are you going to do between... What are you going to do between now and October? Just take a vacation? Yes. We'll oh. sit around at home and do things. Uh-huh. How about school? Oh, well, school gets out in June 21st, I think. June 21st. I mm-hmm. see. You go back to school now, then, until school is over June 21st. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, when did you come up to Rochester? We came up Monday. You came, came up Monday, eh? Mm-hmm. Uh... When were you last on the air with Phil Harris? That was last Sunday. Last Sunday, just uh-huh. three days ago, eh? Yeah. Oh, golly. And then that, that was in New York, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you flew up here to Rochester, eh? Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what. I heard that uh, you took a little trip yesterday. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? We went to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. To Niagara Falls? Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, it was very pretty, and we took a tri- uh, trip on the Maid of the Mist. On the boat, eh? Uh-huh. Oh, boy, did you get wet? Mm-hmm. Oh, gee, you can do the same thing right here in Rochester without taking a boat trip, you know. Just I step know. Out, just step outside. That's all you have to do. You really like the falls, did you? Uh-huh. Oh, gee whiz, I'll bet that was fun, too. Well, I tell you what, we just about have to get off the air. I guess we won't even get to any story tonight, but gee, it was swell having you with us. But uh, before you leave, you know, we're a pretty strong station here. Is there anyone out in uh, Hollywood or, or out in Honolulu or somewhere that you'd like to say hello to before you go? Yes. Well, go ahead. I'd like to say hello to my father. To your father? Where uh-huh. is he, out in California? Yes. Oh, golly, and I'll bet he could be listening, too, if he knew that we were on 1180. Mm. Oh, gee whiz, you said hello to him. We'll just hope that he's been listening all this time. Well, Janine, we're going to be sure and listen to you later on on the House Party broadcast at 7.30 tonight and invite all the fine people in our listening audience to listen, too, because you're going to be on it, and confidentially, folks, she's going to sing for you tonight. That ain't all. Right now, we have to go. We'll be back tomorrow night with more record music, of course. And, uh, being Thursday, the word of a sponsor. So meanwhile, you be good, you little kiddies. And just remember, a rolling stone gathers no moss in this part of the country. But it picks up a lot of mud. Night!
to Art Stephan for his wonderful treatment of Zing Went the Strings of My Heart. And now we are... Hello, Mr. Weller. Why, it's Janine Roos. <laughs> oh, Janine, Janine, Janine. We're all certainly glad you stopped in at the house party tonight. Are you visiting Rochester? Yes. My mother used to live here and we're on sort of a vacation. Oh, say that's fine. And from all I hear about you, little lady, you must be quite a trooper. Only nine years old and already a radio veteran. How did all of this come about? Well, I took an audition for Jack Benny's program, and he picked me to play the part of Baby Allen. Oh, gosh. And you'd had no previous experience? No. Then when Phil Harris went with the band, Fitch bandwagon, I went with him. My goodness. Were you born in Rochester, Janine? No, in Hollywood. I go to public school now, and I'm in the fifth grade. Oh, beauty, brains, and blonde hair, huh? Didn't, uh, didn't you have a part in a movie, too, Janine? Yes. The picture was, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, golly, it must have been. And to top it off, the record tells me you introduced that hit song, Onesie Toosie, with Phil's band. You must like to sing. I like to ice skate better. Oh, <laughs> well, I couldn't help thinking what a coincidence it was when you came to Rochester, just when the lilacs in Highland Park were in full bloom. You know, there's a song that goes... Janine, I dream of lilac time. Gosh, Mr. Weller, you sound, well, a little bit like Phil Harris. Oh, I, I do, really? Well, a little bit. Oh. We have a song we like to sing together. I wish I had it with me. It's called My Pretty Girl. Why, Janine, what a coincidence. It just so happens I have a copy in my pocket. Shall we give it a quick run, run through? Oh, that would be fine. Oh, fine. Hildegard, you look to your laurels, and Bing, make way for competition. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, I'm always dreaming, always dreaming of you. My pretty boy, my pretty boy, my darling, how I love you. Promise me you will never leave me. Promise me you will never grieve me. Promise me you will not deceive me, oh, my pretty girl. Please give me just one kiss, one sweet kiss you won't miss. For your kiss brings such bliss to my lonely heart. My pretty boy, my pretty boy, I'm always dreaming of you. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, my darling, how I love you. Promise me you will never grieve me. Promise me you will not deceive me. Oh, my pretty girl. Oh, my pretty boy. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, you can t hear a little bit of operetta style, Janine. Oh, yeah. We'll oh, talk yeah, about that. Oh, yeah, a little bit, that. yep. Mm -hmm. And did you know that she was in It's a Wonderful Life? Uh, yeah, that's, I saw Jimmy Hawkins post that, and that's when I got to think, oh, that got to be the same one that we do. That's when I yeah. contacted yep. him and said, yes, it was. So I did not know until I saw that, and then Janine uh, said that was the only movie she ever did. Have you heard from Jimmy Hawkins yet about being on... No, no, I uh, I forwarded, you know, Janine forwarded, so he hasn't confirmed mm -hmm. anything yet. So, you know, we I'm on Facebook with him, so I, I keep track. But I would love to have him on the show, you know. Yeah. 
And uh, just a few of the other people of the movie is a wonderful life. Uh, so I think Jimmy lived down Hanoi, and uh, the other gal who was part of the movie wanted to go live here in Irvine. Mm-hmm. So it'd be we'll nice. See. It'd be nice to see if we can lock him in. Yeah. We, well, I think I may go. Are you gonna sing? Are you gonna sing Groucho Marx song? I, I might be mm-hmm. going. No. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna do that to people who are still up. Well, we still got two. One at the interview, and I guess this was in New York, I guess, and then the other yep. one. Forty-eight. It's the song that you were mentioning earlier. So. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we'll get Martin Graham. So then, uh, so I guess we'll see what you guys are tomorrow. If you'll join I me. I would guess we probably won't be on because I know that we're going to be leaving. We'll be there at 5.30. We'll probably okay. be working until 7.30, 8 o'clock. So my guess is we probably won't be on tomorrow. That would be fine. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. If you got here tomorrow, maybe you can drop me another Phil Harris out of face show. Uh, let me have John do it. Does it matter which one? Does it matter what to me? Okay. Yeah, I'll have John do it because he'll be here. That's a good idea. More than I will be. In fact, if you think about it, why don't you send him a note? That's a good idea. Just in case I forget. You never forget anything, Larry. Forget what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a wonderful church service and a good dinner tomorrow night, and we'll t- be in touch. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Thanks to Larry. We'll play another one of these Jennings Booth features. Here on Yesterday USA. Our first interview this afternoon will point out the fact that it takes more than a star to make a radio program. Our first guest is Janine Roos of Hollywood, California. Janine has been up here on vacation, isn't that right, Janine? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. And you've chosen as your vocation, uh, what exactly do you do? Maybe you'd better tell the audience. Hmm? You're on a radio show, is that right? Yes. Phil Harris? Yes. Is that the show you're doing right now? Yes. And uh, where does that show originate, Janine? It originates in uh, NBC Studios. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get your start in radio? With Jack Benny. Jack Benny, and uh, was that in the NBC studio at Hollywood, yes. too? And what did you do on the Jack Benny show? I played the part of Baby Alice on the show. Baby Alice? Yes. And what part do you do now with Phil Harris? I play Baby Alice on the Phil Harris show. Oh, in other words, you're Baby Alice. Yes. <laughs> but your name is Janine Ruth. Yes. Isn't that right? And how old are you, Janine? I'm ten and a half. When did you start in radio? When I was eight. When you were eight years old? Yes. Well, I'm talking to a veteran then, aren't I? <laughs> do you ever have trouble with laryngitis? No, I have you never. Don't? Well, that's good, because if you earn your living that way, or if you're planning to earn your living in the future, you won't have that problem then, will you? <laughs> you keep a baby file? Or no. You just uh, play the parts that are given to you? Yes. And, uh, do you study baby characters? No, have not you, very much. Have you studied any plays, or did you just... Uh, yes, I used to be in a lot of plays, amateur mostly. Mm-hmm. And was your home in California all this time? Yes. And you're up here on vacation? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, your mother said something a little while ago about uh, buying a farm or a, a summer cottage up here. We had some. We have some land up here, and we found the land, and we might make a summer cottage out of it, and then come up here in the summer and live there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that'll be fine, then you'll be back again next year with us, won't you? Yes. Uh, what does the producer ask you to do when you go in for an audition? He asks us to read the part, and if then he picks out the people that he wants for the cast. Mm -hmm. How did you decide that you wanted to go into this kind of work? When I was a little baby, I wanted to read a lot, and my mother thought that if I was on the radio, maybe I'd get my reading in. <laughs> That's a good vocation for you, too, isn't it? Yes. I mean, you'll be planning for a future. You'll have something to do. Uh, what shows have you worked beside um, uh, Phil Harris and Jack Benny? Are those the only two? No, I've done Gene Autry, Hollywood Star Preview, American Red Cross, and lots of others. That was radio? Yes. And did you do any screen shows? Any screen I've done It's a Wonderful Life oh, with yeah. James Stewart. Mm -hmm. I played Gloria Graham as a little girl. Gloria Graham? Yes. And you planning to do any more screen roles? If I can get them. <laughs> In other words, you just like the work you enjoy. It'll not yes. a lot, and you're going to stay with it. Well, it's been a great pleasure to have you out this afternoon, Janine. And thank you very much for coming. If you come back into Eugene next year, we'll be more than happy to have you out. Thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. And there you go. Wow. So we're seeing the time span of Janine Ruth. Anyway, it is almost 12 after. 11 and we got another one the fourth and final segment so here's the song that Larry was talking about we must be rather wary when we start using words for our vocabulary is strictly for the birds but we'll be brave and risk it to try and make you sing. To us, you are an antonym for tedium. And like a steak, you found your proper medium. You're okay for TV, that's easy to see. You're okay for TV, and okay with me. You're our favorite program, our big song and dance. The hour of charm, the voice of romance. We'd like to predict you're the hit of our set. The prettiest picture that we'll ever get. If we made T-L-U, we tell you it's L-U-V. Which means that you're okay with me and me on TV or in PVT or radio for RCA and NBC. We're a little late, so good night, folks. This is Ann and Janine looking forward to seeing you soon. How about that? All right, let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of celebrating Janine Ruth's career. Thank you for John Rory. Thank you for the men and women that serve in the armed forces. Look after the needy, the poor, the homeless, those who have been going through financial difficulties, those who are having health issues, Lord. Those helping our friends who are in hospital, looking Ask if a family member is going to have surgery this week, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Look after all of them. Amen. 
Alright, here's Martin Graham monthly presentation for March 2018. Well, happy March 1st, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. It's while we record this, it's Thursday morning in California, but it's Thursday afternoon where Martin Graham's is at. Hello, Martin, how are you? Doing good, Walden. You know, a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. I am never, the jet lag never gets me with mm-hmm. the time zone. For some reason, I'm always able to adjust in a heartbeat. Wow. So these the hour differences never seem to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, get a weather report. It, it hit half the weather the first day of March, or about three weeks from opening of spring and on the east. So how's the weather now this time of the year? Oh, the weather's nice. Um, in fact, I got the windows open and the cats are enjoying it. I wow. mean, it's shady, so it's not really hot and warm, but it's warm enough that it's nice. Um, I know when the wife gets home, she's going to be like, close the windows, it's too cold. And you're like, my fingers aren't even uh, even numb. It is nice out there. <laughs> so it's starting, although everything's starting to bud now, and that's a little earlier than usual. But I think it did that last year, too. So I'm wondering if that's going to be the new norm. I don't know. So, did you wind up getting more snow this year, or about the same? What What do you think the uh, what the snow fall was this year for you, in your neck of the woods? Uh, same as last year, which was very minimal. Mm. Uh, I was surprised at how little we got. Um, I fear that without the slow roots down to the tree root, slow melt of snow down to the tree roots, the shrubbery is going to get a little brownish on the side. One or two of them look like they're already starting to suffer from that. Okay. So I may end up having to go out with a garden hose and just let some water trickle down to the roots a couple of days in a row here and there just to help it out. But uh, we'll see what happens. I'm just keeping an eye on it. But it's kind of sad. We really do need snow as much as people around here don't like the snow and don't want it. It's like we kind of we, – we do need it. So when will you and Michelle start your, your green thumb, your planting season? Will you wait till April? Or what, when are you actually going to start thinking about that? Uh, well, I got to take account. I, I have to take into accounting what we have snow of uh, seed-wise. Mm-hmm. And then I got to actually go and order them off Amazon, what I don't have, uh, to get the planting. And then I got to go up rooting whenever we get a nice warm day beyond this day. So, yeah, we're kind of getting ready to. Uh, I, since I work at a coffee shop right now, I've been coming home with little bags of coffee grounds because I can put them into my garden. You sprinkle them in there. They actually make good compost. Oh. Uh, you don't want to load it with a ton of it, but it's, it's, it's good comp- coffee, used coffee grounds. So I've been taking a couple bags here and there and just basically tossing them right on in there and spreading them around and uh, mixing it with little whatever mulch I can find around the area and some garden soil. So in the spring when we till it, it'll be nice and biodegraded. Again, another reason why you want snow, because it slowly uh, biodegrades during the winter and a slow melt into the soil, so it's really, really rich. You know it's rich, though, when you do, um, what is it, when you dig it and you end up seeing all those worms? Yeah. Because worms is a good sign of good compost, so that's something I'm always looking for. If I see a lot of worms, I know that we did good. I was just, I was at my Orange Club breakfast meeting this morning, we were talking about uh, Walmart is planning to get into the mail order business Going competition with Amazon, and I think that will be interesting. We don't know how we we'll know how good Amazon is about shipping, but Walmart is planning to give them a run for their money. So, so what are they going to be doing? You the, said? The, they, their own shipping service. Yep. Uh huh. 
that doesn't surprise me. Amazon, I saw a delivery truck, and I always thought they were going to cut out the middleman so to keep the cost down or at least more profits in Amazon's pocket. Yeah. Goodbye UPS and FedEx in many cases, not all of it, um, but they're going to cut out the middleman. And I thought after eventually they're going to be starting to offer that service as well. They'll do also pickups, not just delivery, so right. they'll be able to do what – uh, UPS and all them do. And I thought, yeah, they'll offer the services. You watch how fast. And they'll they'll be competitive enough because they're making its guaranteed profit just on the deliveries they're doing of their own. So they've got an advantage that UPS and FedEx doesn't. They re- uh, UPS and FedEx relies on clients. Amazon, uh, the expenses, gas, everything, it's already covered. It's already been paid for. Right. So they can charge less. So they have that advantage. So I can see that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Walmart tries to It'll be interesting how it might affect your the day of you going to the post office to mail stuff. Maybe it'll be more economically feasible with Amazon and Walmart rather than having the postal service. Who knows? Could be. I'll tell you the one downside is it eliminates you actually being the producer of product. Nowadays, uh, Amazon's got that print on demand, and they own all the print on demand companies for the most part. Mm. So you know. Uh, it used to be that you'd have them produce, you'd have employees working. Now you just upload a file and you sit back and collect money because Amazon prints, Amazon delivers, Amazon does everything. But there's the business end of it. It's like where's the labor force? It's yeah. only me being always concerned about where where the employment is because if you don't have employment, you don't have the uh, business. You know, you don't have the circulation or discretionary discretionary cash for people to do with what they want. So mm-hmm. I'm always just keeping an eye on the trend, industry trend. True. But I think Amazon had, didn't they have something on USA Today yesterday, USA Today in the newspaper about that or so, something? Yeah, so, something like that on here the last day or so, yeah. So. Yeah, it was uh, on the front page of their business paper section. Right. So I do look at that. Well, I guess we might as well talk about the mail order side of your, of your, your business ventures. First of all, uh, any of your books about ready on the uh, to come out to the general public? Where are you on your books so far? Uh, still, as it was last month, uh, being graphically designed, okay. uh, tweaking, um, indexes done for half a book. It's been like a slow process this time. I don't know why, but the part of it's just been busy schedule, and the other half, yeah. I think it's just a. You know, I have people who are proofreading, and the last proofreaders took a little while, and then just trying to get them to the guy to do the graphic design. And then he's two projects ahead, so I have to wait till he's done that. It's just one of those things. But uh, free time has just started freeing up now, <laughs> so I'm finally going to be able. I think I even put something on Facebook the other day and told people if uh, if I've been holding back or you, ha- you haven't heard from in behind apologies, but catching up on it now. So, I think people know I'm, I'm getting back to it. So, for you personally, when are you going to start hitting the convention circuit? That could be later this month in March, or would that be more like April? When when would you start be hitting the road? Uh, April. I know I know, I know. know there's the Windy City Pulp and Paper Show. That's okay. in April. Okay. Um, that's in Chicago. Lombard, to be exactly. It's right outside uh, Lombard. Uh, it's right outside Chicago, Illinois. So, if anyone's in Chicago, I recommend you Google... Windy City Pulp and Paper Show. It's people who like, you know, old pulp magazines, but there's more than just pulps there. There is a lot of cool stuff. Um, Shadow, Doc Savage, Nick Carter, Master Detective. I saw somebody last year have, up to that point, every Radio Spirits release of all those Green Hornet radio shows, hundreds of them, that they had never been released commercially. And I was like, that's really neat. Fifteen bucks an album. 
Wow. Wow. And I was like, you know, that that price, that's a bargain. You know, I was like, hey, those are forty dollars a piece. So you never know what you find, where you find it, but that's the kind of place you would find those obscure oddities. You go, ah, look at that, just save some money. Oh. So what about the DVDs? Anything coming out for the month of March that we should help promote in terms of DVDs? Uh, just the uh, same as the last two months and going forward the next couple months. Okay. Uh, obscure films, you will not find anywhere else from England and so on. That they were released overseas but not here in the States. Mm-hmm. Haley Mills movies from the 60s. A uh, bunch of obscure goodies. I don't think, I think the only old-time radio one we have this month is a disc of six film shorts that Bing Crosby did for independent studios. Max Sennett and Chesterfield and some of those. Um, those are the ones that I think are going to be. That's going to be an interesting DVD because if you want to see Bing Crosby and thought you had all his movies, and I know there's still two or three movies that have never come out yet, but these are all a bunch of his film shorts. So it should be pretty cool to watch, check out. And um, yeah, he sings in every short at least one song. But some of them are pretty entertaining, and others, yeah, it's an independent film company. <laughs> but it's, it's the earliest of days before he went to Paramount. So that one, that one's worth it. And then I know we just finished last of the 18 seasons of Death Valley Days on DVD, which the first few years were based on radio scripts, and then eventually they started doing adaptations of uh, original stories that were being proposed for the show. So if they like the old-time radio ones, I recommend they start at the first. And since there's very few of the radio shows existing, the TV show is the next best thing. And it's it's a good show. I enjoy it, especially those first few years. How long did Ron Reagan host the TV version? Was that just for a few years, you know? Yeah, it was a few years. Yeah. Um, I think he did two years. Mm-hmm. He was, let's see, Robert Taylor took over after him. I think Reagan took over beginning season 13. The old Ron died between 12 and 13. So the first few of the 13, I don't think had anybody hosting. Then Reagan came in. And then I think by end of 14 or starting with 15, Robert Taylor came in. And then the very last season on 18, um, uh, Dale Robertson did, did the hosting. Robertson was known for having an ego. And there are moments when you know that. There are moments when you watch. He'll take his glasses off and he'll pause for that moment. Just know that he's giving, delivering it <laughs> like he's the authority. And you're sitting there watching it going, yeah, there's that ego. Boy, it shows. <laughs> and there's a few episodes in the last season where the same intro intro opening is not just generic. You could probably get the impression that they didn't want to bother going to the trouble of trying to film additional ones, different ones. So they just kept recycling some of those openers with him because uh, I got the impression the directors or whatever probably said, you know, he's just a struggle to even film. Are you really, are we going to try to get some more of these under the belt or are we just saying we got enough and recycle them? <laughs> How do you decide what to put out in terms of uh, investment? In terms of if somebody has something out there, uh, you know, that's not in the marketplace, how do you determine when it's time to buy a 16 millimeter film or or pass on it? How do you you keep a hit? Um, a, a it depends on whether someone's been asking. A lot. Yeah, it depends. If there's people who've been asking for it. If it's never been available on DVD and it has a particular celebrity people are big into, um, for example, Veronica Lake is a big name, so anything with Veronica Lake 
because a lot of her movies have not come out. Those are always a decent, uh, notable seller. Lupe Velez is a big one if you have if there's a film. But I think we've got all of the films she's done out. Um, sometimes it just depends. If it's too expensive, we call a few vendors see if they want to go in on it and make it a uh, optional. And if the, you know enough vendors say, yeah, I'm game for it. I you know I could I got some customers and clients who might make some money. I can make some money off of. They might want want a copy of that and that's like let's say 50 bucks and you got four vendors there's your three four hundred dollars gets transferred then each of them with 50 bucks investment they have to try to sell enough at 10 bucks a pop to make their money back so as much as some people go seven or ten bucks for a dvd be like well let's do the math here you're getting the best bargain out of everybody else in the chain <laughs> But yeah, it depends. Some films, uh, some films more or less than others. And sure. there's a dollar. There's a point where also we learn to walk away. So is there, is there a, a certain genre that's overrated in terms of for deal? You, you know, I know if I buy this, I'm not going to get my money back. Is there, is there a couple yeah, of stars? Believe it or mm-hmm. not, believe it or not, yeah, comedies. Uh-huh. I'd say it's comedies. Uh, for some reason, old comedies don't sell as good. Film noir and westerns do, all depending on which one. Um, but yeah, film noirs and westerns are the two big ones. Um, if if it's like an Aldi Murphy movie that's never come out, so yeah, people western fans love it. If it's one of those films where I don't know, let's say, uh, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. A film, it's a film noir, and no one's ever seen it. And they love film noir movies; they're going to buy it anyway. They just must see it. It's like there's a market and there's a limit on just trying to find them. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a big advocate for Westerns? Um, I think a lot of people just love the genre. Um, it, it seems that those have been Westerns and film noir or mysteries are the two most popular subjects. Anything else? Eh. And if you look at it today, even today's television shows, those high-rated shows on the major networks, a lot of them are mysteries, even if it's like CSI forensics. It's still mysteries. So I think that's a big one that just happens to be, not, I wouldn't say untapped, but it's a market people seem to really be paying attention to, and they enjoy, a, I guess they can never get enough of it. Maybe crime is just a little bloodthirsty statement in the subconscious of everybody who watches TV, watches TV shows that they that's what they like watching. So I don't know. I don't watch TV these days. My wife watches more than I do, and then she makes me watch a lot of them because I have to have TV time with the wife. So <laughs> one of those things, you know, it happens. You know, I, I would talk to a friend, Joel Klein, one time, and he attends a lot of times these BachelorCon mystery conventions. Everybody, these are, are reading mysteries. And he would tell me the audience, it's like 70% females. So, in the uh, film slash TV department for a mystery genre, is most of your buyers male? Martin, any ideas what the demographics are like? Um, you know what? I would say it's probably more male than female. Yeah, for movie buyers, but maybe for, uh, um, for readers... Probably women, I guess, might be. That makes sense. I'm familiar with Ultracon. I think it's the one that's held every 13 months. Yeah. Literally. They, yeah. If it's November this year, it's December next year. But it's a different city each time. And it's supposedly huge, but it's for those who like mystery novels, old and new. And apparently it's big. But 
I didn't know about the number of women, the majority being women versus, because yeah. I say movies, it's more guys, but I guess, I guess men are willing to pay for watching older movies, and that might be a different, the movies themselves might just be a different type of format or genre. I can kind of see that. Okay, so when you're at the, uh, in Chicago, for the, uh, for the uh, Pulp, are they half and half, or is it mostly a guy thing that buys most of the, the, you know, the, the dime mysteries and things? Um, yeah, most of it is guys. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, most of that is mister. The most of that is guys. Yeah, huh. uh, for the pulp conventions, I guess that's uh, for because that's pulps and not so much the dime novels as much. Although that's there a lot. Maybe it's just also the market and the corn crowd. Um, you know, comic con kids. But are they reading the comics, or are they actually just watching the movies with the superhero movies, superheroes, and that's what they get their kicks out of? But I think that's hitting an oversaturation level now, because apparently a lot of places are starting to hurt with uh, um, attendance, in a sense. It's almost like all the small ones need to close up for the big ones to keep surviving, or the big ones need to start selling out. And I think a couple of them just did that, um, unless a frenzy in San Diego Comic Con. Trust the market to pay attention to the, the convention circuit. I don't hesitate saying that their attendance is slowly dropping. But yeah, I think it is. Slowly, small percentage, year after year. Um, CBS Sunday Morning once had a feature about baseball card collectors and said that kids are not into baseball cards anymore. They just want to play on their little smartphone devices and so on and changing of the times. And I thought, yeah, about basically almost any hobby is kind of being affected by the the changing of the guard. And I guess it's just young kids not into it like they used to be. I don't know. I think sometimes it might just be the marketing, too. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's face it. It's amazing how much they keep pumping money into films that have a comic books or a, a character theme. That still, that still must be a money wonder for them to keep investing in those types of properties. Yeah, I know the circulation numbers for comic books is dropping slowly. Mm. Um, always has been. And they make their money in the advertising, so they need to get the numbers up. Some of them have been experimenting with the digitals. I know DC has big time. Um, they're more big about selling their uh, circulation numbers, the maintaining circulation numbers, whereas Marvel has decided to start focusing more aggressively on their motion pictures, where they feel that's where the money is. So they created what they call the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they believe that the money is really in the merchandising of the superheroes as pictured in the motion pictures. And that's where, you know, if they can make, like, Black Panther movie came out, and they grossed internationally over $600 million already. They're never going to make that in the Black Panther comics in a calendar year. So I think they're sitting back on, you know, we and these are people going now because of the word Marvel on it. And I think the studio people have pulled numbers and said, look, these people aren't even reading. Look, we've got 21,000 copies of a, the latest Black Panther issue going out each month. That means we only have 21,000 readers. Think of look how many much money we're making in the movie theaters. These are not people who are reading the comic books. So why are we still producing comic books? And I think every month they announce another one. Now they've got like 60 different kind of comics coming out every month, but every month they're almost canceling another one. And what face it, how many of them 
make their money on merchandise. I, I imagine only a few, they only take certain ones out to, to spend the money for merchandising. Cause that, that, as you've been telling me, the Star Wars property alone, the merchandise is just the big, the big cash cow for that film property. Yeah, it is. Mm. It is, and that's that's their big. That is the, you know, the toys, the action figures, the T-shirts. That's where they're really making their money, and they know it. And uh, they just basically figure, it's. I think even the agents get these celebrities in, and they say, hey, let's try to do um, this type of corner. Let's try to make sure it's in the contract that every time there's an action figure or a backpack, a school high school backpack has a, a Captain America, we have the Chris Evans actor Captain America, not the old cartoon rendition because that's not the one that's going to sell i think there's a science now but everybody and their brothers knows exactly where to get the get a piece of the action from that including the agents representing the celebs we're talking to martin graham we're talking about the, what the business model of what places are going with in the film and magazines and the, the whole gamut's out there so, Martin, so when starting in April in Chicago... Yeah, by I, the way, we mm-hmm. had mentioned in a prior show, I was planning... Go ahead. Sorry, it was phone breakup, digital breakup. What? Um, yeah, uh, I think a few months... Sorry. Why don't, we, why, don't, why, why don't we do this? You want to hang up and I'll call you on the phone. That might be a better, uh, a better source for us. So go ahead and hang up and I'll call you right back. Okay. Okay. Let's just do that. And we're going to call him this way. break up from the beginning but yeah. it was enough that i could get what you were saying and so on but towards that end it was massively breaking i noticed that too that's why i decided like uh, second pause and some dead silence and i was like hello <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i figured it's just time to switch back to the phone so we'll be okay anyway we martin and i were talking about films and the business side and everything I mean, she think she think about it. That was one of the best advice Debbie Reynolds ever gave her her daughter was to take a piece of the action when she was off the Star Wars property back in the seventies. So made her a lot of yeah. money doing that. Yeah, and and in some cases it's just that's just the name of the game. It's all merchandising. Nobody predicted back then, and nowadays the studios are making a killing off the merchandising. Why, and, and in many cases, like Disney, I think they're willing to actually license out to, for almost anything. Because I've noticed that they've had Star Wars uh, underwear, Star Wars duct tape. And I was looking at it going, really, you're going to sell duct tape with Star Wars figures on it? Really? And I realized, wow, you could just write a letter to the right department and say, we want to be able to put the picture of Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi on something. And, and they'll just give you a contract because they just want their money. And it's like, at least as long as they're trying to make money off it, I get it. Well, didn't you tell me one time that it was the same thing with Hopper and Cassidy both night, that uh, Wind Boy's Widow, she would almost authorize a lot of different product lines, and that was a, that was a money maker for, for, the, for the estate of William Boyd with the, uh, the marketing rights for Hopper and Cassidy. Correct, yeah, she, she wanted to make as much money whenever she could. It was not a, she was not holding back. 
he was smart enough to say, hey, it's, we got this property for a reason. Let's make it. And that's a smart woman. I mean, that's, you don't want to sit back and say, well, I don't know. Will we do this? And I've seen some places do that, and they take a loss. And I don't think they realize making something is better than nothing. And if you own a property, isn't that not the reason why you want it in the first place? <laughs> well, let's, let's face it. There's been some estate managed their properties so much better than others. I mean, the Sherlock home properties been managed so well, if you think about it, over the years. So, and there's probably others. Others, I don't think, have been managed very well, and, it's, and that's why it's sort of a, a slipped in the background. I, I think a classic sample is out of a mystery. Now, I don't think that's really been managed too well over the last 50 years, so that's why it's really not in the, the modern frame, the modern generation, because it just hasn't been out there to be exposed to people. Correct, and, and you got to make money off your own product. I mean, uh, I own the like, I own the artwork that goes on the front of my books. If someone calls up and says, we'd love to do posters or a T-shirt with that image because we like that custom art of the Green Hornet or whatever. Now, I don't own the Green Hornet, so that's a bad example. But if, let's say, for example, I did, I'd be like, sure, okay, just send me a contract, and, you know, I'll, I'll take 10% of whatever you guys make. I didn't, extra money's okay with me, and it promotes the book. What's that? You know, but not, then again, I'm not like them. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are not like me, so. Sure, sure. Sure. However it works. You can give Martin a call. Eastern Time, area code 443-286-6821. Area code 443-286-6821. So in April, are you going to pretty much be on the road almost every weekend until July? Or what, what, what's going to be your schedule pretty much for people? I think that one event, I think that one convention in April is the only one I have okay. going to. In May, it's I think the last weekend of May, which is Memorial Day weekend, is Cinevent. That's when it hits. And then there's one almost every weekend for a while. And I'm working a part-time job, as you know. There's a point where I have a funny feeling in early May or late April, probably late April, I give them a two-week notice. In anticipation, they'll need me for at least three weeks. You know, like they need me at least to stay for an extra week until they can get someone to fill in. Um, Because uh, the part-time job's not really there for the paycheck. I'm there to study the business organization and the ergonomics of how everything is operating and running for future potential business I plan to do on my own. Mm -hmm. So the end result is I think uh, end of April I'm going to put in my notice. So by end of May, I'm off at conventions and I don't have to worry about trying in the two or three days I need to be back at work and then off on the road again and so on. I got a friend who said, oh no, you can fly out to Memphis and I'll pick you up. And I'm like, you're going to drive a day and a half there and a day and a half back without anybody in the passenger seat. That's a long haul. Dude, you can't do that. I was like, you can't do it. I was like, I'm not doing that, and then flying out. So I think by then, at the latest, I'll be out of the job, but then I'll be working on the conventions. But there's going to be one almost every weekend from late May on. So I think the only one between now and then is that one in April. That's the Pulp and Taper Show. You there? You hear me? Oh, oh there you go. I okay. can hear you. What about the book business? You think it's going to go more and more print on demand? What, what's your gut hunch on, for you? Yeah, it's all going print on demand now, only because uh, the book sales aren't what they used to be. And I think even Ben Omar, who did, does Bear Manor Media, said 
It's just the sales of old-time radio books, not just books in general, just old-time radio books, are not what they used to be. He used to say, he could say, people would say, well, why are you publishing books about old movie stars or TV shows? And he said, well, if I'm selling four or five of them to cover the cost of being able to sell a book on old-time radio that just isn't selling, he said, that's the point. And at this point, he's even questioning why he's even going to be doing books on old-time radio. Because he said just the sales aren't there anymore. So he really hesitates. It's got to be a major, major um, big-name subject to actually see smell money in book sales. Else, I think he's even cutting back on doing books on old-time radio. I'm doing print-on-demand just so I don't have to tie up as much money in investment yeah. with, you know, stocks sitting around. And that's probably the only way I'm going to go for it. That was bound to happen. Realistically, I wasn't like, oh, this was going to go on forever. I knew that was going to question was when. Yeah, because I was talking to Jack Finch last week, or maybe two weeks ago, and Jack said there's very few titles out there that probably are money makers in terms of old-time radio. You know, very few. He thinks that people could write and could stand by itself. He thinks most books on old-time radio would be a, a compilation. You know, it'll have a variety of different topics, and that'll be what he thinks will happen. Yeah, and that then that may be that that just might be, or it's got to be a crossover. In other words, you could do a book about uh, Superman radio shows. Yeah, Superman crosses over into a genre. But if you were doing a book on, I don't know, a radio program called Panic from 1950s, no, it ain't gonna go. It's not gonna fly. You might sell maybe 50, 60 copies to the diehards who want to read about it and know more about it, and that's about it afterwards. What at the uh, DVD website? People want to go ahead and buy some of those real movies. Where where should they go? They can go to www.otrdvd.com. Stands for Old Time Radio DVD.com. Um, that'll get them there. They can check out anything. They can, we got a great search engine. If you type in, I don't know, let's say Veronica Lake or Frank Sinatra, any films that have them in it, it'll come up, even if it's not in the title of the show, of the movie. Because it goes through the descriptions as well as, so it does a good search. And the website for your books? It is uh, www.martingrams.com. From there, they can also check out my blog, where I have interesting, fascinating articles, book reviews, a couple mentions of documentaries recently on old-time radio and old movies. There's a lot of cool uh, books. write-ups I put up there every from time to time. It's worth checking out. I think people will get a kick out of it. So they might want to double-check or get into it. It's, it's uh, martingrams.com. Real easy to find. G-R-A-M-S. Hey, so the blog, is it still once a week, or is it going to still cut back to three times a month? Or is it still 20 um, once It's a once a week, but I think there's a couple months this year. It'll be three times a month, but... I expect that to diminish a little bit more still. Somewhere along the line, it might be every other week. I haven't. It's just a matter of when I have time and put something up there of interest. It seems it comes in spurts now. Like, I'll end up, uh, I'll watch two documentaries two nights in a row, get a book that came in, do a quick book review, and something else. And all of a sudden, I'll spend one evening for about, I don't know, an hour and a half, and I'll put up four different uh, postings for the next for two months from now for an entire month. So then there's like there's another four weeks covered, and then it'll be like another month later. I'll do another month or so, but 
it's not like the blog's not paying bills, but uh, I like to give people some cool stuff to stay in touch with what's going on. One of them I know you and I were talking about was that discovery of a, um, a rare interview with Bob Hope that was not known to exist. It was from an Armed Forces Radio Service rebroadcast, and that was found just recently. And uh, there was mention of it, and I put something up on my blog. Probably, I think, about a month from now it'll show up there. People can go check it out, and there's like a five-minute sample audio. And it was just old radio shows that were found of interviews for troops overseas for entertainment, and one of them happened to have Babe Ruth, and someone went, ooh, that's interesting, and they brought it to the fold so people would know it exists. Amazing what still keeps popping up over the year, you know, all over the net. It, it's just amazing. And Radio Recall, how is that coming along for you? You got that under control? How, how is that working out for you? Yeah, it's doing good. I fill up with a bunch of articles, um, some interesting write-ups, mentions of news, what's going on in the hobby, rare recordings that's been lost and then found, and a little variety, sometimes old-time radio featured in comics in the 30s, 40s that people didn't know. And people can go, oh, wow, Ralph Edwards, as truth or consequences, the quiz show was displayed on the cover of one of the Superman comic books or something like that. People can go, ah. So they know it's old-time radio extended beyond just radio. So it's a little of everything, and I think it goes over very, very well. And that's, you can probably go ahead and Google Radio Recall and look for the metro area old-time radio, metro Washington area. No, I'm going to always forget the title. Metro area Washington? <laughs> metro, I don't know. Yeah, met, it's a, in the metro Washington old-time radio club. There you go. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a metro Washington old-time radio club. You can Google it to type in Radio Recall. they got some articles and past issues up there, so you can check it out. They don't have whole issues. You have to kind of sign up and be a member first. But, you know, for 20 bucks or 15 bucks a year, it's quite easy and cheap, and, you know, that's about what most clubs offer. But you always get at least the newsletter, and that's what you're really getting. And that's worth it because there's so much cool stuff in news. And I think the recent one was about an article about how Jack NBC, at one point the executives tried to kill Jack Benny's career. So, I mean, there's always interesting articles go, oh, there's something I didn't know about it, which will also explain on occasion when you're listening to shows, details of stuff you'll hear in the programs, and you didn't realize what that was being referred to. Well, what's the latest news about Mank? Before we know, it's going to be September. Like, we're only six months away. Where are you with Mank? Yeah, I'm still trying to get the rest of the celebrities signed contracts. Um... Celebrities are pretty much all lined up, just waiting for some of the signed contracts and get up on the website. Um, we're waiting a couple of weeks, but next time you and I talk, we'll know, because the hotel may be going up for auctions. Ah. So there's a foreclosure from the bank because the owners of the place hasn't gotten that taken care of yet. And I'm glad I didn't pay them the down payment for this year. <laughs> so the hotel's not going to lose. I'm not losing money, but we've got to find a new hotel. I'm waiting a few days because friends of mine are like, well, have you made up Plan B? And I'm like, I have locations for Plan B. Have no contracts yet. Waiting to find out. Hotel may make good on their payments. Problem may be solved. And it was just a temporary threat. I says, well, we'll cross fingers and wait and see. I'm, I'm patient. I'm, I, what I find funny, in business, you have a CEO who's always got to keep a level head. 
They know what to do. They know when to do it. They're the decision makers. Everything comes down to them. And I act like a CEO where everybody in the, who's like the volunteers are panicking. Well, did you get a contract yet? Did you sign yet? Are we going with this hotel? And I'm like, you know, really, it's March. You know, the show's in September. We got a hotel. Two of them put our, put our convention name on their calendar is penciled in. We got first rights of refusal. We'll iron out a contract in two weeks. If one week from now we find out, let's just relax. Because they jump the gun and then all of a sudden end up paying a down payment and signing a contract with the hotel. And for all we know, they may end up staying at the same hotel and probably will, in which case we lose money on a down deposit for another hotel we're not going to. So I was like, let's just wait a week, guys. Let's just calm down. So I'm acting like a CEO. <laughs> so hopefully by uh, late April, you'll probably have it all figured out. What, 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 if we're going to be at the same location or move to a point that you already got staked out. So one way, one way now. Yeah, we found out the hotel was bought by a con- by a guy down in Florida, pri- some private investor, and apparently he wasn't making payments. He claimed a clerical error, and I'm sitting back going, "Well, no, that isn't because if you're de- if you're delayed on like a mortgage of sorts, and yes, you can have a mortgage for a uh, commercial property because you know you always use it under the business name, never a personal name." I'm sitting back thinking. I've had a clerical error. You know, they send you notices saying, hey, you're three months behind. you got to be six months behind before they decide to throw it to a collection agency and put it up for auction, the, the, the building. Even the employees didn't know about it. And I'm thinking, that's not a clerical error. <laughs> I mean, okay, they want to call it that. <laughs> uh, so, um, the celebrities that you announce, are they up on the website, the ones that you publicly have a contract for? Or you're still, um, still rolling them out once in a while onto the website? Uh, we roll them out once in a while. Strategically, if we list all the celebrities at once, there are people who will check the website, see all the celebrities, and then they'll never, they may never visit the website again or they may go back months later. If we have them on there, like we add a celebrity or two every week for progressively a few months, they keep visiting the site. And on the celebrity page, we actually have a cute little little generic stick figure with a question mark saying yes we have another one coming so they still always waiting for who the last one is we always save the lad big names for last but it's our way of actually making sure that we have them you know constantly visiting the site repeatedly over a period of months and i think that actually gets a better response in the long run for coming to the show um because we built up a following where people kind of expect it but also it's like it's like an email newsletter, only we're not sending it to them, so we have to hope they keep coming to check out and see what else and so on. We'll put mentions on Facebook as well, so if they're following Facebook, they'll see the occasional posting about, okay, confirmed, so-and-so is coming to the show as a guest celebrity, yada, yada, yada. But we like to build the momentum, because there's some websites I know, they'll slap all their stars up in one day. I never go back to the website again, except the night before the show, just to verify what time the door's open. That's it. I don't want them doing that to mine because they may forget. I want them so excited to keep routinely checking out the website. That's what I want them to do. So what is the website URL? It is the name of the convention. It's www.midatlanticnostalgiaconvention.com. That's midatlanticnostalgiaconvention.com. How about the Facebook page? Is it the same? Uh, yes. It is the uh, same thing, Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. Dot, uh, it's just Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, not the dot-com, of course. Um, 
and they can check out the minute page. We put up any news-related items, anything that might be of interest that people might want to know, um, status. People were posting things about the hotel because the news went public, but we kind of kept that quiet and said, let's wait a few weeks before we go making an announcement whether we move to a new hotel or not. We, I'm hoping we put up a mention that says that regardless of the rumors, the hotel is still in operation, will continue to be in operation in September, and yes, the convention will be held there. And by the way, we have the celebrity coming to try to drown out that noise because you're going to have those chicken littles who are all afraid that something's going to happen and, oh, now we've got to be at another hotel. And we don't want word gossiping going around because it just causes more complications and more phone calls from people asking, where are you being held? Same place. I thought it was closed. <laughs> no, that was a rumor. <laughs> have you messed around with any of the other social media platforms like Twitter and Instagram, anything else like that for Mink? Um, I have not because I don't get those. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound sad. I need a seven-year-old to sit down and explain to me how Twitter works. <laughs> because that is exactly what I need to be able to go, okay, now I get it. Now I see what we need to do. Yeah, we can get followers. <laughs> I'm sure there's a way that it gets people to follow. And there are people who are following Twitter. But I don't know the statistics. I don't know the marketing strategy. <sighs> With Facebook, you could throw money to the wind if you pay for ads and don't know what you're doing, really. But then there's also other occasions where I sit back and I go, I don't know. With Instagram, all I see is people taking selfies and putting them up there. What's the point? You know, <laughs> there's there's more to it. I know. I just need to sit down and figure it out. So somewhere along the line, like I said, I'm just going to have a seven year old sit down and show me how that works. Well, isn't the palm all your nieces and nephews are over seven by now, aren't they? Yeah. So uh, right now, at this point, <laughs> it's everything is an uncle joke and. And stuff like that. I don't get it. It, It's the new society. I got to blend in. I'm trying to be a millennial, but I know I'm not by age chronology. By by mindset, yes, I'm a millennial, but that's about it. But I do need to keep up with it. So I guess I have to stay with the times and have somebody show me. It was it was funny the other day. Someone asked me, "How'd you do that on your smartphone?" I said, "I don't know. My niece showed me which button to push." She laughed, and I was like, "Yeah, there's truth and humor." Okay, so what's your opinion on Facebook? Haven't they changed their logarithms and everything else recently for, uh, you know, is it as good as it used to be in terms of getting, spreading the word? What, what's what's um, your yes, gut hunch? It, yes, yes, it is. The tricky part is really having engagement. Here's the point. Every time somebody posts something up on Facebook, like a comment, it pushes it up to the top of the news feed. So 15 people can put a posting up there, and then... As soon as somebody puts a comment, it pushes that one particular subject thread back up to the top. So the rule of thumb is you kind of almost have to end every posting with a question. If you see what we do with, like, my coffee, uh, future coffee house and what I plan to do with um, the convention is that we always put a comment, like, we're asking for input. We're asking for, how cool would this be? Or is there a celebrity you've always wanted to see at the show? Give us feedback. Your question, there might be some people we're not thinking about. As my wife says, it's just a postage stamp. So your vote, your your suggestion may just come, and you may just see your suggestion being used this year. Now I've got them engaged. And every time someone puts a comment, it goes to the top, which gets seen by more people. And it progresses. And that's kind of how you kind of, even if they haven't really been checking the nostalgia convention or following it as much, you know, even you can say, hey, share this with your friends. See what they think as well. Who would they like to see? 
And all of a sudden, you'll see people posting comments and names and sharing it with their friends. There's like a science behind it, but that's how you get the interaction and the engagement numbers up. Um, I know you can pay to get it and seen, even if they've decided to unfollow it, I guess is the phraseology, but that's only if you really want to get some big response, and that's a questionable. But yeah, the algorithms are designed that they want to get rid of the meaningless posts where some guy gets up and says, I hung a second clothesline today. Who cares? So that's why they, that's what they're meant to do is to get rid of the meaningless posts and make more meaningful content up there to keep people engaged themselves. I just I, I haven't talked to you this off air, but I'll mention it on air here. I wonder if MeTV is changing their advertising profile a little bit because I know up in Seattle they're, they're no longer able to take local ads. Okay, uh, I get they sold out, and I contacted MeTV, the national, and also the local part, and I haven't heard from them over a month. So I'm wondering if I wonder if that's gonna start changing. I wonder if they'll keep more of that in house rather than putting a cap- cable operator out sort those out. So it could be. And what were you referring to for listeners who aren't get grasping the MeTV reference? Um, it's used to promote and advertise our conventions, like the Nostalgia Convention, yeah. Birdbox Convention. Um, that market, if they watch old TV shows, they want to come meet the old TV stars as well. Like Tony Dow is going to do a radio show up on stage, and it's cool. Um, but MeTV used to be um, franchised, and then the local franchise stations could allow the advertisements. Um, we found that it works very well if the commercial and if the features are done right. But at this point, we're even starting to figure out what does a little bit better than that. But if they go national and they realize we can make more money on national ads and rather than have cutouts, which is basically you would pay a fee for, let's say, I don't know, let's say 50000 to have a commercial on a national level. If your product can sell to the nationals, it's, it's a national uh, demographic, it's cool. If it's a local event, you want to sell to the local ads and you want to pay for that affiliate, I guess you would call it, right. um, but in which case, if the nationals are now saying, hey, I want to pay that extra fee, I don't want my commercial cut out, because there's two commercial breaks. One per half hour is always for local spots, but you'll notice the nipping of the last fraction of the second of a commercial. You realize there was a commercial over a national commercial. Those get charged based on how many views, and if the locals contact the majors and say, yeah, we cut in for that, the nationals don't pay as much. But some of them apparently are getting results where they want to pay for that full spot, so they're saying don't cut out. And so some of these places are now kind of getting different money. In other words, the arrangements is that the MeTV is making more money on the commercials, and they don't want to do the affiliates and locals. And I get that. So on a business structure, it's more money in MeTV's pocket. But uh, for us, we want to pay for ads and promote our old-time radio events. No, that's not going to be as much eventually. Some places it's still there. I think in our areas it is, but I haven't actually inquired yet. No, I just wanted to give you the heads up because I've been looking out here and I'm being shut out. So it makes you wonder. I'm going to do food for thought. We had um, Sensei Myers on, Patricia and I, a couple weeks ago. And you know Cynthia, she's a wonderful person that knows the history of radio advertising, and she's working on it for TV for the Diffies, and she's also writing current journals. And I asked her, what length 
or seem to be the popular length. And she's really studying YouTube, and she thinks the most effective ads now are six seconds long. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I've noticed that the ads on the, on YouTube, uh, they used to be like 30 seconds, and after five seconds, you can click this little thing that says skip ad, but you have to wait at least five seconds. So basically, the first five seconds of the commercial should be grasping your attention that you want to see the rest of the 30 seconds. And some people did really, really clever, funny commercials where, okay, you got a unicorn pooping rainbow ice cream. Okay, <laughs> you've got my attention for a few seconds. And they're talking about some gizmo that you can buy for your toilet in the bathroom. And I get it, but it was done well and tongue-in-cheek, and it was cute. And, of course, I sat back and thought, all you need is a wooden block and can do the same thing. But I don't get it. That's just uh, how they do it. But I noticed a lot of commercials now, like Kellogg's has one for um, chocolate uh, frosted flakes, mm-hmm. and I noticed it was five to six seconds long. By the time you hit the, before you could pick the, the skip ad, the commercial's done. And what they realized is they don't want people skipping past. They figured you've got to get your message out in five or six seconds. And, hey, it worked because I remembered it was chocolate fruity pebbles. I mean, fr- frosted, chocolate frosted flakes. But, yeah, it's almost the people are there to click the, to see the, the video. They don't want to see the commercial. So you've got five, six seconds before they click a button, make a five- or six-second commercial. I see that. that. She's right. Yeah. So I'm wondering, would that make sense for Mank to, to put some money in the YouTube channel this year and have maybe a five-second ad just for Mank, you know, with your main star? I, I don't know. I'm just going food for thought. Something we- I can target a certain demographic. I'll tell you the one that might be good is IMDB. Uh-huh. Now, this was about... 15 years ago, so I'm sure the budget has massively changed. This is before they became big. Um, I contacted them. They got back in touch with me, and they said, oh, yeah, we can pay for You can pay for an ad. They said, you can pick, let's say, Alfred Hitchcock. In any movie he directed, anything that has Hitchcock's name on it, um, only those, that ad will show up only on those pages. So if they're not, let's say you type in The Great Gildersleeve, as you can do with Hitchcock, you'll see The Gildersleeve movie entry, but you won't see the ad. If you type in Strangers on a Train, now you see the ad. So they said, oh, yeah, we can do it, and it could be per view, which would be like a penny or two apiece, and so on. They said, but the minimum is $5,000, and it can be one million views. But if that same person goes backspace and goes back to Strangers on a Train, there's your second view. So I was like, no, no, that makes sense. That was 10, 15 years ago. So I don't know what they charge, and I see major TV, major movies now being promoted, like Marvel's Black Panther. How much did Marvel pay to be on almost any superhero type? Because they have tags in movie on the movie entries. Like, it's, this movie is superhero-related. So you can have it tagged by subject matter, and that's why they have tags. So I get it. But it's really interesting to see how they've got down. I don't know what the cost is, but I'm wondering if that's an opportunity. But it's national. It's not a local. Right. I don't know if they can do what Facebook is and that is target a local area. And that's got, that has my curiosity because if that could be done, yeah, I'd be interested. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I have a, I have a friend whose who, daughter is getting movies and TV film work. And I guess the biggest thing in the industry is to get your bio on on the movie database. So they pay. They're paying for that service. That way, you know, in the industry, that's where they look. That's what they check out to see what you've done. It's strictly the internet movie database now. 
Yeah, you used to be able to have third-party uh, contributions, but they'd have people up there debating over who's doing this and who's doing that, and the end result is it went all—it got to be a mess, and they eventually put a stop to it. They had to. So I don't know if they allow third-party contributions anymore. I think at this point they said, you know what, we've got enough information. It's practically done. Maybe we should talk about that one story. Did, did have Wikipedia ever allowed you to update your own page? Um, I think I can, but if they know it's me, they're going to say no, <laughs> because because apparently it's amazing. It's it's third party. Anybody can be, but if I wanted to, I could be the keeper of the flame for one particular uh, Wikipedia entry and be religiously checking it out day by day by day just to see if somebody's up there changing anything and well i've never heard of that so i'm going to undo that mm -hmm. they do have a policy that if you're a living person you cannot make your own you cannot change i'm thinking well aren't they the person who can come up with the right information but i think they fear that someone's going to actually extend or go beyond what they really do their accomplishments mm -hmm. and the end result is that doesn't work and they don't want that to be a problem but i would think that'd be more accurate because i hear people say oh yes movie starts to Oh, I don't know why they say I was in that movie. I never did that movie, and they were right. They weren't in that movie. Somebody else was a similar name, but I, I, get, I walked away from Wikipedia when I tried to make a correction for a Green Hornet um, entry, because I remember when that Green Hornet entry, I made reference that Cato turned Filipino, from Japanese to Filipino in June of 1940 or 41, before we ended up at Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And it was in the scripts, and I put it up there, and somebody had undone that and sent an email to said, I'm the keeper, flame of all things, Green Hornet. This is completely uh, a malarkey. Don't put it up there, or I'll report you from malicious, and you'll be banned off Wikipedia, yada, yada. And I emailed back and said, well, I actually have the scripts. I can send you the pictures, digital pictures. I can verify it. And I told him who I was and what I was doing, and, of course, dead silence after that. And I thought, all right, I see how this works, so I haven't bothered. It's like, you know what, why? It, it, the question isn't a matter of the stuff, the validity of the info being put on there as much as who's to say what is right and what is wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting how that all works out. Well, I have a friend. He says it's, it's self-correcting, and I'm like, it's not self-correcting. <laughs> it's, it's constantly changing. That's the flaw. Sure. That's problem, the mistake, the error, uh, the issue at hand, and that's why I have to sit back and go, I don't get it. So I should get Martin a call about any of the DVDs he has, or the books, or the update of make let's give him a few more weeks, and that way Martin can confirm it. It'll probably be posted on Facebook and, um, and the website, once everything confirmed, that Martin will be one of the first to know. Or give him a call at area code 443-286-6821. Well, Mark, you got sort of a, a new small book out, don't you? That people can uh, pick up and learn a little more about the Lone Ranger. What's the history behind that? I do. In fact, it's actually kind of a prelude to what will ultimately be the big uh, Lone Ranger book, the first of four, but at least the first one's the ultimate book of them. That'll come out on the Lone Ranger, hopefully next year. There's been a myth, and it's been circulating, and it's kind of annoying to me a little bit, where a African-American U.S. Marshal from the 1800s called Bass Reeves, 
that went around arresting and capturing people wanted at large, that he was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. And the theory is that George W. Trendle said, hey, I wanted to let, let, let's just not make a Lone Ranger an African-American, let's not make him a U.S. Marshal, and we'll just steal this guy's endeavors and use it as a basis for the Lone Ranger, which is total malarkey. But on the Internet, you know the old belief, if you read it on the Internet, it must be true. Right. Um, this seems to ring true, and people are carrying it, and I don't think a month or two goes by that someone doesn't read it on the Internet and go, oh, gee, hey, has anybody read this? Looks like uh, somebody got snubbed, and the Lone Ranger was really uh, an African-American. And, of course, everyone goes, no, it wasn't. It's a myth. It keeps circulating because nobody double-checks facts. So it kind of irked me a bit to a point where I wrote a 24-page, technically 19, the rest of scan documents, uh, page write-up, and it's very well written, and it's called Bass Reeves and the Lone Ranger, Debunking the Myth. And basically it is in a quite immaculate detail, um, every little aspect to the creation of the Lone Ranger, which even if you're not into the Bass Reeves conspiracy theory, it really goes down to letter by letter, day by day, which aspect of the, who created which aspect of the Lone Ranger, and they're scanned documents. So you actually see one. I'm looking at here, right here. Um, where is it? I'm flipping right here. Um, here we go. Uh, sorry, here we go. Uh, December 28, 1932. This is an actual letter. It's scanned by Jewel, sent to Franz Stryker, and it says, Will you write up three or four Wild West thrillers using as the central figure a lone, a lone ranger, including all the hokum, the masked rider, rustlers, killer Pete, heroin on trade tracks, fight on top of boxcars, Indian badman, two-gun bank robbers, etc. I have an idea that this type of thing might command a large audience among the 14 or 15-year-old kids. And if they're successful, we might alternate them with the Manhunter series, which no doubt will be a relief to you, because Stryker was writing them. And then there's references from the letters where Stryker said, okay, I created a Indian sidekick, as you suggested. I call him Tonto. You can change the name. And so it debunks every aspect of the story of Bass Reeves, and Reeves actually being the original Lone Ranger in immaculate detail. So it's, it's a really cool book. It's only 24 pages. It's on Amazon.com for like seven bucks, but the scan documents and the breakdown of the origin of the Lone Ranger, right down to a letter where they actually say they want him to be a, a Tom Mix type hero, so they were to base it on Tom Mix, is right there in the um, in the write up. But it's also probably going to be later in the, the Lone Ranger book where we create do it, and then we have a debunking in a particular small chapter in the book that would be carried over from this a little bit. Anyway, it's a new book. It was just a quickie. It went out. I've never written a book that's 24 pages, but it, it's really kind of to debunk the myth and misconceptions. So what did this, the book cover in terms of time span? Did it cover uh, up from, from late 32 into 33 and it stopped at that point? What do you... Correct. Okay. Correct. It's late 32 from the time uh, Trendle said, hey, Westerns were always popular in the movie theaters when I owned the theater chains. Let's have a Western t- radio show. And their goal was to kind of sell sponsorships. So they thought if we can get a children's program and a Western, it was really made for adults, too. Because, I mean, the Lone Ranger was bloodthirsty at the time. He'd laugh at dangers, shoot and kill villains. The first year and a half, until it became more wholesome, like, you know, Mickey Mouse smoked cigarettes and 
kick dogs in the early years before he became a wholesome Mickey Mouse we're all familiar with, but that was history. Um, this kind of does the same thing and covers right down all the way up to the part where the show premiered. And it gives all the little details, formation, and it proves that three different people living in two different uh, um, cities, the two different states, all had their, it came up with a different aspect of the Lone Ranger. And more importantly, it also has, um, it debunks the story that George W. Trendle stole the idea. Well, no, Trendle never knew about this until November. He told us, Joel, create a Western program. Joel went to Stryker. And it wasn't until November of 33 that Stryker, that Trendle realized Stryker was writing the scripts. So, in, in other words, what everybody's saying, Trendle stole this, Trendle did. Trendle had no involvement in the formation other than the very words, I want you to create a Western for me. <laughs> so, is Jim Jewell sort of the unsung hero of the Lone Ranger? Yeah, in a sense. And you can see why in the year, later years he completely said, I was the one that created it. Stryker just wrote scripts. In a sense, from where he was coming from, he really believed that, and he, he was sincere. He did. Um, Stryker was the one that came up with various elements and Trendle came up with various elements. But it was more like Trendle just said, oh, this is what I want you to create. And uh, Jewel just basically said, okay, we got a Western. Well, we got this. We can do it this way. We can do it that way. And that's kind of what they wanted to do. So in, in, in other words, yeah, Jewel came up with a whole bunch of aspects and then tweaked it based on whatever Stryker did and Stryker tweaked based on whatever Jewel wanted. Looking back upon it, you think it's interesting that Detroit became such a major player in radio? Or, or, you think that accident, or you think it's just the right combination of a personnel who had a vision got to be a national program coming out of Detroit? Um, I think uh, Detroit just happened to be where it was coming from. It could have came out of Chicago or Ohio or or down in Atlanta, Georgia. It could have been anywhere. It just happened to be the program that put their station on the map. But then again, if you ask most people, other than Sergeant Preston, Ned Jordan, and uh, um, the Green Hornet Lone Ranger, what else came out of Detroit? Not much. And most of them, like, say, Anworth Housewife and Manhunters, Warner Lester, and Dr. Fang series, those are only known because if it wasn't for the Lone Ranger, the station would not have been as famous enough to, you know, have those programs even documented and referenced by name. So I think the Lone Ranger helped put him on the map more than anything. So if, was Bath Reed a real, a real live person? What do we know about him? I mean, what what made him such a uh, internet celebrity, I guess? Uh, well, there was a man who named Art Burton. He wrote a book on the, on, uh, the history of, uh, of Bath Reeves. And it was, a, it was an interesting book, and he really did some digging. I mean, Art Burton went through everything from um, records and state records, uh, state historical centers and so on societies, and he got all the info. But the first chapter in his book, he kept making allusions to, well, you know, he, he might have ridden a white horse. He paid, he paid for drinks once with a silver dollar. Therefore, oh, silver dollar, silver horseshoes. Oh, he might have rode a white horse. Boy, he must be the Lone Ranger. He was the one that they stole the Lone Ranger idea from. And he used that as his grabbing point for the first chapter. The rest of the book is all facts. So that first chapter is nothing but assumptions and very, very flimsy coincidences. And the problem was when the movie came out in 2010 by Disney, 
he rode on the coattails of the movie by claim by not claiming it. He always worded it just right that it might have been. But everybody else ran with it, and it helped sell books. And sadly, that's the bad way of trying to sell books. And that's where the myth originated. And now on the Internet, more than anything, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, this is where it came from, yada, yada, yada. Sadly, that's what we all have to do with now. It's, it's malarkey, but, yeah, it's just what we got to deal with. So, are there a website out there that promote that? I mean, is that, is that where more people are digging up their information, or do they dig it in some book review or something like that? Um, yeah, the, the reality is nobody goes through and does the legwork. They don't go to the archives and find out the verified proof. Mm-hmm. So the point of this was, okay, here's, Bar- here's, Art Beer- Barton, here's Art Burton's theories, in quotes, directly from his book, Here's what he claims are exactly the coincident, mere coincidences. And then I sat there and gave a complete history, one by one, step by step, of the origin of the Lone Ranger. And after each, at the end of each step of, you know, on this date, it was quoted in here, this is why. The comment would be, here's how it does and does not really connect to Burton. Which, of course, none of it connects to Burton. So it basically breaks down every claim that could possibly be used. And then the one or two that became a stretch of the imagination on the Internet, I debunked as well. But I did it with facts, straight, pure, simple, slightly repetitive because I'm going through Burton's things twice. But the first time was to say, here's what he said it was, and now here's why it couldn't possibly be with the steps. So the book really is a complete, with scans of documents, that, like I said, alone is really worth it and break down every aspect of the origin and creation of the Lone Ranger radio program. So it's almost like I could have made the book The Creation and Origin of the Lone Ranger Radio Program, and then from the perspective of telling it, instead of saying, here's the origin from Docket, etc., I said it from the origin of let's debunk a silly Bass Reeves theory. And so hopefully it should actually help out because... The book is also available as a free PDF, and you heard me, free. If they want to go to my website, which we referenced earlier, martingrams.com, and email me through there and say, I'd like a copy of your book, the free 24-page book, I will send them by email that entire book and read it on the a PDF, which is Acrobat, so any computer can open the file and read it. Um, it might even cover, I don't think it comes with the cover art, but that's not as important. But it's absolutely free, or they can go to Amazon.com and type in Bass Reeves and the Lone Ranger debunking the myth. And they can find the book and pay 7 bucks. and if they have time, it's free shipping. Um, but it's an option they have, but it's free. If they want to look at it tonight, they can just drop me an email. And this offer free is only for the people listening to Walton's show, so take advantage of it. Or they can email me direct at martingramsjr, that's short for junior, at gmail.com. Um, did, did all the elements came together pretty quickly? Like the silver board, the silver horseshoes, you know, the name silver, did I, all that come together fairly quickly in 1933? Um, yeah, in fact, I think it was uh, going through the, uh, this, the document right here. There's a great remark by here, where is it? Here it is. Um, from Jewel to Stryker. This is January 21, 1933. Um, continue to use the silver bullet and silver horseshoe gag. It's good. 
That's actually what he made reference to it. Um, the rest of it basically character development, like having the sheriff redeem the ranger by his unwillingness to shoot him. That would be great at the end, but it's a, it's one just method to keep the ranger from looking like he's a master vigilante, even though he is. But for concerned parents, we don't want to piss him off, and it seems good psychology to apply on the other. But I love the statement, continue to use the silver bullet and silver horseshoe gag. It's good. And that's he calls it script number two. And this is before it was even broadcast. So they've already got this idea that, and that came from Stryker. But he threw it in there, try to decipher what, what can make this one, this mass vigilante cowboy writer different from all the other ones, especially the screen cowboy. So I get what Ranger, what Stryker was doing. He was trying to come up with a uh, trademarked persona versus any other type of uh, uh, laugh at, you know, laugh at danger uh, hero of the planes. So did anybody ever sue Trindle early because, well, that Lone Ranger really is my grandfather? I mean, did, did were there ever, in your, doc, in your research, have you found any documentation about some early legal hassles? The only one I've been able to find regarding the Lone Ranger is from Buck Jones. And I think we talked about it on the radio show once yeah. years ago. Um, Buck Jones' agent was his wife. She represented him, and they filed a lawsuit against uh, um, Trendle once. And this was in the mid to late 30s, claiming that a couple of the movies and one of the serials uh, was being ripped off and used for The Lone Ranger. This is about the time The Lone Ranger was going national. And so I guess they realized, hey, we never heard of this program until now, not realizing it had been around since 33. And Buck Jones did have a horse named Silver. And so they, they claim that's what well, was stolen. That may or may not be have been the only thing that was ever actually borrowed and stolen. I did not put that in the write-up because then it opens the door to the Bass Reeves, well, maybe that, which is clearly not. Because there was a couple times where um, Stryker went to the movies, saw something, came up with an idea, and it became a plot for a Green Hornet episode or something. And supposedly there was either a Warner Lester Manhunter or a Green Hornet episode where during rehearsals, one of the actresses stopped, looked up at the director and says, I would swear I just saw a movie this weekend that had the same plot. <laughs> and that was basically, that was Stryker once in a while, came up with an idea and said, hey, I like the idea. It's just a premise. It's not like I'm going to steal the whole thing. So it is possible that Silver, he went to go see a movie with Buck Jones and decided, hey, Silver is not a bad name. How about, you know, why don't we just make him give him silver horseshoes and we'll give the Lone Ranger silver bullets on top of it, only inspired by the name of the horse. So it's possible that could have been. But anyway, the suit was kind of dropped eventually because um, Trendle basically said, hey, this show's been around since 33. No, we never stole the idea from you, even if you had a movie called The Lone Rider, even if you had a horse named Silver. And do you really want to fight it? And, of course, Buck Jones, I honestly believe... His wife, or he and his wife, would have gone after Trendle later on if they realized how much money they made because they would have tried to do what is referred to as legal intimidation. That is, let's make a lawsuit. We know we're not going to win in court, but it's close enough that they're just going to settle out of court and we take some money as a nuisance. They call it legal intimidation. He would have done that, I feel certain, years later after realizing how much money the Lone Ranger was going to make on the two cliffhanger serials and so on. If Jones had not died in that nightclub fire, I think, what was that? 42. 142? 42 in Boston. 
42. Yeah. Uh, if he hadn't died in the nightclub, and I think he went in and rescued, tried to rescue people, and I think he rescued one or two and then went back in, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I, think, um, I think a football team, a lot, uh, I think one of the university football teams were caught in that fire, too. It was a really sad, sad story. So yeah, much. and so he went in to rescue, and he never came out, and he died. And I think if it wasn't for that, he would have gone after uh, the loan. He would have gone after in a year or two or three later. He would have saw some more money and said, all right, you know what? We, we tried this, and then we dropped it. You know what? We're going to have to go all the way and just have it settled out of court because he's making all this money. It, Jones honestly felt, that Buck Jones honestly felt that it was ripped off of his movie persona. But that may or may not, but I think, if anything, the horse was, just because of the same name. And that is something Stryker did tend to do from time to time. But the rest of it, especially the entire creation, no, that all came from um, uh, whatever ideas. In, in all seriousness, no writer can do a write-up or a plot summary on a Western without having seen Western movies or read Western novels or books. So let's be honest, you know, some of it you're all borrowing from somebody else. How do you know, even know anything about it? And that's right, Buck Jones later did have a radio series. Um, I don't know how long his wife, I, I don't know if his wife was caught in the fire or uh, she out, you know, outlived him. I don't, I don't know the history of, of Buck Jones that much, so. Yeah, I know I know he was a, held a hero in the newspapers a lot. And little kids were all disappointed, but also Buck Jones' career was kind of down at the lowest ebb at that point. He was part of that, uh, what was it, Range Busters series? Yeah. It was for uh, yeah. Monogram Studios. Right. He was sharing it with Hoot Gibson and Ken Maynard, if I remember correctly. And I'm sitting back on, these were three cowboy legends who were all together doing a shoestring budget, like five movies a year, working for the lowest budget movie studio in Hollywood. So I think just out of sheer desperation for money, he would have eventually filed a lawsuit against uh, Trendle later on, if he, if he could have. Well, technically, yeah, out of necessity, he probably would have. By the way, I think you might find this interesting. I just re-ran an old Larry King interview where he interviewed Gene Autry, and this was around 1980-81. And Gene said uh, the reason why he fought his, fought his first, first radio station, he fought the first radio station in Phoenix in 1941 because in 1941, I made $600,000. I had all this money. I didn't know what else to do with. He said, "You know, all the the, the naming, the, my my logo on all the merchandise and everything, and my record royalties. Six hundred thousand. That's not bad. Hey, in 1941. So that's when he decided. No, that isn't. No, that's when he decided to start buying radio stations. Yeah, and I don't know how much programs he actually put his own name to because a lot of times when you're starting your own station, like Ed Wynn, but I had to actually lend your credence to your own name. I always tell people, if you see commercials and you see Brad Pitt trying to do a commercial promoting some sort of men's cologne, you're like, well, how much do they pay him? The answer probably is almost nothing because it's his cologne. That's why he's doing that, and that's how he got private investors is because they said, oh, well, if Brad Pitt's going to invest his own time and it's going to have his name, how could we fail? So a lot of times when you see celebrity sponsorship endorsement that's a lot of time that's uh, that's the celebrities that's their own investment their own money yeah well i think it's time to pull something out of the archives everybody so okay everybody we're, we're past 12 30 i think
we're getting close to that. So we'll get back to the arm making system and we'll play the Janine Ruth interview that Larry and I did earlier tonight to kick off the show. So with that, may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA. Love you all. Jaws Professional 030 Alt Tab. Salt Tab. MSL Tab. MSL Tab. MSL Tab. MSL Tab. MSL Tab. MSN dot com. Alt Tab. 030 Alt Tab. Search Alt Plus S Document. Alt Tab. 0 Alt Tab. Sound Forge Pro Lip Escape. Escape. Enter. Enter. Menu, file A, menu bar, leaving menus, sound one star, save as dialogue, file name, sound one, edit. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y-N-I-G-A-T, three dash, three dash, one, eight, W-I-T-H-J-O-H-N-A-N-D-L-A-R-R-Y-S-E-C-O-N-D-P-C, save as type, save but enter, sound one star. JAWS Professional Apple Software Update Dialog List Alt F4 Menu Bar File Alt Tab Leaving Menu Bar Alt Tab Skype Trademark 35 Alt Page Down Alt Tab Replay Radio Alt Tab Alt Tab MP Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11 